What's up, everyone? My name's Deeg. This is Basement Side Chats. I'm here today with Roy. How's it going, Roy? It's going great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Lots of news in the gaming landscape. Lots of exciting things going on. And tonight, I invited you here to talk to me about the story of Guild Wars 2 World versus World. Yeah. I think there's a, there's there's a something there that really need that the, the community can really benefit from an understanding of the path this what I think of as a beleaguered game mode has taken. What do you think about the story of Guild Wars 2 World versus World? Is this an interesting story to you, a boring story to you? Is it full of drama or is it just what? How would you characterize it? Oh, there's definitely drama. Okay. Uh, it's I think it's a little hard to characterize world versus world to be honest um why is that well is for one thing the community is extremely varied uh and not just eu versus na mm-hmm. uh i think there's a lot of you know if i don't know how familiar you are with world versus world um just a little but if uh you know if you're not really that familiar with it if you haven't really played it very much it definitely there's a lot more than i think people first sort of think of when they uh when they get into world versus world but what do you think people first think of when they get into the mode what are like maybe for those of us who aren't familiar with it give us like a like a a high level rundown of what it is and why you think people get engaged with it in the first place um all right well so i guess i'll just start off with me personally um I so I I pretty much just played PvE very casually uh, the first couple of years that I I played Guild Wars 2 I've, I've played since release and I got into World vs World actually just almost by accident I was just doing some dailies with a friend and uh, we, you know we we hooked up with a, a tag we got into Teamspeak with them and the thing that really drew me into the game mode almost immediately was uh, the sort of sense of community that it had and how you had to it, you know. Obviously, at that point in the game, there you know there wasn't necessarily the the really high end PV that we have now, but you know it still felt as though, and I th- I think this is still true that there was more of a sense of you had to really you had to be organized, uh, you know, and there's there's a high level of organization that can come into play with World versus World. It doesn't always have to be. You, mm-hmm. know, you certainly can just kind of jump in randomly if you want to, but to I think really get the full real experience of World versus World, you you have to play with a group. You have to you know, really get into communication with the group. Um, and certainly earlier in the game mode, uh, in the game, you had to really be part of a community. And, and I liked that a lot because, you know, while I was part of my, you know, my guild sort of community uh, when I was just playing PvE, it, it wasn't as big, it wasn't as broad, and it wasn't as, I'd say, important uh, as I think it sort of became, uh, for me at least, for World vs. World. And I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. It was a lot of fun. It was a very new experience for me. Uh, Guild Wars 2 is essentially the first MMO I've really played, so I hadn't really felt that uh, elsewhere. And I think that certainly, maybe now, uh, less so, but I think a lot of people will look at World vs. World and they'll just think it's it's basically just big PV, PvP. It's it's conquest, but just bigger, you know, larger scale. Okay. Um, and that's that's not really true. I think there's a lot of different parts of world versus world complexities that that make it up there's at least certainly earlier on there were you know tons of different roles you could play in world versus world uh, in terms of the actual sort of jobs you were doing mm-hmm. uh, you know and again i think the idea that world versus world is sort of 
a, uh, surrounded around a community more than other game modes, not all the time, but in a lot of ways, at least to me, really appealed to me. And I think it, it also kind of made it stronger uh, and, and made it stand out uh, as a game mode as opposed to PV and PVP. Gotcha. Makes sense. So in terms of like the bones of world versus world, um, like there, as you mentioned, the, the pillar game modes of, 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 um, of Guild Wars 2 are PVP, World v. World, PVE. And PVE is a, a broad brush for a lot of different things, right? Um, and the community, as you said, I've observed too, is it's not as, it's not as important to, any, to some of the other game modes as it is in World versus World. It doesn't rely on the community as much. I see the emergence of community participation as something that comes forth from the kind of the design and the way the game mode is built, what, where the incentives are, what's required to actually do things to get those rewards. And I wonder if we could talk for a minute about like the bones of World v. World, just what it is. Um, like, like assume I'm, I've never played it before. What's your elevator pitch for World v. World? Um, what, what can I expect going in? Well, I mean, at its base, World vs. World is an RVR game mode, right? Meaning uh, realm what? versus realm. Okay. Realm versus realm, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, you know, it's one server versus another server versus another server. Mm -hmm. um, so, at, I mean, at its, at its bare roots, right, uh, you have a week-long matchup. Uh, so for anyone who plays Galusto, obviously, you know, you, you pick a server when you create an account. Uh, again, you have the EU region and the NA region. Uh, you can't play cross-region. You have to transfer uh, to, to get to the other region if you want. Uh, so once you pick that server, really at this point, the only thing that your server, uh, which server you're on affects is is World versus World. Mm -hmm. So whatever server you're on, you're put into a week-long matchup uh, versus two other servers. At this point in the game, we have server links, so multiple servers are linked together. There's one host server, and then there'll be either one or two uh, smaller servers linked to that one. So if you're on a linked server, you're sort of counted as the host server. So, you know, if I was on Fort Rannick and that was linked to Desolation, I would technically be on Desolation. Uh, and those links exist to kind of balance things out because not all realms are the same size or same engagement. Yeah, and, and that's that's a much larger conversation that we can touch upon later. Uh, sure population balance and whatnot. Um, personally, I don't I don't like server links, personally. But Okay. Uh, anyways, so that, and that wasn't something that always existed. Uh, that was something that was implemented, I, I want to say, like three to four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but so anyway, so you're put into this week long matchup and you, you know, you fight the other servers for control of objectives. Uh, so towers, camps, uh, keeps and a castle uh, across four different maps. So there's four maps in World vs. World. There's the Eternal Battlegrounds and then there's three Borderlands. Mm -hmm. Originally, the three Borderlands were all carbon copies of each other uh, called Alpine Borderlands. Uh, however, in HOT, Heart of Thorns, the second ex or the first expansion for Guild Wars 2, mm -hmm. they introduced a new bo uh, Borderland called the Desert Borderland. Right. Uh, right now, you have two alpine and one desert uh, okay. as as the three as the three uh, borderlands. There. And does that rotate? No, uh, okay. I believe so. When HRT came out originally, it was all three all three borderlands were desert. They just replaced the alpine completely. Right. Uh, there were a lot of issues with the desert borderland on release. A lot of people really didn't like it for various different reasons. Uh, since then, the desert borderland is better, I will say. But they they did eventually. Uh, what what they did was, I believe, at one point they were going to rotate it so every every matchup would switch. So it was three alpine, three desert, um, and and they were, there were like discussions about that. But eventually, what they decided was to just have it permanently be two alpine uh, and one desert. Okay. Um, which which I think is is fine. <laughs> it's okay. uh, I think the alpine borderland is still better than than desert borderland, 
uh, in terms of the map design, but I think it would be kind of a waste uh, if the Desert Worldland was completely gone. But, yeah, I mean, so, you know, again, at its root, World versus World, uh, Realm versus Realm game mode, which is, you know, obviously, you'll, you'll see those game modes in, in other MMOs, uh, DAOC, Warhammer, etc. Have you played those? Uh, I have not, no. Okay. Yes, I'm not. I'm not very familiar with the uh, the realm versus realm in in other games. Yeah, but... to be fair, neither am I. Just curious. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. world versus world is something that's changed a lot over time. You mentioned a few things that exist now that didn't exist before, like the desert borderland is new. the The idea of server links is uh, a solution to a problem that maybe is uh, still an ongoing problem. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that there's been discussion about other changes, too, that are still waiting to bear fruit. Um, but what I would like to do, I think, before we get jump into the juicy problems, which is the most fun part of the conversation, probably, is really talk about what makes world versus world good and what about it grabs at you specifically. Um, I know that one of, the thi- one of the ways I got to know you at first, Roy, um, from, Mighty T- uh, from Mighty Teapot's show Tea Time, is talking about uh, guild versus guild, this idea. And I'm not sure how this is related to world versus world or how it is related to you, um, to that idea. Maybe you could just unpack that a little. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just briefly, uh, what what's so special about world versus world for me, as I mentioned before, is that, that sense of community. Um, but also, I, I was never really much of a competitive gamer uh, growing up. And mm-hmm. I'd say Guild Wars 2, as much as a sort of a a joke as people will, you know, consider Guild Wars 2 being competitive. Guild Wars 2 is essentially the first time that I really tried to be competitive in gaming. Um, and so that, you know, comes into part with the GVG. Uh, so GVG is guild versus guild, uh, one guild fighting another guild, which was an official game mode in Guild Wars 1. Right. Uh, it is not an official game mode in Guild Wars 2, and the two GVGs are, they're very different. It's, I mean, Guild Wars 1 and Guild Wars 2, uh, for anyone who has played both, are essentially not the same game at all. Right. They really only bear the, the title. Uh, same IP, that, different games. Yeah, they're, they're just, you know, Guild Wars 2 is not a sequel to Guild Wars 1 in the sense that it's a, you know, just a, a newer version of the same game. It's, it's, it's very different. Um, but GVG is a a subset of World vs. World in Guild Wars 2. Uh, so what that means is, obviously, you know, in Guild Wars 2, we don't really have a lot of... There's not really a lot of incentive, necessarily, to be part of a guild, which I think is a, is a larger issue of Guild Wars 2. Uh, but in Guild Wars... <laughs> or in World vs. World, obviously... It's, in the name. You know, it's one of those big memes. Sorry. It's, yeah, it's, it is unfortunate. No, no, of course. Uh, but it's... I feel like you, you are a little bit more incentivized to be in a guild, be a part of a group... Uh, in world versus world more so than the other game modes and you know so a big a big part of gvg is is being part of a guild um, mm-hmm. playing with a guild group and you know there's sort of various different forms of gvg and there has been throughout the the last you know the eight years the games have been out you know some groups will be sort of more casual some groups will be more hardcore but i would say the more sort of standard version of guild versus guild and guild wars 2 is uh, a guild group of 15 fighting another guild group of 15 um, you can call it a scrim if you want, where you kind of just play for an hour or whatever. Uh, you can call it an official GVG where you would essentially do a specific amount of rounds, uh, usually like a best of nine. So first to five or a best of five, first to three, best of seven, you know, whatever okay. it might be. Okay. Um, and it's, it, it has been, you know, very different across the years. It's changed a lot. Uh, it has, it's different both on EU and an A. Mm-hmm. And how are these? I staged? would say, 
Like, where do these actually take these, place? So, uh, it's a very good question. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's it's not an official game mode, right? So yeah. it's uh, it's it's essentially it's it's completely community run, like, completely community driven, right? Um, and it's there's right now three usually kind of different places that a GVG might happen. Um, originally, the main place, the two main places that it would happen would be. Um, around the South Island of the Alpine Borderlands. So all the way on the bottom, the very bottom of the map, there's a <laughs> camp. And um, pretty much either right above that camp or below that camp is where people would fight in the Borderlands. Is it because it's kind of isolated? Yeah, so it's isolated. It's kind of a, a flat area um, mm-hmm. that you can fight on, which is pretty much what you want if you're if you're GVGing. Um, and then the other area that people used to fight um, historically in, and people still do, uh, is the part of the Obsidian Sanctum. So the Obsidian Sanctum is a jumping puzzle, right. uh, which... It used to it used to be you could you could get there by going through portals in the uh, Eternal Battlegrounds keeps. Now there's on the World vs World menu when you open it up, there's an actual place you can just you can just queue into it. Um, and so there's a there's a kind of like a split off from the main jumping puzzle area that's essentially an arena. It has like spectator stands and stuff. It's it's a big open circle basically, mm. um, with mostly flat ground. And that was the main place that uh, GVGs would happen. And and it's kind of I would say a symbol of uh, of GVG at this point. Um, sure. it's, it's historically sort of been there. Uh, when HUT came out, there were guild halls added with, with Heart of Thorns. Right. Uh, one, one big aspect of that was the guild hall arena, which a lot of people were kind of hoping would be the GVG place. There's been a lot of issues with it, which again, we can, we can get into if we want. Uh, but that was for a time, isn't really anymore, but it was at one point a place that GVGs have happened a lot. Um, there's also Edge of the Mists was a... Uh, uh, it's kind of it's a new map. It's kind of an overflow map. It was originally designed to basically be a, both an introduction to World versus World, uh, as well as a place that if you were if you were queuing up for one of the main Borderlands, you could go there. And right. because it it's it just con- it keeps creating new over uh, overflows, it essentially was a place you could just go and and wait and queue. Um, so there's a couple areas in Edge of the Mists that uh, people will GVG in. Um, and then recently, the last, I think about two years ago, uh, there was an arena actually added to that area, pretty much specifically made for GVGing, um, that you could get to by walking through a portal uh, at the spawns of Edge of the Mists, and, uh, and that's the Edge of the Mist arena. Now, that is probably the main place for GVGs that, uh, right now, I would say. Okay. When was that added? Like I said, it was about two years ago, I want to okay. say. A pretty um, recent th- history. I think it was the summer of 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would have to look it up. I don't know okay. off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm just trying to put, yeah, not, put a rough not, timeline not, not, together not. in my head. That makes sense. Um, okay. So how how big is the GVG scene? How many guilds are, are, are playing it at any given time? So unfortunately, right now, it's very dead. Um, <laughs> again, for a multitude of reasons, uh, it's especially on an A. Uh, historically, an A has usually had a much worse seen than EU as well. Uh, it's been less organized. It's been less competitive. Um, right now, it's not great on EU either. There's still some guilds, you know, doing it, but it's definitely not as competitive as it has been. It's definitely not as big as it has been. I would say at its peak, and again, I didn't really play World versus World the first couple of years. I didn't really get too into GVG for about a year after playing World versus World. So kind of the first three mm-hmm. years, I'm not as uh, well-versed in the history of World versus World and GVG, but I would say probably the the peak time of GVG would be either right around the big February balance patch we had last year, or at the beginning of this year, um, or sort of leading up to that, uh, the, su- the year before, the summer before that. Um, I would say it was pretty active on EU, 
there were probably at least a good 20 guilds uh, consistently fighting each other. Um, I would say maybe half of those were very competitive with each other or fairly <laughs> competitive with each other. Uh, NA, again, NA has always been kind of weaker than EU in terms of GVG. Mm-hmm. Um, and at its best, sadly, NA really only had three competitive guilds, I would say, That's at least in enough. recent times. Yeah. It's not a lot. And, th- th- and when I say competitive, I mean like the, the very top, you know, it was kind of three guilds at the very People top. People were trying hard, creating new metas, stuff like that. Yeah, and, and there were definitely, you know, lo- middle, lower tier guilds. Um, there were a decent amount of them, but there was just, there's a very big uh, disparity between EU and NA where you'll have, again, you'll have 20 guilds on EU, and, and these are 20 guilds that all they do is fight other guilds. They don't really do uh, open world world versus, or open field world versus world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really do raiding as much. And then you'll have, you know, a handful of guilds on top of that, which are, you know, sort of half and half. They'll, they'll half raid and, and half scrim or whatever. Mm-hmm. On an A, most guilds will do, I'd say, 90% raiding an open field and then maybe 10% scrim. Uh, and, and again, you know, apart from those, like, top three guilds that sort of make it a, more of a priority to, to fight other mm-hmm. guilds uh, in, in, in even numbers, of course. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, there there definitely have been, and again, I'd say pre Heart of Thorns, so vanilla, the NA scene was a lot more active. There were a lot more guilds. Again, I, I wasn't really part of it. I played yeah. on EU as well for the first five ish years, four four years, I'd say. Why? Uh, I, so I wasn't as involved in the NA scene um, for a while. Why you started uh, on I just, EU? So I uh, I played Guilders One with a, a guild that was mostly European, and mm-hmm. we kind of all transferred over to Guilders uh, Two together. Oh, and word. again, because I was I was kind of just casually doing PVE. Uh, I, you know, it didn't really affect me yeah. being on you at the time. And I, so I just, I just always played on you. Um, and since, since I started moving over to NA and, and playing on NA, I've, I basically played both regions uh, at the same time. I haven't really ever only played one, although mm-hmm. recently I've, I've only really been playing on NA, but you know, again, I would say that the NA scene, while there were probably more guilds in the beginning of the game, I, I still think that there was a point in Path of Fire, where it was the most competitive, uh, and maybe Heart of Thorns for a little bit, uh, but there were still never really more than a handful of guilds on an A that were really trying to push GVG, push the scene, um, create a competitive, mm-hmm. healthy scene, which is unfortunate. Although, of course, you know there were still a lot of very good moments in the NA uh, history. I would say uh, in terms of GVG. Mm-hmm. Why do you think? So, to me, it's very interesting that something like like the GVG scene even would exist at all, because in a game where you're presented with a few modes that hand you out rewards on a regular basis, you get dailies and stuff like that, or various achievements, or or just very just all the signposting that a game can do to get you to engage with it in a certain way, for the com- a community to go out of its way and say, "There's a way that we want to play this game, and we want to play it this way so badly, we're gonna like carve our own space out of it." And there's no dailies for doing this stuff. There's no rewards for doing this stuff. It's just the experience itself. Um, and the fact that there would be a scene that would be p- powerfully enough attracted to that vision to make it a thing, to me, really yep. stands out. I wonder what it, what is it about GVG that makes it stand out from the other offerings that Guild Wars 2 has? So uh, you're absolutely right. And honestly, this is something that I actually kind of love about GVG. Um, but yeah, I mean, World vs. World as a game mode, first of all, is not very rewarding in and of itself. But okay. yeah, I, you know, then GVG, on top of that, you, as you said, you get no rewards from it. 
we've we've put on several tournaments over the years on both regions, and some of them have had rewards, but for the most part, they're not very good rewards. They're mm-hmm. definitely not really. You don't. You're not really rewarded for the amount of time Token and effort rewards. you put into it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the only thing that I can you know that you can really say you get from being invested in the GVG scene is being the best, being better than other guilds. It's uh-huh. that that you know competitive nature that drives it. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that I sort of look at it a little bit is World vs. World as a, as a whole, as the, the large game mode, is kind of a casual game mode. GVG is the hardcore part of that. And there I are see. definitely more hardcore parts to World vs. World for sure, but I would say broad scheme, broad strokes, grand scheme, World vs. World is a casual game mode, and GVG mm-hmm. is kind of the, the hardcore part of, of World vs. World. Interesting. So it's kind of like 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 open world versus like raids or fractals, something like that for yeah roughly in terms not, of the analogy not exactly but yes yeah you could you could com- you could make that comparison okay because you're making a smaller size group you're organizing you're developing builds um and <laughs> as in as with raids uh the rewards are not amazing and you do it because you just like it um yeah there, there, there is a little there are little literal raid rewards uh but I mean, I think yeah. part of it too was, you know, there were some people that came from Guild Wars 1 where, again, GVG was a, a, an official game mode. It was part of the game. Did they you play in the Guild Wars of... 1 uh, Guild, Guild, GVG scene? Okay. No, I, I was ultra casual PvE only. I did I, a little bit of PvP in Guild Wars 1. but I, I was mainly GVG. a PvE dude back in Guild Wars 1 too. I did I yeah. did play with um, the Goon Squad's GVG uh, crew for like a few mm-hmm. weeks like way back in college. Um, and I remember, okay. I, th- I remember sensing how cool the game mode was, and how much of a culture there was around it. And that there are builds. It's a very cool game mode. Team builds, and I, I, I didn't know how deep it went at the time, but the idea in Guild Wars One is that your guild would like choose a guild hall, and you mm. would fight at your guild hall. And how, how yeah. freaking cool is that? That's awesome. Yeah. Could you imagine if Guild Wars Two had something like that, where you're? Oh man, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. This is the discussion. I think we're a part of any Guild Wars discussion is kind of like communal griefing and uh, grieving in a way, not griefing. Grieving, yeah, yeah. Because it's been out for a while. It's made some big promises, and I, I think we've all uh, made our our different uh, arrangements with those promises. Um, I one of the really interesting things I'm seeing, and I know you are, you must be too, Roy, is. A lot of people who are kind of in the public eye with Guild Wars as streamers are making a very deliberate choice to be very positive and very like mm-hmm. constructive towards the game, um, rather than kind of letting um, negativity take over, which seems seems to be somewhat rampant, especially um, in the uh, little bit of a drought we're experiencing leading up to the expansion next year. I know I just said a bunch of things. Sorry for spewing that no. all out, but it seems relevant. No, hey. That's what we're here for, right? Um, yeah, it's, you know, on one hand, you know, and yeah, without naming names, I mean, you know, there's certainly some streamers that come to mind. On, on one hand, I think being, personally, I like trying to be positive. I, I'm not, I, I don't like being negative. It's not really something I've ever tried to do. Um, you know, I like, first of all, I like, you know, pumping people up and, and making them, you know, happy and excited or whatever. Uh-huh. I, you know, that's sort of part of, of I'd say, 
not the character I play, but you know, part of my persona that I, I think I sort of yeah. get known for in in World versus World a bit. Um, and and you know, then with the shout casting and stuff, dude. On um, the ERPs, man, you got me hyped as shit watching those. Dude. Like I, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm glad never to gonna that. forget those performances. <laughs> as as a side note, that was one of the most enjoyable experiences I've ever had. Um, ERP was amazing. Can we take a second to really talk was. about that? Is it okay to yeah, sidebar no, again? For sure. Absolutely, yeah. The I mean, ERP was was uh, a teapot, uh, Mighty Teapots. I, I'm not sure, like, there were a lot of people who, who made it happen, but it was hosted on Mighty Teapot Twitch. Yeah. The elitist trading party it was the third iteration of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was high level, a an organized tournament to challenge and pit against each other the world's most uh, uh, accomplished uh, raiding guilds, or at least those that were still left. And uh, yeah. it was all covered by Teapot and his various co-casters, including yourself. And it was um, an incredible experience. What was your experience of it? Well, so I, I'd organize or helped organize, organized, casted, streamed, whatever. Um, a lot of tournaments leading up to that, um, PvP and, and World versus World. Right. Uh, or GVG. And I hadn't. I've never really been huge into the rating scene in Guild Wars 2. I used to do like a weekly clear with uh, with a, some friends mm -hmm. uh, from a GVG guild actually um, back when I think there were only like four raid wing wings. And ra I like rating. I think it's fun. But I, again, I was never I was never really that into it. I was never certainly involved in the community very much. Sure. Um, I've never really experienced like the highest level of rating. Uh, I'd say I'm familiar with with all the raids, but not at not at a high level. Yeah, um, I hear you. I'm and right so, there with you. Teapot had, you know, so as you said, this was the third elitist raiding party that he put on, the third raiding tournament he did. He'd also done two sort of uh, minor, sort of minor league tournaments called the ARP, the Amateur Rating Party. Right. Um, and I helped a lot with the second one. I didn't have anything to do with the first one, but I, I assisted uh, him with the second one a lot, casted it, admin, stuff like that. So that was kind of my first experience with it, and it was mm -hmm. a lot of fun. But the elitist raiding party was, it was way again, more hardcore. There was a lot more in, uh, depth to it. Uh, the less guilds overall, but it was, again, just way more depth. And, you know, right now where I am uh, in, in my real life, I'm kind of feeling as though, you know, I want to get into something to do with the gaming industry. Uh, I, I enjoy being, you know, in that sort of, I think I would be, enjoy being in that field, uh, whether that's something I got a job for you. Or, you saw the yeah. Arena Game Director posting today. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we can, we can talk about that in a sec, but um, so... Part of my, I guess, inspiration for want, or feeling like that or wanting that is was honestly working with Tipa on the ERP. Uh -huh. um, I think to date, and you know, we obviously did the Masters of the Arena um, this past summer, which was, you know, without a doubt, the the biggest community PvP tournament that's that's gone on. Mm -hmm. um, and I would probably say more work went into it, at least on my part, um, and I think probably on his part too, um, for the elitist rating part or then the elitist rating party. But there's something, and I've talked about this several times on my own stream and on other streams, that I can't exactly describe or explain about the Elias Rating Party, but there was just something about it that, honestly, when we finished, like, right at the very end of it, I felt completely physically and emotionally drained. Like, I just couldn't do anything, I couldn't think, and it was, a, it was it, not in a bad way, it was kind of a surreal feeling, um, right. and... Being able to be a part of that, and I, I felt similar things with the, the, the mode as well, but being a part of it was just, it was a, a very unique experience that I am extremely grateful I was able to to be a part of, um, and it really made me realize that I, I love doing that sort of thing. Um, uh -huh. And 
Teapot is 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 an absolutely incredible person, uh, both as just a person, but also as someone who creates content for the community, who puts yeah. on these these great specials. He's always trying to outdo himself, and that's why I would say more work went into the Masters of the Arena. Uh, but it's I I probably think the Elitist Rating Party Three is still sort of the biggest achievement that he has has put on. Um, and again, just you know me being a part of it, I I'm I'm very glad I was able to. So. Yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. I'm extremely glad I was able to. I wouldn't have, you know, changed it for the world really. And uh, it's it was it's definitely a huge part of the the Guild Wars Two history. Didn't the um this, the live stream for that cap out at like 17k viewers or something like that? 17k. Yeah, I mean Yikes. by far the biggest the biggest Guild Wars Two viewership Yikes. that uh, a a, a non official sort of stream has gotten. That's bigger than um, Summit streaming Guild Wars. That was huge. Yeah, I think I think his first stream had like 20k viewers. I think he had what a lot. Yeah, I mean when uh, he his 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 yeah his, his subsequent like, streams and his that's many, rarefied but, air. Yeah, yeah, it's and incredible. it was insane. And I, you know, I was a little bit disappointed that we weren't able to get more viewers for the uh, the moda. But mm-hmm. uh, T-Bot has talked about this too. You know, there were different. There was a it was a different period of time surrounding the game that I think um, enabled us to get more viewership for the uh, the rating tournament as well. Uh, we got front page, I think, on Twitch for the Elitist Rating Party as well, which we didn't for the Moda, uh, mm-hmm. which definitely boosted us up a lot. Uh, and also, I think people are just more interested in, in PvE than uh, PvP, to be honest, at this point, uh, for for an MMO. Yeah, more of an uh, audience I mean, to it. You think about the World of, uh, the World of Warcraft uh, rating streams, you know, those get huge numbers when, you know, a new Raid Wing and, and the speedruns are coming out. Um, mm-hmm. And they have they have a, a pretty big tournament that I don't remember the name of, but uh, it's it's pretty big from what i understand the rating uh, so tournaments I, I think are, are huge i just got yeah. done watching the uh the destiny uh day one rating uh, rating tournament um mm-hmm. it's very very interesting stuff but go on yeah uh, you know, i mean yeah it's uh, it was yeah seventeen thousand viewers i mean enough said it was <laughs> we weren't expecting it and we were you know blew us away so yeah so. i'm a huge unabashed member of the mighty teapot fan club absolutely <laughs> and um that that's an, that's incredible stuff i come I have to honor the amount of effort he's put into um, into giving this community something to hang on to. Um, maybe, especially during times when there wasn't a lot to um, hang on to. There's our light, in the sh- light shining in the darkness, for sure. Yes, I think, I think he feels that pressure. Um, yeah, it'd be hard I, not to. Yeah. But anyway, on a brighter note, you said that that, that tournament, in, you had something that you came away with. A feeling mm-hmm. that you wanted to get involved with gaming or something like that. Tell me about that. Well, yeah. So as I said, you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of tournaments uh, leading up to that, but they were all, you know, much smaller. Uh, you know, again, Teapot sort of dreams at a, a larger scale than the rest of us. And to be a part of it, just it felt very real. It, again, you know, this is a community tournament. It wasn't supported by ArenaNet. How many teams were there? Tell, let's just kind of give the high level. What was the tournament? It, I want to say, I feel like it was. It was either six or eight teams. I actually, I, I'm a little embarrassed. I can't remember off the mm-hmm. top of my head, but it was either six or eight teams. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was a little bit of, it was actually hard to get that many teams because mm-hmm. the rating scene had drastically died. Uh, it was it was kind of devastated. It was it was at a very low point. Um, and it is now at a very low point as well, I think. Although I, the, the current rating lead that, league that's going on, I think, is, is, is doing pretty well. Um, but there were, you know, it was... You know, again, just the highest level raiders we had at the time, um, and I would say honestly, very 
they were it wasn't just you know that they were kind of just whatever we had there were very good players playing in it yeah it's um, a smaller scene it was just a smaller scene yeah mm-hmm. but yeah it was it was six guilds um you know ln was the the eventual winners um Lucky you know, germans mostly yeah i had raka um, on raka recently was and we part talked of a little it, bit yeah, about this stuff mm-hmm. as you talked about um, and, and their sort of main competitors were um, Snowify, which was a sort of combination of Snowcrows and Quantify, which uh-huh. everyone knows who Snowcrows is. Uh, right. You know, uh, they, they have the, the build site uh, for raiding and, and fractals and whatnot. Um, and they're kind of the, I think, the go-to sort of PVE database there um, mm-hmm. for builds and whatnot. Um, I just went there today. But then... Yeah. Sorry? I just went there today to try to remember what a condition uh, warrior build looks like for PVE. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was it was Snowcrows, and then it was a a group uh, called Quantify that they they just been a, a big part of the rating scene for a long time, um, and I mean the competition between the two of them again part of part of the the reason that I think the ERP was so good was because the competition was I, there was basically no difference between the two. Obviously, mm-hmm. Ellen eventually won. I think they were the better group, and and they deserved to win. But Snowify were very good. They were very mm-hmm. very close to them, and. You know, as a as a tournament organizer or broadcaster or whatever, you want obviously you want a successful tournament. But I think you know, for me personally, more than almost anything else, whenever I'm I'm casting PvP or GVG or whatever it might be, rating in this sense, uh, I want to see good gameplay. You know, a good yeah. show, and and that's obviously what everyone watching wants. And I, there were very few moments, in my opinion, during that tournament that were not eventful, that were not exciting, that were not uh-huh. fun to watch. And it's, it's, I, you know, I think back to the tournament and I actually, I'm, I'm astounded at how good it was yeah. and you know how, I mean, like we said, we joked a lot about how, you know, we wrote the script for the tournament. I don't think we could have <laughs> written the script as good as the tur- it actually turned out to be. It, uh, it was really good. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it just, it was the first sort of real feeling to me that I had sort of helped to be a part of something that was really successful that, yeah, that felt not really meaningful more than just like a, a small community tournament. It was, it was a, it felt like a real tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, had real serious that, prizes. It had a huge amount of yeah. visibility. Like every, yeah. it was, it was the talk of the community and for communities as a guild wars, which is, that's pretty huge. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, completely blew our expectations out of the water. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget the final moments, man. Like what a, a photo finish it's 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 it was actually incredible um if anyone who hasn't seen it and i imagine everyone watching this has but anyone who hasn't owes it to themselves uh and we just lost roy from the discord he did let me know that he, there's a possibility his discord would crash sorry about that that's yep. okay man well, there we go i guess i guess i haven't fixed it <laughs> the hype the hype was too strong uh yeah Ugh, and that, yeah. Might, that might happen more but that's okay man we'll no big deal we're back um and everything's yeah. still lined up so that's that's a mini miracle, but um, this tournament, um, the format of it was, it's, it's kind of like 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 a heads up time trial, um, where two teams would would start at roughly the same time, and I, I could tell that a lot of energy went into making sure that the clocks were accurate. That was I think technically impressive on the viewer side. See the, how how you guys could determine the winners like live on the spot, um, with stream lag and everything that went goes into that, and um. There were a lot of really heavy rules that I think if 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 you're a lay person raider or someone who just casually raids that that, that that they're pretty intimidating. What were what was the rule set for the um the tournament? Do you remember? So I wouldn't be able to. Well, I mean, for the or most just like part, high level. I would say 
there weren't it wasn't so much um that there were a ton of different rules there were kind of the biggest sort of complexity in terms of of a rule set there was there's there's various different sort of skips and um not necessarily like bugs uh, that you could abuse but you know there's sometimes some kind of wonky things that'll happen ways to make events go quicker things like that they're a little buggy and and so honestly one of the biggest issues actually in coming up with the rule set and sort of the be the having the the tournament come to fruition was figuring out which of those various skips and uh, whatnot they could actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the number, the the absolute most impactful rule that that we had was no downstate. Um, yes. And so this, it actually was way more impactful than we thought it was going to be. But in in raids, obviously, you know, in, in Guild Wars 2, you have a downstate, right? So when you lose all your health, you go into the downstate, you can be revived. Mm-hmm. But what we did was, uh, and by the way, every single guild was all nine. There were nine out of ten. You you, can, you only had nine people to play with because we always had a, a tenth admin in, mm-hmm. in the squad. So all the groups were only nine people. So right, right away, they, they were one player less. But if you went to downstate, you had to immediately type slash GG, which kills you, um, mm-hmm. so that you can't be revived. So there was no resing whatsoever, which a obviously changes a little bit of of the builds that you might be running. Mm-hmm. Um, it it means and b it means you can't you can't res people back up. So when you go into downstate, there you know that's it, you're done. Mm-hmm. And you know we saw so many times where that rule, if that rule hadn't been a part of it, you know it would have completely changed the tournament because there were times where you know you would have one one person go to downstate and they would die and uh, you know you can you can do most bosses pretty easily with eight people another mm-hmm. person might go down okay seven people it's not a big deal these these are really good groups when they started getting down to like six people five people that's when you know you saw it really come into play where you know they they weren't able to to finish the raid boss and they had to restart uh-huh. and it was really interesting because there were so many points in the tournament where you know they would get the boss down to 50% 30% whatever and they'd have to completely restart it. And and as you mentioned, this is a time trial race, so they're, they're racing head-to-head with the other group. And so there was, I remember one time, uh, one one map, so Wing 5, Doom CM, kind of the most iconic raid encounter I think there is for Guild Wars 2. And it was, again, it was, it was Snowify versus LN, the last two groups. Uh-huh. I think both groups had to restart the boss like two or three times. <sighs> Because they just lost too many players throughout the encounter, and it was it, it it just it changed how they had to play, you know, uh, so much, and it was definitely the most impactful ruling we had, um, and it, it completely changed too. I'd say how the they they went into these encounters versus the the previous tournaments he'd put on, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I mean that was that was without a doubt the the most impactful sort of highest standing rule that we that's, had for that tournament. That's incredible, yeah, because. Yep. These, in, in a way, I think that the Guild Wars raids, even most of the challenge modes, are designed with plenty of leeway in mind. And you have the, these these really high-powered players with these well-optimized builds that, generally speaking, um, min-maxing in Guild Wars means putting out the most damage in the smallest amount of time possible, which means you're you're usually minimizing defensive stats, unless there are specific, like, skips and mechanics that you build for, right? Like, sure. Um, but having to add this layer that outside the tournament is not something you ever have to deal with. And yep. you get to see actual novel approaches because there's no there's no zero downstate raid meta nope. before that tournament that tournament. I think that, as you said, made it made it brilliant. Um where it would have just been great otherwise. And that's yep. that's that's the genius. Um I totally, totally resonate with that. So okay. Um man, it used to make me want to go back and watch all those VODs. But uh 
let's see, we teased the fact that that you came away from this with something with some kind of a uh, something that lasted beyond the tournament, a different kind of feeling about where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do. Describe that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I for a really long time uh, growing up, I had uh, I had been interested in a career in law enforcement, and okay. you know, I think I I had never really considered anything else for a really long time. And then when I started getting into shoutcasting um, for the uh, the UGO, which was a tournament, a PvP tournament that Jebro put on. Yeah, uh, you know, I started really liking it. I started feeling as though I was kind of good at it. I started feeling as you know, I I, I had discovered something that I was a bit more passionate about. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I mean, as as the years went on, and I started being more involved with various different organizations, tournaments, etc. And again, you know, this huge elitist rating party, the, the um, master of the arena as well. It, you know, it, it again, it made me realize that it was something that I I really enjoyed doing. I felt like I was I good at it. Um, you know, and and I think it was something that stood out to me as it didn't feel like a job in the same sense of, you know, like I didn't have to wake up and I wasn't filled with a sense of, of dread doing it. You know, I, I wasn't, yeah. I didn't hate doing it. And I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've worked for several years now and <clears throat> not that I necessarily hate working, but there definitely have been times where I didn't enjoy what I was doing and it felt like a job and mm-hmm. organizing these tournaments. I mean, obviously has never actually been a job in the sense that I was getting paid for it. But, you know, I definitely put, I would say, a lot of work in, into doing, you know, certain various different the tournaments and organizing and mm. admitting and whatnot. Again, maybe not to the point of, of a full-time job, but definitely a lot of work and effort went into it. And so I think, you know, I, I realized at one point that that was something that really stood out to me as something that I could do, that I was passionate about, that, you know, I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think also a big part of it, too, and, and this kind of gets back to the, the whole World vs. World thing, was... Being involved with community, I I really like people. Uh, you know, I like I like socializing with people. I like interacting with people. I like meeting different people. Um, you know, different sides of people, and that's again a big thing that that sort of attracted me to World Wars World was just meeting so many different people. Especially again, you know, I'm, I live in America, um, but playing on EU, I was meeting people from so many different countries. Yeah. You know, with different accents. You know, and they 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 obviously you know would speak different languages. You know, mm-hmm. very different very different from me. And so it was. It was really. It was a unique experience. Um, but I think because Guild Wars Two is the way it is, you know, the community is a lot closer and more unique. I would say, as opposed to maybe other games that are in esports that have, you know, a real big sort of helping hand uh, from the 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 publishers of the game. Mm. And so I think because of that, it, it kind of makes the community experience stand out a bit more. Um, and it really spoke to me. I mean, I I just I really enjoy being a part of a community and, and interacting with different people um, and and getting to know people and working with them and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So it's, you know, that's that sort of thing is, is something I really enjoy doing. Yeah, and it's it's clear from watching you that you enjoy it. I, I love whenever I, I'm, I'm, you know, browsing around Twitch and I see you're casting something PvP related. Like, I'm, I don't PvP like in MMOs. It just doesn't, doesn't call to me personally. I haven't sent some, like, Arathi Basin back in WoW Vanilla days. Mm-hmm. Um but what a, a good performer, a good caster who can paint a picture of what's going on, explain the stakes, make you connect with what you're seeing, tell you about a story of this player, tell you about what's going on with this player, saying what, what, they're, they're, what they're coming up against each other means, both in terms of the game and in terms of the dramatic stakes, things like that. Painting that picture is a skill and an art, and when it comes together, it's a beautiful thing. And it, you don't have to love the game to enjoy that. Like, it kind of transcends the game in a way. Um, yeah. I like 
I have I have a tiny bit of of, of casting experience from a, a niche game called Team Fortress Classic. Uh, a bunch of my old the the buddies that I that I gamed with back in my uh, my halcyon days of, of of gaming, right when broadband just just became a thing. Um, <laughs> And uh, made a beer league this year, and I said, "Hell yeah, I'll cast some games." I just got really into it. Um, cool, that's awesome. And but the part of it that I liked, like, yeah, the game is great. Like, it, I still like the game; it's still fun. Um, but it's the personalities and connecting with people and kind of creating, like, um, uh, giving back to, to to a community that that, that you really appreciate. Um, so I can see that resonating with you. I wonder. Um, so the ERP was last year, right? Um, yep. What What are you thinking about in terms of that that feeling? How are you acting on that feeling? Uh, well, honestly, um, I haven't. I guess I wouldn't say I've done a lot in in that sort of sense. Um, okay. Obviously, there, there's not an opportunity in Guild Wars two, you know, to become a shoutcaster, right? There's there's no there's no actual yeah. esports in Guild Wars two. There's no actual league. You're not going to make any money from that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, the main thing there is if if I'm interested in casting, of course, um, I'd have to get into another game, um, an esports, right? Casting professionally so, to to actually like as a career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one one thing I've kind of done is uh, so I, I I don't know if you're familiar with Smite at all. Um, Only vaguely. So it's it's a MOBA. Um, it's probably the game I've played the most besides Guild Wars 2, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've started recently, the last couple of months, trying to play it a bit more frequently and get a little bit more insight on it. Uh, maybe, you know, learn the game a lot better. Um, because, you know, that's that's so essentially trying to, to maybe eventually get to a point where I feel comfortable casting it. Um, hasn't happened yet. Uh, but, you know, that's it's a long process, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I think getting mm-hmm. hired as a caster is a pretty difficult thing to do. Um, there isn't... I mean, as far as I know, there's not really a lot of places that, in terms of, like, the, the big esports that are just, you know, mm-hmm. they don't really put out positions for casters. I think you have to kind of work your way up. Network your way in, become known, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of something I've, I'm thinking about. In terms of just working in the game industry as a whole, um, I haven't, I also haven't really been doing a lot of, um, you know, job searching as of yet. That's what probably would you like something to do? I'm going to start doing. I mean, some sort of community management probably would be okay. ideal. As, okay. you know, I like I like working in the community, but it's a I tough mean, job, I think, dude. That's a hard is. Oh, job. Oh yeah, absolutely, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm still relatively young. I uh, I haven't really I haven't done very much with my life as of yet. So that's sort of uh, something that I think I, I need. Well, that's to start the perfect time to start towards. Yeah, start oh, yeah, early, absolutely. man. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been kicking myself but, um, for waiting till I was in my 30s to start this podcast. I've been at for a long time. Well, it's it's a good idea. Podcasts are great, but yeah, I mean, it's I I I know that I I have some trouble sort of getting started on things, so that's you know something that I I sort of just struggle with a little bit. So that's something in general, I have to, or just with regard around, to this. In general, okay. In general, for sure. Okay. Um, do you want to talk yeah. about that at all? I just, I mean, you don't just, have to. I just I don't think there's very much to talk about. I just I'm I have I'm not good at starting things. <laughs> starting things is hard. I don't know. Like for me, I find I I can usually start things, but it's actually. Getting him to go somewhere—that's the trick. Yeah, I mean, you know, also like just, the idea yeah. of like I think getting involved in game in in, in gaming like with a with a um it, it's a hard thing to do to get paid to make games I think um because yeah. it's it's kind of a passion industry and I think most studios can be picky about who they hire um, absolutely yeah. except with certain very highly skilled kind of um, kind of jobs like 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 engine programming or 
art direction, stuff like that. Um, but you're still casting. I see you out there still doing that. Um, yeah. I mean, it occurs to me that, you know, uh, the, the phrase fake it till you make it, which is do, <laughs> do something that's like what you want to be doing until yeah. maybe you can, you can make it, you make it your the focus of your life. Um, yep. is that something, is that what, what you, does that accurately describe what you're doing? What do you think? Yes and no. Uh, I think the experience that I've been getting and have gotten over the last several years is definitely relevant. I think it's I think it's useful. It's good. I think I do. If I really seriously want to try and become a caster for something, I have to start casting other games. Casting okay. Guild Wars Two is not a you know. I mean, doing anything in terms of Guild Wars Two for ninety nine percent of people, I think, is not really a way to then progress into something else mm. um, or to get picked up as something else. And I, I don't mean that, you know, to be down on anyone or negative or anything. It's it's a small game. It's a small community. It doesn't yeah. have a very large online presence. Uh, and, you know, that's that's just the reality. So <laughs> I could certainly keep on casting, you know, daily and monthly automated tournaments in Guild Wars 2, organizing, you know, community tournaments, and I probably will. But I need to, if I really want to start doing something serious in terms of a career, I need to probably branch out into other games. Um and again, I mean, that's, like I said, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot and something that I, you know, just kind of need to kick myself in the ass and get get going on. But it ain't easy I wouldn't, I, I, recognize I wouldn't say, though, you know, that all my time has just been wasted, of course, with Guild Wars 2. I think, like I said, I have a lot of, you know, a lot of the the experiences that I've gone through in the last couple of years in terms of working on various projects for Guild Wars 2, mm-hmm. you know, it's good. It's good experience, and it's experience that I, I'm definitely grateful I've had. Yeah, I think the idea of having experience that's not useful is kind of a kind of kind of not a sound one. I think all experiences yeah. can, can take you somewhere. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. You, you you brought up the idea of you know continuing to cast Guild Wars Two as being a path to something or not. Um, the little casting experience I just kind of described earlier is something I recently decided to stop doing, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it was interesting. You know, so there's this small community that comes up. There are like a couple hundred people involved. Um, maybe actually roughly the size of the GVG community last year. Um, uh, that many teams are involved. And, uh, Mm -hmm. for the very first cast I do, which is of course the worst one, go figure. I get, I get, you know, around a hundred people watching and I'm like, Hey, this is kind of cool. I wonder if this could go somewhere. And I don't really think it will, but I I like, I kind of want to just feel it out. Like this feels like something is here. Like I want to learn about this. And so I cast a bunch of games for the first season, second season. Do I continue? Yeah, okay. I'm gonna. I, I'm just gonna keep doing it um, a little more casually, and um, I definitely learned a lot during that time. I feel like I, I I started picking up the skill of casting, which is something I'd never done before. I never knew I it was something I would like doing, um, and uh, but at the end of it, um, I kind of decided that it was that, like it was a good experience where I learned something, and I don't I didn't feel bad about like the few the couple hundred hours or whatever I put into it both casting and, you know, making my overlay. And I did all this shit myself, one man band style. Um, But um, I had to acknowledge that if I wanted to continue with it, it wasn't going to look like continuing doing that. It was going to look like something else. And I needed to focus my time differently. Um, That said, like there is still utility in doing something you love. Um, and I, I encourage you to continue casting Guild Wars if that's something you love doing. And you, you obviously love the community. Otherwise, you I'm sure you wouldn't bother. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see you in something new. Um, you said Smite kind of revealed itself as a potential option. Is that a game that's doing well? I don't hear much about it. 
Yeah, it's definitely not as as known as say League or Dota. You know, uh-huh. they're two big mobas, but. I think for the community, it's, it's almost similar to Guild Wars 2 in the sense that it has a, a smaller, more tightly knit community. It's still in esports, though, and it, it, I, I think it's, it's consistently doing fine. Um, you know, I, consistently I think doing I think fine. Oof, place. that's, the, that's, <laughs> well, I, I, that's not how I, I don't, want I don't my wanna, shit described. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I probably described it kind of poorly. It's, I, think it, I think it's in a good place, personally. I mean, I, I think okay. that it's, it's a little harder for me to say just because I haven't really gotten to the point where. I view it as more than just kind of a, a casual ranked player, I guess. Um, but no, I, I think it is in a good place. I think it definitely has a lot of, I, I don't want to say potential. I mean, it's, it's been around for several years now and I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's run very successful tournaments. Um, it has, a, it has a good strong pro league. Um, so, you know, but I, the, the thing that, the reason that I sort of mentioned tonight is because it's, again, I, it's sort of the game I have the most experience with mm-hmm. outside of Guild Wars 2. It is an esports. It's a game I actually enjoy playing a lot. I, I really like the aesthetic of it, the um, the sort of, I guess, setting of it, uh, the idea of, of how, of, of Smite. I, I think it's a really cool game. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I just, I think I would enjoy casting it. So that's, that's sort of why I've, I've gotten into it. But, you think it's Again, important I, to be passionate about a game you cast? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. I, I think it's it's necessary. Um, okay. I I don't think I think a lot of the people that cast professionally are people who played the game, um, mm-hmm. who were involved in the community for you know several years in various different ways or whatever. And I think you're not going to be able to be a really good caster if you're not passionate about that game, if you don't care about the game, um, because you're certainly not going to be as good. You're just you have to want to see good gameplay. You have to want to be excited about mm-hmm. you know a, a certain player doing a certain thing, a certain team winning a certain in a certain way, whatever. And obviously, I think it's also important as a caster to not be biased, you know. But I, I, you need to be passionate because people are going to know as you as you said earlier if you're passionate about something or not. Yeah. And as a caster, your job is to obviously explain what's going on you know to people watching but also just to keep people invested in what's going on mm-hmm. you know i think if you if you imagined you know watching esports without people casting i think it would be a lot more boring than it why is. oh god <laughs> like i mean yeah, yeah like it's, why would you like like, like like spectating basically i i think i think casting is such an important part of of esports and you know yeah. i've Again, th- probably the last year or so, I've started trying to watch more different esports, and one of the things that people comment on a lot, mm-hmm. maybe not the most, but a lot, is the casting. It's, I mean, it's it's really, unless you just mute every single you know stream that you're watching, it's kind of what you're you know, I mean, you're listening to it, right? That's what you're listening to oh, when yeah. you're watching esports. That's what's kind of the majority of the of what you're seeing and hearing. I'd say, obviously, you're watching the gameplay, but you're hearing these people talk to you. I mean, it's the same as sports casting with baseball, football, you know, whatever, soccer, football for Europeans um, that you're watching, you know, whatever. Sports casting is very important, I think, for people. You know, you want to, if you're if you're watching it and, and you're listening to people talk about the game and what's going on, you don't want to listen to, A, people obviously, you know, giving you wrong information, but also just people being, you know, boring or not yeah. entertaining to listen to. I mean, yeah. so I, I, I think it's it's integral to to being part of a caster. And what's y- your perception of the overall appetite for esports casting, like just in general? Uh, like from like as, as from a consumer's point of view, or well, you, you've talked about making a career of it 
And it sounds like it's not so clear how to actually start doing that. Uh, that seems to imply to me that it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's a small, there aren't that many esports e casting jobs out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say for certain because I think there's, I'm sure there are probably places hiring casters or maybe looking for casters, although it might be more of a sort of temporary type deal than necessarily a long-term deal. Contract, sure. Um, because I think I've mostly tr looked at, you know, the bigger esports, the ones that most people know about. Um, and, but I think, I mean, esports as, as esports is growing. And I think that's one of, one of the things that sort of um, has, that I've, I've sort of gotten more interested in it in the last couple mm -hmm. of years. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very quickly growing industry. Um, it's, I think it's, I think it's a really fascinating industry um, personally. And I think that it's, you know, I mean, I, I grew up playing video games with my friends. I yeah. really like playing video games. Again, very casually, not really competitive for a very long time. But I think the idea of esports itself is just very cool. Uh, I, I'm very interested. I like it. I think it's. I think it's a. It's a. It's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that. Yeah. I mean, it is very hard to have a career in it. But if you do have a career in it, I think it's something that you can. You can really do your whole life because I don't think you know video games aren't going to go away. I think. You know, yeah, they're just gonna get competitive bigger. video gaming is yeah, it's it's only gonna keep growing. Um, yeah. So I think it's a I think it's a great industry to get into personally, uh, yeah, especially I, if you are passionate about video games. Yeah, I do have the sense uh, that um, what we're looking at here today is something that in five years, ten years, twenty years is just gonna get keep get, get keep getting bigger and bigger. I think yeah. the shape of it might change. I don't know how. I mean, we'll just have to see. But. Um, I think that the the, the role that the things like esports play in in the the public interest is only going to to grow over time, and there should be more casting jobs. But one question that just popped out at me while I was thinking about it is, why not make your own job? Why not be your run your own business and uh, you know just do it out of your Twitch channel? I mean, that's a possibility, I suppose. That way, you don't have to be uh, although, tied down by any specific game. People come there for you. Like, there's a huge advantage to that, and you're not subject to the whims of you know one contract or another. Yeah, I mean, that's something to think about. I I've never really made any sort of real effort. I would say to make streaming a a full time job or mm -hmm. career. Um, I it's think hard. I think streaming. It's it's extremely difficult. I, I think streaming is awesome. I, I love streaming. Um, and I think if I had the opportunity to make it into a full-time job, a career, I probably would take that opportunity, almost certainly. But I think it's it's one of those things that, y you know, you have to really have some sort of niche, but I think you also do have to get lucky in a sort of sense. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, there's, I think there's various, there's various different hurdles for me personally there, but um, in terms of you know, just kind of doing that and making it into a career, uh, it wouldn't, I don't think I'd be able to do it, uh, by casting, uh, just because I, unless, unless there were a lot of community events that I had the opportunity to cast, mm -hmm. um, which I mean, maybe, maybe that exists. I, I, it, it certainly could as far as I know, but I think that also the idea of being a part of an actual, uh, company, um, you know, and, and doing it professionally is also appealing to me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, on top of that, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I, said, I, I haven't really tried a hundred percent to to be a streamer. I mean, that's you know, I don't really consider myself a streamer in the same sense as I get that. maybe other people do. Yeah, I, I don't but, either. Um, even though I I'm literally streaming right now. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, and I think everyone's you know perspective on things might be different, but yeah, I mean, it's not something I've actually tried for. I don't I don't personally think I could do it. 
I don't know for sure, but well, I'm not. For one thing, I'm not very confident myself, uh, and I no one's confident. Like I said, it's yeah. I'm not I mean, confident. Well, I'm, Do I seem confident are, to you? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I, I mean, I you know. I sure, have no yeah. idea what I'm doing. I'm just well, most people have an idea what they're doing. That doesn't mean they're not confident, but um, yeah, exactly. I, like, okay, okay. Go go on. What are the other barriers? Well, it's just also you know. I don't play. I'm I'm a very mono gamer. I I really play one thing. And again, I, feel I, that. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna become a full time streamer playing Guild Wars two. It's it's not gonna happen. I feel that uh, stress. Up, I you know? I felt pressure. Just I I felt a new pressure on myself this year to kind of like taste more gaming experiences so that I can be a little mm-hmm. bit more conversant in various things that are going on. I logged into Guild Wars two to play the Dragon Response missions just because I felt like I needed to to understand what's going on. Um, sure. Yeah. Really, even sense. though they don't, they don't call to me. I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I was obsessed with Destiny for a few weeks with the new expansion, and now, and then I started playing the new World of Warcraft expansion because I felt like it's, it's, it's a, it's a taste I wanted to have. I wanted to be able to participate in the overall gaming conversation, and now I'm, I'm absorbed in that. And uh, I love mono gaming. Is I think it's a luxury that I can no longer afford if I want to keep doing a good job with this. Um, so I get yeah. that. I do. Yeah. No. I mean. It's, uh, but again, I mean, streaming is also just a very difficult thing to do as, as we, as we sort of touched upon. Yeah. Uh, it's, I definitely, I think, you know, you look at, I, I also have a, I'm, I'm really bad at comparing or not comparing myself to people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, Comparisons you know, I mean, you look at, you look at, you look at the, the top streamers on Twitch, right? And obviously that's not something that those are, those are the, those are the unique people, <coughs> right? Uh, you know the, the people that get twenty thousand views or whatever daily uh, mm-hmm. you know, on a regular basis. That's not that's not what you should aim for if you're trying to get into streaming. You know, um, but or trying to get into streaming as a full time career, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's an unreal expectation. You know, but I just have a lot of trouble imagining myself being able to stream as a full time career. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, again, various different reasons, I guess it's, it's kind of difficult to explain. It's just not really something I can, I can yeah. see myself being successful at. Although I just have a lot of trouble seeing myself being su- successful at anything, I think, but mm. uh, that's, uh, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I, who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe one day I'll try, but yeah. right now it's not, uh, it's not really what, uh, in, in the, in the cards for me, I think. Well, my heart goes out to you, dude. Um, <laughs> I, I hate to pull that card. Uh, how it, how old are you? You're in your 20s? I'm 24. 24. 24, yeah. Well, you're 24. Yeah. I'm 37. I remember what it was like to be 24. We're not the same person, for sure. But I, I there's something, there's, there's, in my experience, there's a certain grace to failure. Um, once you know you're going to fail, you're not afraid of it anymore. Or you're less afraid of it. Um, I don't know if, if this, this, call, this speaks to you at all, this idea. But um, I can tell you why... I decided to start doing this podcast because um, last year I was sitting on my thumbs playing. I had just quit playing World of Warcraft Classic because I promised myself at the outset that I was only going to play for a few months just to right. re-experience it, relive my youth a little bit. I was your age when WoW Vanilla came out. Um, and uh, I put it down and I was playing some Monster Hunter or something. I'm like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Just playing Monster Hunter in a fucking corner. Like after I get back from the job that I didn't like, like, what am I doing? Like, I, I, I need to, I love games and that's okay. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let myself love games, but playing games in a corner and bouncing from community to community and not getting the experience I wanted isn't like fulfilling to me long-term. So I'm going to try to create something. What can I create? 
what's a mm -hmm. skill that I have? Well, I can talk to people. Um, can I figure yeah. out how to talk to people on stream? Yeah, I can, I can do that. Um, so let's just fucking do it. I got a couple of my old gaming buddies to agree to jump on podcasts with me. And that was my, my, my way of easing into it. Um, and we did a few shows that precisely zero people listened to, and that's okay. Learning, learning experience. And over sure. time, what I'm doing has developed into this, this interview show that you're experiencing now. And early on, it was very, very primitive. Like I had, there was no webcams or anything like that. I had a shitty microphone. Like we were talking about like our, our top 10, like our top three games of the decade. Like the, 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 the most, the most, you know, simple, easy grab ideas you can imagine just to make something. Um, and I, I don't know where it's going, but for me, just making meaning out of games has, mm. is something that I felt like I needed to start doing. And so when you started talking about the ERP and what you got out of it and what you wanted to channel, I got kind of excited because I kind of felt like there's, we have, we, 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 we kind of shared a, a, there's something there that's kind of similar to what I feel like I experienced. And sure. I just, I just want to encourage you to chase it, whatever that looks like for you. Well, thank you. That's all. And I think it's, I think what you're doing is great. I mean, I, I love podcasts. I think they're awesome. And you are very clearly skilled at, at talking to people. So, <laughs> well, thank I think, you. Uh, I think that's, I think that's great. And yeah, that's... I mean, chasing your dream is certainly a good aspiration, you know, and hopefully one day I'll get there. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, um, there is a hazard in not chasing your dream that everyone, everyone should know about. Um, when people are at the end of their lives, this is known. What they regret is not their mistakes, their failures. What people regret is failure to act and failure to ch to do something that they wanted to do. Sure. Um, yeah. And you got a lot, a lot of life left, so I'm, I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you get, you'll get to it. Um, but speaking of things that that maybe at, at the end of their lives, maybe we should get back to talking about Guild Wars oh, a little bit. What a great segue! Oh yeah, <laughs> smooth baby. <laughs> So we were we were just talking about guild versus guild, which which is a community made thing, and that we transitioned into talking about the ERP. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about guild versus guild before I get back to a couple other things? I mean, there's a lot to say about it. I guess you know. Okay. I, for, we could we could, I know I know I'm gonna well I'm gonna say we can sit here for hours and you're gonna say great well, that's, we're that's what we're doing. But when I say we can sit here for hours, I really mean we could be here okay. until tomorrow. Well, probably. how do you feel uh, about Guild versus Guild being dead? Does that bum you out? Of course it does. Yeah, oh, I hate it. I Tell mean, me I, about that. I, you know, I, I talk about how the ERP was sort of the most enjoyable. Not, I, not, I shouldn't say the most enjoyable experience I've had, but it was a peak. Certainly a one peak of the most moment. unique. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it was huge for me, and it was definitely, I think, probably the most sort of professional tournament I put on, besides maybe the Moda. But mm -hmm. GVG has always kind of been, I guess, my heart sort of to be a romantic, um, uh -huh. you know, to be poetic. But yeah. it's it's always been the community that I think was the most important to me that I was really a part of that, you know, I think I kind of helped to build something myself in. And yeah, it, I it definitely saddens me that it, it has sort of gotten worse, um, that it's it's really at a, a low point right now. Um, it's it's unfortunate for sure yeah. um and i wish i wish there was something we could do but i mean you know when you when you look at gillers 2 you look at world vs world you look at gvg something that that really has that i always has have have thought is that you know the community has largely been i think left to their own devices um by arena net and 
sort of forced to to make things their own and in some ways more than others in some places more than others but um you know i think that what we did as a community at least on eu and in some ways on an a for the gvg community the gvg scene i'm proud of what we did and i think we did a really good job i think we accomplished a lot but there is you know a certain point where without proper support without at least a little bit of a helping hand there's only so much we can do okay and i think we reached that point um and i think that until something changes the gvg scene is not going to necessarily improve what sort of thing would and need it, to change it does come to the it does come to the community a bit and and we can talk about this as well mm-hmm. but i think that i mean straight up i mean the absolute number one most important thing is we need a a real arena for gvg Okay. Uh, every everything, every single place that you GVG currently, or that you have historically GVG that I mentioned, you know, previously, mm-hmm. there's an issue with them, with all of the different arenas. There's different issues, but they all have an issue. There's there's no perfect <coughs> arena. There's no perfect place to GVG. Yeah. And we need one, uh, because it's extremely difficult to organize tournaments right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the community has wanted, at least on EU, another tournament for a while. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, about organizing a tournament, when the next one might be, because, you know, I I was kind of the main organizer for GVG tournaments for a while. Mm -hmm. And I've said for the last probably year and a half now, uh, until an arena comes out, I'm not doing one because Mm. it's it's honestly almost more trouble than it's worth to organize a tournament. And tournaments are something that I think helps keep the GVG scene thriving and competitive, which some people might disagree with because you usually see a lot of burnout after tournaments but yeah i don't think there's necessarily something wrong with that i think that's kind of normal i i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing um i think there's ways to sort of make there be less burnout to alleviate that pressure a little bit on on groups that you know that might feel it and i think you should do that if you can but i don't think that necessarily that a that a guild taking a break from the game after you know really pushing themselves trying really hard to perform in a tournament after that tournament ends, I don't think them taking a break is a bad thing. I don't think that's indicative of, of a failure. Nah. I think it's fine for that to happen. I think it's normal for that to happen. So I think you also need those very big pull moments. People organize yeah. around them, like they get people excited. Without those, like, and I a, think a lot of people need we, those to get to get excited to do the stuff that's in between. The fact that we haven't had one in a while, I think, has led to this bo- the scenes on both regions starting to slip, starting to get less competitive, starting Makes to sense. die. And so, you know, I think that's a huge part of it. And also just because having a proper arena, having a place to just that you, that's where we GVG. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously just going to make GVGs easier to to coordinate just in general. But it also, I think, sort of, it's a nice symbol from ArenaNet because, again, throughout all the history of Guild Wars 2, the only time that we've ever really had ArenaNet kind of be like, yes, this is your place to GVG is the Edge of the Mist Arena that, you know that essentially really ben created for us ain't it mm-hmm. ben p and that was Shout one guy i mean ben. he had a map artist obviously to help him and i think a programmer but i mean it was his sort of you know initiative there that did that so it wasn't even the company as a whole it was essentially just a handful of yeah, developers a little, little passion project so within the company have it you know there's a lot more that i think the community would really appreciate and that i think the scene would definitely need to help grow but what's the minimum viable product what would it take I mean, like I said, that arena, I think having an actual official arena would be, you know, the the, the biggest and first stepping stone. Um, are we talking to, about like um, like a, a, a custom PvP game mode? Are we talking about like another so, section to the world versus world screen? Like what are we talking about? 
so you know, I mean, obviously, I, you you might be aware that um, ArenaNet has discussed in the past a fifteen v fifteen PvP mode that they sort of were thinking I about working on at one point. No, so they they've talked about it in the past, um, and a lot of people sort of look at that as oh maybe that would be for GVG, but because GVG and Guild Wars Two is a subset of World vs World, it uses the World vs World rule set, and so mm-hmm. obviously you know Which the means PVE, what? so the PVE, the PVP, and the World vs World rule sets are different. Um, uh, PV PVP and World vs World are kind of similar, but they are different. And my so, understanding is know, that the changes are mainly to do with the fact that there are d- different variants of skills depending on depending on game. Right. Mode. Yeah. So some. So skills you need have to, different. So would it be better to have the World v World, or is it, it's not like the, the World v World version of all the skills would be preferred for a, a GVG Well, yeah, mode. because again, it's it's from it's a subset of World versus World. It's it's always sure. been a part of World versus World, and so to take it out of World versus World would be a mistake. And, and that's actually part of the reason that the the Guild Hall arenas are not good for GVG because they use the PVE rule set. Right. And honestly, playing in the GVG arena at this point, especially because of how many different splits we've had in terms of mm-hmm. skills, playing mm-hmm. in in the arena, the Guild Hall arena, is essentially a completely different meta than playing in World versus World. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not as enjoyable. It's it feels worse to play because there's a lot of very strong oppressive skills that aren't nerfed in PVE that are nerfed in World versus World. I mean, you know, World versus World specific nerfs they were nerfed for a reason in World versus World, but they're not nerfed in PVE, mm-hmm. and so it feels a lot worse to play in there. Um, and that's one of the big reasons you can't play in the Guild Hall arena. It's it's pretty much the main reason. So the skills. And so what else? So. I mean, so yeah, if there is was the, an arena is, to be is created, PVE gearing important, or would would PVP style gearing be fine? Well, no. So that's and that's another big part of it. One of the biggest things that I think is unique to GVG and World versus World in some ways, uh, and and attracted me to the game mode, and I think attracted a lot of people to the game mode is theory crafting. And obviously, there's theory crafting that comes into PVP. But I I feel as though you're limited a little bit by only being able to run an amulet. You know, you don't have trinkets. You you run one stat, and this is a little bit less of a of a of a point I think now than it was pre Heart of Thorns and certainly mm-hmm. pre Path of Fire. But you know, being able to sort of come up with you know every little bit of the build, you know, down to the sigils, down to the infusions you run, down to the food that you use in World versus World is a huge part of GVG. And you know, I think it, it, it at at one point certainly, and maybe now as well, it set guilds apart. You know, having a really competent theory crafter, having a a specific person or a specific group of people that were really good at theory crafting that could come up with these really good builds, build mm-hmm. designs and compositions for a, a 15v15 guild GVG made certain guilds better. And I mean, you know, there you 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 think about the top guilds in the history of the game. You know the best GVG guilds, and a lot of them had very prominent theory crafters that you mm-hmm. that people knew about that people would say, oh this specific guild had this specific theory crafter and that was part uh-huh. of the reason why they were so successful and that's that's part of the history the guild of GVG, wizard. and that's <laughs> I fucking yeah, love that and and that's part of i think the appeal of it and so to to take that away from GVG at least in Guild Wars 2 GVG would be a mistake as well so yes ideally the arena would use the world versus world rule set and it would use the world versus world style of gear as well okay so how does the the island in in world v world now not live up to like what is it missing? So the the areas that you would GVG in um, in the actual Borderlands, they mm-hmm. share a similar issue to the Edge of the Mist areas that you would fight. In that anyone can just jump in. Um, okay. So and this is obviously part of you know one of the drawbacks to the game mode not being official. It's very susceptible and it's has had thing. history 
of griefing. And this is also one of the reasons why the GVG scene died this last summer, um, was getting very horribly griefed. Um, and so if you're out in the borderlands, you're in Edge of the Mists, potentially anybody can just run in and mess up your fight um, mm-hmm. and just screw with you and stop and really prevent you from being able to to play properly and, and really have an enjoyable experience. So that's, that is one of the bigger bigger issues with those areas. The other really big issue with... Um, the specifically the borderland uh, areas, apart from the fact that they're you know they're limited by the landscape, so mm-hmm. you know there's there's hills, there's you know different like various rocks or plants or whatever that you can get caught on, which and I know it might sound kind of boring to some people, but essentially the perfect place to GVG is just a, a, a flat piece of ground, you know, with with nothing else, just flat. So and, is, um, is GVG just a brawl? Essentially, yeah. I mean, it's team deathmatch. Okay. But um, so, wasn't so GPG in Guild, Guild Wars One? Wasn't it more objective based? Yes, yes. It was, like I said, they're very different. They're not the same at all. Okay. Not the same sort of game okay. mode at all. Um, and I will. We can get into this. I know I've said this many times now. GVG is way more complex than it sounds, as far as I'm concerned. Um, okay. But so the other big issue with the the borderland specific areas is that you're limited to fighting people in your matchup. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned before, you know you're put yeah. into a week long matchup. So if you're fighting in the Borderlands, you can only fight groups from the other two servers you're against. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm in if I'm on server X and I'm fighting server Y and Z, I can't fight guilds from servers A through W, right? Makes sense. So that's that's very limited. Mm-hmm. Edge of the Mists, there's like I said, there's a couple different areas in Edge of the Mists, and of course the arena as well. Edge of the Mists is a little bit better because you're split into different color groups in Edge of the Mists. Okay. So there's three colors in World versus World. There's red, blue, and green. Mm-hmm. And so what Edge of the Mist does is it takes all the green servers and it puts them on one team. All the red servers puts them on one team. All the blue servers and puts them all on one team. Mm-hmm. So if you're on a green server, you could fight anyone that's on a red or a blue server, obviously mm-hmm. on, on your region. Um, but again, that means you can't fight anyone that's the same color as you. Uh, and again, if you're in Edge of the Mist, you're very susceptible to being griefed. The landscape of the areas is not really very good for, for GVGing in. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues there. Okay. Okay. So I'm hearing access is an issue. So just being able to play the people you want to play against. Um, control of the arena is an issue. So the ability to make sure only only combatants enter or leave. Um, and outside of that, of course, the world v. world variant of gear and skills. What else? And I mean, this is something that's very similar to, I'd say right now, I mean, even PvP, um, certainly raiding. Uh, you know, being in Guild Wars 2, if you want to be the best at something, a lot of the reason you're doing that is just that self-motivation, as we mm-hmm. talked about before. And that's obviously very true for GVG. There's, there is no, you know, no reward whatsoever for it. The only mm-hmm. thing you're getting is, is you can say to yourself and to other people you GVG with, I, I am the best at, at this or whatever. I, mm-hmm. my guild is better than your guild, whatever. And you know, so some sort of real reward for it would be really nice, you sure. know, whether that's, whether those are, you know, some sort of automated tournament system like PvP now has, uh, something dope. that's unique to the game mode, um, and obviously I think World vs. World suffers from this sort of thing, thing as well. And like I said, I mean, raiding certainly has, has its same, similar issues there. I think some sort of leaderboards, like official leaderboards for GVG, for raiding, um, for fractals, and, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're aware, man. you know, a bit of a meme, the fractal yeah. leaderboards, yeah. Uh, you know, Obviously, dungeons are very dead right now, but dungeon speedrunning, some sort of leaderboard for that would have been great. You know, I think, ha- you know, 
being able to to go to somewhere because right now you could go to Heart of the Mists, right? And there's you know you can see the statues of the monthly winners or whatever. And obviously that changes every month, but that's, that's still very that's cool. still significant. I like that a lot. If there was something in game that said historically team aggression, you know they had the best win rate out of any GVG guild ever for official GVGs. You know if there was oh. somewhere to see that, that would be awesome. If, or you know, like you tournament say, statues, things like that. Yeah, I mean something like that would be would be great because uh, you know. As someone who has played this game mode very competitively at the top levels of competition, and you know mm-hmm. maybe that's not saying much because again it's a small community run game mode, but I- I'm still proud of it. Mm-hmm. As someone who's done that, you have to have that self motivation, and that self motivation only lasts so long. And I, I mean, I still have it in some ways, and I, it, la- it has lasted me a very long time. It's lasted a lot of players and guilds and groups of people uh, a-, a long time. But there's a certain point where you will get burnt out, where where you will have a lot of trouble finding that motivation and pushing yourself, especially when every GVG, every tournament, every part of the community has to be driven fully and 100% by the community. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to do. Yeah, it's exhausting. I, mean, I, I genuinely think there was a point where I was working full-time, but I was putting more work and effort into organizing tournaments in Guild Wars yeah. 2 and, and GVGs and All working bad. on the community and helping to build it up. And part of that is, honestly, my job didn't require very much, you know, but I also just think that's how much I had to do. And and Mm -hmm. it's not just me by any means, but me and a lot of other people had to do and put work into and put effort into making the community. Yeah, I've been involved in a few different like community organized leagues and across different games. Planetside is a game I play that has a completely community run six versus six league with very minimal support from the studio. And they're always barking for more. Um. The, yes. the beer league I told you about is entirely community run. Like there's nothing yeah. Valve doesn't even know about it. Um, and if, in every single case in those situations, people who actually run those things, it's a tremendous amount of unpaid work to do that. It is. And, you know, I think, as you mentioned, you know, just the examples you gave, you know, there's similar stories like this all over the place in, mm-hmm. in, in Guild Wars 2 and in other games and other scenarios and stuff. But I think something that, that really sort of speaks to me is that historically gvg has kind of been shunned by anet by the general guild wars 2 community and so to not only have to go through all this effort and work to not only have to find this self-motivation to continue Mm. producing this content and 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 make trying to make it better you also have to kind of live with the fact that you're almost like this this shunned black sheep of the family that Mm. people just want to shit on and that you know it feels almost like the company like Arena Net would almost prefer if we didn't exist. And I, I think there's other communities and other sort of game modes that feel this way in the game. And I know that Arena Net as a company does not, they don't have some vendetta against GVG, I, I hope, but it does and has felt like that at some times. And, mm-hmm. and that's a horrible feeling to, to, yeah. to have, to be playing this game mode, to this, this thing that you love, that you're so passionate about for years. And ne- not only never getting support, but essentially getting the opposite of that just feels really bad. Yeah. And it it honestly has depressed me in the past. And it's it's just, it's very unfortunate. And I, I think it's a real shame. Uh, and, and again, you know, I, I don't want to make it seem like GVG is the only thing that's experienced this. World vs. World as a whole has. I think raiding has. You know, PvP has. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's a real shame. And, and it really shows that just overall in the game i think arena has kind of dropped the ball when it comes to community initiatives when it comes to supporting parts of the community uh that have existed or do exist um right and it's just i think it's i think it's a shame i think it's it's disappointing yeah i hear that 
I hear that it's difficult to be the standard bearer of of something that's not widely accepted when it's, it takes a huge amount of effort and the result of it is is only all the rewards are are only intrinsic and they're constantly compromised by uh, uh, it being a small community in the first place. Yeah. And the fact that there's a much larger community of casual players out there who are happy to just laugh at you because uh, games, live service games, just have this emergent phenomenon of um, people who prefer, who, who, who take out their negative feelings on other people who play the game. Um, yeah. Like, I think the classic example is the period after Heart of Thorns when there was a uh, content drought for everybody except for raiders. And the amount of the amount of vitriol generated by the underserved uh, PvP world v world and casual PVE communities, especially yeah, um, against yeah. against people who were just uh, raids were a new thing. Like, um, and there are a lot of other examples of that too. It's really unfortunate. In my sense, is that ArenaNet and I'm sure most developers in general um, don't so much have a vendetta against any anyone playing a specific game mode but they're i think rightfully afraid about there being these centers of public resentment around parts of their game um and i think that makes them hesitant to do i would imagine that it would make them hesitant to do things like put in little nods like a 15 v 15 pvp game mode um we saw the guild arenas come in, and I'm I'm positive that that when you saw those in the teasers leading up to Heart of Thorns, that those were a yep. big moment for guild versus guild. That was like, yep. oh my god, is this actually happening? Yep. And and then it was another letdown. <laughs> yeah, and there were just huge problems with it, the PVE rule set and everything else, um, and all these other little nods of where you say Ben was able to help get this this kind of arena stubbed in in World v. World, but it has, you know, there's huge limitations, which is something that um, would just take a large amount of effort and resources to overcome. And it's a complicated dynamic between the developers who honestly care about the game and the community playing it, like the Ben P's out there, and I'm sure there are many more that we don't even know about. Yeah, um, the people who are passionate about playing a game but not getting what they want yet, and um, and the 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 decision makers within a game studio who are trying to synthesize all those things, and let's be honest, the the silent majority of people who don't speak with their on programs like these and don't show up to the Reddit, but they speak with their feet and with their dollars. Yeah, it's very complicated. But I, I definitely, and I, I, I ranted about this um, when I met with Raka a couple weeks ago. I definitely think that the solution to these kinds of things is not a world versus world game mode. It's not putting out more raids, although those things could be part of it. But just communication. What are you doing? What do you? Th- what? How should the community be enjoying your game? What can we yep. expect? Hey, Guild versus Guild's not really on our radar. We think it's a great part of, 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 of the legacy of Tyria. We don't see it going forward. Let people move on. Yeah. Or say it's something we've always wanted to do. We don't know if it's going to be possible, but it's yeah. not it's not on, it's not gonna happen within the next whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um no. and is that is that a result of is it a policy or is that an emergent or is, is that, that failure to communicate an emergent phenomenon? 
And if so, what does it emerge from? Does it emerge from constantly changing leadership? Or does it or, or does it emerge from technical limitations or just literally the studio not being focused on Guild Wars as a primary um, uh, future initiative? There are so many things to unpack and so many uncertainties, um, even from someone sitting in your position who's been a community insider for years and years. I, I, I can't even imagine. Um, and I, 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 I understand why you would feel reluctant to respond to the call to do another tournament. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, I, it's not necessarily that I don't want to, or I don't have the motivation to as much, but it is also, you know, again, we are limited by various different, different things, but I do think I am slightly burnt out in Guild Wars 2 as well. I certainly was over the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I lacked a lot of motivation to, to play the game, to be as involved with the community with streaming and stuff. Um, but you know, I think as you said, you know, we, we've seen this sort of, you know, examples of this with the, the raids being released during HUT and stuff versus the content drought for everything else. Um, and ArenaNet just not being great at communicating in general and, and historically for sure. And I certainly don't want to just, you know, completely bash ANET and just place all the, the blame on ArenaNet mm -hmm. or whatever, because it's not a hundred percent, you know, on them. I think, I think, you know, there have been some instances where the community has dropped the ball as well, but uh, you know, various different communities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I do think it it is important to to think about, I mean, you know, as you said, why are these things happening? You know, is this is this uh, some sort of emergent behavior? Is this a reaction to ReInternet doing something? I think it's, I personally, I think it's a lot of different things. I think also the development of the game for a really long time has uh, sort of gone more casual. It's kind of been in, in the direction of, of a more casual game. Um, and I think that, you know, you're not exactly encouraged to play the game in a hardcore fashion, in a competitive fashion, putting a lot of time and effort into it. And I, I actually almost think it's funny, you know, that, you know, you sort of say, well, you know, we needs to communicate, uh, hey, you know, GVG was something that was cool, but we're not really going to look into it. In a way, I think they kind of have done that before, but, you know, we're just very stubborn and we keep doing it ourselves. So, <laughs> again, that's that's kind of, you know, us doing it to ourselves. Yeah, but, well, maybe... I, I, Maybe that's it right there. Like people, communication can come in many forms and sometimes silence is communication. Yeah. But you know, at, at the same time, I, I do feel, and of course, you know, I don't know the specific limitations arena has to deal with, but you know, I, to me personally, creating some sort of space for GVG, even if you don't want to support the game mode, I don't think that should be something that is, is impossible to do that requires very much. That would be a, a terrible thing for the company to do whether they view it as themselves or, or, or you know, various parts of the, the, the Guild Wars 2 community view it. So, you know, I, I think it's a little hard for me to accept, I think, um, you know, if ArenaNet was to say, we just aren't interested in, in supporting GVG or whatever, for the, because I think there's, you know, it's very obvious that there is a, or, or at least has been, a large community, even maybe not large compared to, you know, the number of people playing Guild Wars 2, but still a large, you know, well-put-together community uh, active community that really wants this to happen, that mm -hmm. is really interested. And again, I think, I mean, creating a space for that to happen, even if you're not fully and, and completely supporting the game mode, I think is is not something that's difficult to do. I think it's a huge boon to this community, and I think this is represented in, again, raids, PvP, etc. Um, and I, I just think it's it's been a mistake, honestly, um, that they, they haven't exploited. I, I think that they that ArenaNet really should have and could have 
gone in many different directions with Guild Wars 2 that they didn't go in. Um, and I, I think it's, again, I, you know, it's just a shame that they didn't do it. They're, you know, right now Guild Wars 2 is successful. You know, they're making money. They're doing a good enough job, obviously. You know, we had the layoffs last year, and, and that was really unfortunate. But mm-hmm. I think they've kind of recovered from that. And I think that they, you know, for them, they're doing something. You know, they're moving in a fine direction. I think for people like me, for people like Teapot, you know, it's it's disappointing. But we're, we've kind of done that to ourselves. And yet at the same time, I think a lot of us sort of see the potential Guild Wars 2 had. We, we sort of see what it could have been. Mm-hmm. And now what it is instead, and we're just saddened by that. And maybe we do it to ourselves. Maybe it's our fault. Maybe we shouldn't have had these expectations. Maybe we should just say, well, it is what it is, and we move on. But you know what? I mean, Guild Wars 2 is a great game, and it is very unique in a lot of ways. It's very difficult to move on from, I think, for a lot of people. And, I mean, I don't want to move on from it. I want to keep playing Guild Wars 2. I want to keep putting mm-hmm. passion and effort and resources and time into it and stuff, but... At some point, you know, if if there isn't going to be any sort of reciprocation from ArenaNet, I can't keep doing that. You know, it's it's not yeah. something that I can just that I can just keep doing. So it's you know, it's a lot of different stuff. Yeah. But. Cast not pearls before swine. Sure. Um, okay. <laughs> so a few a few interesting things in that that I think might be interesting to kind of riff off of. Um, I I agree with your your message about personal accountability. Like we can't live in 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 the land of furnace taken, of arena is the worst and destroyed, yeah, destroyed my life. We all have to decide how we want to engage with the world around us. And the world, unlike video game worlds, the world is not made for us. And uh, and many, of course, uh, to varying degrees. Um, and I I see that with with the hard stuck set going on right now, where there's this this very um, public choice to. Be like, hey, I'm just going to embrace what I love, and um, I'm not going to worry about what I don't. Um, mm. I think I take yeah. a, a little bit of a different stance on it. I think it's possible to take accountability and and, and recognize what's good and also learn from what's bad. Um, th- the trick is to to learn about it but not get, not get stuck in it. Um, and the GVG mode seems the idea of GVG seems like one of those things that people are are some people are stuck are stuck on, um, and maybe many more have have become unstuck. I don't know. I, I wanted to ask you earlier um, when talking about some of the the technical requirements that would be needed to um, to make a GVG mode work. Like, just put yourself in the shoes of let's say. Let's say the end of Dragon's feature set is being revealed. Um, by the way, uh, shout out to Vcore who just hosted the stream. What's up, folks? Hey, uh, my up? name is Deeg. I'm here with Roy. We're talking about a game called Guild Wars 2. And uh, we're ranting a little bit. We're just going to lean in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, kick back and enjoy. And and uh, what's up, Lex? Good seeing you again, as always. Um, so talking about um i i got i gotta be better about writing down what i was talking about before i thank someone for a host i always get about limitations with uh uh, at the end of dragons oh uh, yeah okay put put yourself in in the shoes of someone seeing these like like end of dragons feature set and let's say that one of the things that they announced is that they've they've they're introducing the ability to make 15 v 15 custom game custom pvp lobbies so and 
and a selection of appropriate arenas, and let's say that they they actually have something there that is usable, and for something that that resembles um, the open field format of World versus World, it doesn't have the World v World rule set in terms of skills, and it doesn't have the World v World build craft. You'd be stuck with PvP rules. Is that something that you would embrace on behalf of the Guild versus Guild community, or is it still would it still not be enough? So. Uh, this this discussion has happened a lot actually in in the community I think and um I guess I guess the only way to say that is yes and no uh, so not only first of all the the two things you mentioned in terms of the the world visual buildcraft and the rule set are not the only issue that PVP offers uh, mm-hmm. in terms of trying to GVG the okay. and this is actually um, you know I mentioned before Arena has has talked a little bit about trying to create a fifteen v fifteen sort of arena or game mode for PVP. Um, and and the biggest re- or the reason they haven't really released it yet because there's a map I think that I know of uh, I've I've heard that there's an actual map that's there uh, or you know they they had a map that was created or something um, but the the reason that they haven't released it is because they are unable to uh, implement squads into PvP they're unable to get the party UI into PvP so right now if you go into a PvP arena a custom arena yeah you can have you can have ten people on each side. But they're all in one party, so mm-hmm. you know there's no there's no difference there in party. And having uh, having all 15 people in one party is a very big limiter um, in terms of trying to GVG. And, and it's because the way that buff sharing and stuff like that works. Versus, exactly, yeah, because it's it's usually limited to five people party. That's um, wild have, to me that that's such a huge problem because we 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 see it in like dragon response missions too and strikes right, right? where yeah. they yeah. don't put you in a party, which seems completely ridiculous. Yeah, and so that would be one big issue if, if that was actually a thing. All that aside, though, you know, would would I personally sort of embrace this? Would some people in the GVG personally embrace it? Um, I definitely think some people would give it a try. I think that you know some people would like it. But the thing is, maybe maybe I'm selfish or spoiled or whatever, and you know, fair enough. But I don't really see why you would sort of change something that isn't broken. You know, historically, throughout all of Guild Wars two since the beginning of you know, the release of Guild Wars 2 to now, GVG and Guild Wars 2, again, GVG specific to Guild Wars 2, not, mm-hmm. not Guild Wars 1, was a subset of World vs. World. It, you know, it hasn't always been 15v15. There were times where it was 20v20 or 25v25. And again, the the meta, the gameplay of GVG and stuff has, has definitely changed. It's definitely evolved. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very different from the first iteration. But it's still always been a part of World vs. World. And to me, to try and... and make it into something different to try and create this pvp lobby for it i just don't see the point i don't i don't personally if if you know if someone from arena was like hey we have we have this idea we want to make a a custom arena in in pvp for 15s i would tell them just not to waste their time because i don't see the point to i mean for gvg maybe other people are interested in that and fair enough i think if it were done a thing probably they wouldn't use the word gvg to talk about it Yes, and I, I think the hope would be that it, it would attract it would attract its own audience that would yes. w- would have some overlap with people who play GVG. And it sounds like for you, you're you're the purist. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's not exactly I'm a purist. Uh, to be honest, I just don't think it would be that fun, especially considering okay. the limitations it has. I think without the party setups, it it doesn't really make sense. It wouldn't really be enjoyable. It would kind of just be a, a cluster, okay, uh, of nonsense. But yeah, I'm sure there are people that would enjoy it, and I'm not saying it couldn't happen, it shouldn't happen, and it would be a terrible idea. Maybe, maybe it would be fine. Maybe it would be fun for some people. But 
as far as I'm concerned, and I think for some people, and again, I can't speak for the entire GVG community, but I think mm-hmm. for some people, it wouldn't be considered GVG, and at least not for Guild Wars 2 GVG. And so I, I don't exactly see the point. I'm not really, you know, I, I think it would be the wrong direction to go in if you're trying to support GVG. I mean, it would be kind of like if Arena it was like, oh, we're going to try and support raids by uh, making dungeons 10-man instead of five content you know it's it's just not the same thing and especially because right now dungeons they're not really good content and making it 10 men instead of five would actually probably be worse yeah you know you but go the other direction it, with that it's 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 just not really i think what makes sense for for gvg if you're trying to support the community and i see i mean again i think there are very obvious simple things that you could do to support the gvg community if you wanted to making a 15 v 15 custom arena in pvp is not one of them I see. Maybe it would be good for the community. Maybe it would be a fun thing to do, and, and yeah, that's fine. I, I you know I don't have I don't have a problem with it. I mean I don't want to stand in someone else's way. It's, it's just like with raids, you know, as you as you mentioned before, the responses around Heart of Thorns. Just because you know another game mode or another group or whatever is getting support, that doesn't mean that I should shit on them. I should be like, oh no, that's they shouldn't get that because I haven't. And you know, so of mm-hmm. course I'm not going to do that. But yeah, for me personally, no, I I wouldn't really be interested in that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Makes sense. Yeah, this is the GVG stuff is something that I have no exposure to at all. So I'm I'm learning a lot here from this conversation. A lot of people don't. Yeah. Um. It seems like you kind of I would imagine need to either see someone like you doing it on stream in order to get interested, or to stumble into one of those guilds that does it. Um. And I imagine that would happen out out in normal world v world gameplay. Well, that's why I think it's also really important to sort of keep it in world versus world because I think world versus world and GVG feed off of each other. Okay. I think that when World vs. World was really healthy, it made GVG healthier, and vice versa. Ah. Because if you look at, think about PvP, right? You look at, you know, Team USA, the best team on NA. You look at Rank 55 Dragons, the best team sort of on, on the U, right? A lot of people will look to those teams. A lot of people will look to those players uh, uh, to sort of shape the meta, to sort of be like, okay, this is how you play the game. And obviously there's a lot of, you know, there's more people than that that, that influence this a lot of streamers, a lot of build sites, whatever. But that's sort of how I think of GVG influencing World vs. World. But also, if you think World vs. World, when World vs. World is really healthy, you know, I think that it, it makes it easier for GVG guilds mm-hmm. to to exist because they're, they're going to be recruiting from that World vs. World population usually. Right. They're going to be right. getting those players. And also, when GVG is healthier, a lot of the people who GVG... <clears throat> They're, I mean, they're world versus world players, right? You're not going to be going from PVEing to GVGing usually. You're going right. to be going from world versus world to GVG for the most part. Right. And so when when GVG is really healthy, you have all these sort of, I'd say, higher echelon of players, really hardcore players. Mm-hmm. When they're all really trying to be competitive and they're playing a lot and they're very active, they're going to be playing in world versus world as well. Yeah, and a trying lot of those out builds and are, hanging out with their friends. They're the ones that really drive a large portion, in my opinion, of, of the community. Uh, on both regions that you know you'll see a lot of those like there used to be you you would go into a a an open world or an open field group mm-hmm. 50 60 people and you'd see a lot of tags that you would recognize from various gvg guilds from those really right. high-end guilds and you don't see that as much anymore or at least you see it from from you know guilds that are long since dead and so I, I think it's really important for those two game modes to sort of exist at the same time and both be healthy because they feed off of each other and i, and I think that's something that is really important. I also think in terms of understanding GVG, 
and this is this is sort of Guild Wars 2 as a whole. It's kind of a difficult spectator sport, Guild Wars 2, but GVG especially. Yeah. I mean, it. I I'll be the first to admit, GVG is not very easy to watch. It it looks uh, like complete nonsense. I mean, it's 15 people going into 15 people. As you said, it's it's just team deathmatch. It's head to head. There's a lot of huge animations going on. Even even casting it, you know, it's not always the easiest thing to see what's going on unless you've played in a GVG, unless you've been a part of that group. Mm-hmm. And and there's very different levels to it too because there's GVG at the very low level, you know, casually, and there's GVG at the very high end level, all, all the way at the top. And they're they're two different things, honestly. Mm-hmm. Unless you've done that, it's very difficult to understand what's going on. It's very difficult to understand GVG, I think, as a whole. Um, and that's part of the reason why, you know, you said and I said that, you know, a lot of people have they don't have the greatest understanding or idea of GVG. Um, and that's not to that's not to sort of be like, oh, we're superior or we're better, you know, we we're so much smarter than you or anything like that. It's just unless you've done it, it is I think it's hard to understand and it's hard to sort of see what's going on. And that's the same yeah. for I think Guild Wars 2 in general. Oh yeah. In what not way? just unique. Yeah. Well, I think so, I mean, I think with, with Conquest, right? Um, and this was something that Teapot really wanted to sort of try and, and change with the moda. It's not the easiest game mode to watch. Obviously, yeah. you can look at Conquest and you say, okay, there's these points. They have to get to 500 points to win. You get points for holding nodes. You get points for killing people, right? That's yeah. fine. But knowing every single little skill, every single little interaction, all the different conditions, all the different boons, you know, mm-hmm. how boons can convert to conditions and vice versa, it unless you've played the game for a long time, and I think this is the same for a lot of games, but for Guild Wars 2, really, like, yeah. it's not really the best thing to watch. That's a legibility not, problem. It's not the most in- intuitive thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, 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 it does suffer from that. Um, and But, I mean, definitely World versus World and GVG, especially because there's no real spectate mode, uh, it's it's very difficult to watch and, and see anything except for just a bunch of people running into each other with a ton of flashy animations, you know. And I understand that, and I accept that. And I think that's part of the reason why GVG has had a harder time sort of growing as well. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, it, it's go. linked in many ways to the success of World vs. World. And yep. um, it's just, as a spectator sport, it, it leaves something to be desired, which is something it shares with all Guild Wars spectator sports in many ways. Yeah, I think like this, one of the strengths of like the ERP is that the focus is in some ways less on what the characters are doing and more on the mechanics that are occurring, which are kind of easy to see usually, and what the bosses are doing. Um, you can kind of tell what is going on and how, how a group is doing just by looking at their health bars, like how many people are dead. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, I guess there, there would be that in like a GVG mode. But again, um, because what you're achieving is, 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 is a little easier to track and the progress being made towards it is easier to, to narrate and to understand. Um, I ran into something similar to this when I was doing my uh, my casting with Team Fortress Classic earlier this year, where uh, the basic game mode is capture the flag, and right. both teams are trying to capture each other's flag at the same time. And so there's two objectives at all times in the map. And so I had to solve the problem in my casting of how do I how do I keep people interested in what's going on when I can only look at one flag at a time. And my solution to that problem was bringing a co-caster pipe his POV over to me and show it on my stream at the same time. Um, Right. Which is, you know, what you do. Um, And I did a bunch of other stuff too, but like, yeah. Um, And I I don't really want to necessarily get into a big discussion about um, animations and stuff like that. Like whatever. Sure. It's, it's, it's kind of is is what it is. Uh, But yeah, I hear you. 
I wonder, um, okay, I'm going to be honest. We're getting to about the two-hour point, and I need to take a piss. All right. So I'm going to take a couple minutes. Uh, I'm going to okay. put a uh, uh, an intermission screen up. I will leave okay. the mic open if you want to talk to the chat, Roy. You feel free to do so. Sure. I'll Absolutely. be back in a flash. Um, I'm right, probably going to hit the add button to see. And actually, I don't have that set up on my setup, so that won't happen. I'll be right back. Okay. All right, chat. It's just you and me. <laughs> What's up, Poxy? How you doing, man? What's up, Ken? Full screen Roy's cam. Whoa. Guys, please. Gotta calm down. I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. This is a lot of fun. I think Deeg's great, personally. It's a great interview. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. This sort of stuff is this sort of stuff is really fun to me, I think. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's been all over the place. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I wasn't, I wasn't come, I wasn't expecting, you know, I, I was thinking we were going to focus a little bit more on World versus World, but I haven't, I'm not disappointed at all. This is, it's a very nice conversation so far. And I hope you guys are all having a, a lovely evening. And for the people who aren't watching this live, I hope you're all doing well. Hope you're taking care of yourselves. No, you can. <sighs> yeah, no, I, I agree to some extent, Poxy. I'm not, I, uh, uh, maybe Deeg will ask me about this at some point. I don't know, but yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think that putting a lot of effort and resources into GVG right now is is necessarily going to be fruitful. Um, like I was saying, though, I think I think just creating an arena for GVG isn't something that requires very much. I would think it doesn't. Re I mean, I, you know, again, I don't know. I'm not a developer, but I would I would like to assume that it's something that's pretty doable, and I think it's something that doesn't a lot and it doesn't necessarily mean that much to people outside the gvg community but that single change i think is integral to having gvg be sort of possible uh at this point but yeah but you know i mean it is what it is i i yeah it is what it is i'm sure i'm sure we'll we'll get to something like that at some point oh here he is the man the myth the legend d is back hello hey welcome back i'm back and feeling much better thank you everyone for your nice. patience oh. nature calls of course. Did they miss anything good? Uh, no, we missed you, though. Oh, well, that really touches me, Roy. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, I want to th throw a shout-out to the chat. Um, I am watching you guys, and uh, if questions do come up, I want to encourage you to throw them out there. I may not work them in right away, but I will always try to get to most things that come up. So definitely uh, know that I'm watching that as we're, we're having a uh, big, well, Hopefully, big brain discussion. We'll see what people think. <laughs> so, I, I kind of feel like Roy at this point. I've I've had my curiosity mostly satisfied about guilt versus guilt. I definitely had the most to learn there in terms of what's going on because again, I never been involved. Um, yeah. Oh no, I just thought of a tangent. Okay, uh, this is my problem. So, I was diagnosed with ADHD earlier this year, and that made a lot of things suddenly make sense. Right. Um, okay. Do you know about ADHD? A little bit, not... Okay. Not so I, I didn't know much about it until I learned. And here's what, one of the things I learned about it, is that it basically means that, generally speaking, my brain operates at a dopamine deficit compared to people who don't have ADHD. And what that results in is um, literally like just your brain being in a more dormant state than most people. And so what people who have ADHD do, usually, is they're constantly trying to shock their brain into waking up. They're constantly mm -hmm. trying to get their brain into an activated state and what that can look like is substances, my caffeine, right? Right. Or others, more interesting ones. Um, <laughs> cocaine is is one of the most effective treatments for, for ADHD that I have not tried. 
but you know that's <laughs> what right. I've heard. Okay. Um, and uh, for me, I think what it re- kind of resulted in over the years before I learned about it is a fascination with ideas and wanting to jump to them a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's what that that's why you'll hear me be so interested in tangents all the damn time. Um, I'm all so this, about it personally. This tangent, um, I was going to transition away from Guild versus Guild talking about more general world versus world stuff, but I think that there's maybe a little bit more there that's that, that I would be interested in sounding out. And it's not so much about the nuts and bolts of the problem or about the the history or the drama. And it's it's more about um, the overall role that communities and games have in situations like this. I remember when I was talking to um, a streamer, uh, a planetized streamer named Aflick. Um, he's a like a, a pretty sweaty, try-hard kind of planet side player. Um, really good. Like I think his claim to fame was that he had like two million kills with a single weapon, um, wow. which was a huge, like a, a huge amount of dedication to a specific weapon. And uh, the the developers of of that game eventually turned around and gave him a gold skinned version of it that only he has. Wow, um, that's awesome. As as kind of like a like a one off thing. Yeah, it was it was a neat moment for the community and for him. Um, and he's um, he talked to me a little bit about. Um, that that game's um, choices when it comes to engaging with more competitive flavors of Planetside. And I don't know if you know what Planetside is, but um, it's kind of like World versus World with guns. Right, okay. It's a three-factioned, territory-based, ob- objective-based shooter with combined arms. So that means there's tanks and planes involved, too. Um, okay. And forever... Planetside has just been this sandbox of you go to a continent, there are many, many bases you can capture, and there are rules about um, progressing from one base to the next, like there are lattice lines and things like that. Uh, But um, for years and years and years, there is no officially anointed competitive version of this game where you can play it in a more small, controlled format like GVG or even like PvP Conquest. And over years, what happened is the community... um, created for themselves what they what they uh what they kind of call now is the planetside infantry league which is a 6v6 heads up deathmatch format where two teams fight over a one objective essentially and there are points that are awarded for kills and points that are awarded for objective captures and the highest total wins and they this community has has organized these tournaments and they've developed streaming tools and and overlays to go with it so they have an official presentation they have casters and commentators and, and analysts and just a huge amount of, of work has gone in um all the stuff i'm sure you're very familiar with to make this happen they actually stage these events on a <clears throat> a uh, a non-live version of the of 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 the of planet side that's that's where access is given out by developers to specific people. People get get accounts to it, and they've the developers have liaised with the community to kind of regulate that kind of access. That's awesome. Yeah. So the most that that developer has done for that community is give access to a server, and even then there are still serious limitations about what they can do, because um, oftentimes different groups will want to use the same space in the server at the same time, and you can't do that. Um, so there's a lot of negotiation and workarounds that occur. And um, and also, let's just be honest, like the 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 game of Planetside is designed to be played with a thousand players split up among three factions. Most places in Planetside are not designed for six versus six infantry battles. 
And if, if they if those players had their druthers, they would have their own arenas that were made for them. Right. Which makes sense, right? Similar yeah. to what you're talking about with Guild versus Guild and having it be the same format. Sure. And one of the things I talked with Aflick about is, well, where is it good that the community decides and runs its own thing? And where is it good that a game studio steps in? Because I think that there actually is some really cool stuff that can happen when the community is in charge of running a game that makes sense to them and setting up their own rule sets. And I think there is are some serious drawbacks to having a, a game mode that must be at the largest scale and have direct developer involvement and constant rebalancing and things like that. Anyway, yeah. it's just a vague thought about like, are there some good things that have come out of this being a community-run game mode? Could you see some downsides of having something like this actually be officially adopted and maybe turn into something else? Um, what do you think about that idea? It's Well, it's very interesting, first of all. Um, I guess, to me, I'm pro- well, I'm going to be a little bit biased, obviously, you know, being a GVG player, right? Given. And having put in all this, all this work and stuff and, and went into it. Um, and I also, I do think it's a little harder for me to kind of see where it would be better for just a community to run something themselves. Okay. But at the same time, I definitely, I, I can see in some ways because, you know, let's say from the very start, you know, Arena had implemented GVG as an official game mode. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe it would look absolutely nothing like what we have in GVG today because, again, GVG and Guild Wars 2 is nothing like GVG and Guild Wars 1. Uh-huh. GVG and Guild Wars 1, as you said, had all these very complex, you know, different sort of um, goals that you had to complete, you know. There were, there were, it wasn't just Team Deathmatch. You, it was kind of similar to Capture the Flag in some ways. You had to yeah. kill the, the enemy Guild Lord, you know, there was, mm-hmm. there were en- enemy NPCs involved. Um, and so maybe, you know, GVG and Guild Wars 2, if Arena had decided to develop it, you know, maybe it would have just been a, a different PvP game mode. Mm-hmm. And so that right there, for me personally, I love GVG and Guild Wars 2. Um, I think that GVG and Guild Wars 2 is a very cool subset of World vs. World. It is at its you know heart. It is just Team Deathmatch. But uh, personally, and having done so, having been in, in multiple different groups, I think leading a GVG guild, at least right now, maybe not always, but certainly historically it has been, mm-hmm. is one of the most difficult things you can do in Guild Wars 2. I it is extremely challenging to lead a guild, and it is extremely challenging to, at the highest level, beat another guild in GVG. Uh, and I think doing that is is a great accomplishment. But you know, maybe if GVG hadn't been like it is now, you know, that that wouldn't necessarily be the same thing because uh-huh. GVG and Guild Wars One, you know, I think it really it takes a lot of team coordination. It takes all the all the individual players being really good at what they're doing. They have specific roles, they have specific jobs, working together very well. GVG and Guild Wars 2 has that as well, but there's a lot, at least in the current meta, there's a lot of emphasis put on the leader or the driver of the group, right? They're the ones calling all the shots, right? usually. They're the ones driving the actual movement of the group. They're the ones that are kind of setting the pace of, of the fight. And so that emphasis wouldn't necessarily be placed on the leader of the group if GVG wasn't how it is now in Guild Wars 2. So mm-hmm. there's absolutely ways that I think the community basically creating this game mode out of nothing um, mm-hmm. and running it, I think is great because we've been able to, you know, we've made it our own thing. And I think that's awesome. But at the same time, I think we've made it our own thing. But, it, you know, when I, I think the distinction that you were talking about between when it's good for the community to run something and when it's good for the developers to run something, 
I think it's really good for a community um, or subsets of communities to sort of create different game modes, various different tournaments and stuff. But I think usually, you know, for those sort of initiatives, those sort of things to be really successful and feel really good consistently, there should be some developer input. There should be some support from the developers, even if it's, again, a very, in a, in a small way. You know, I, I not to, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging here, but, um, you know, I, I have an NPC in game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, you know, it. Tell us it's, about it's the NPC. Obsidian, Everyone needs to know in, about it's this. In, it's in Sanctum, um, uh-huh. which is a kind of, you know, again, that sort of symbol of GVG. Right. Um, it's, it has, it sells the permanent Ascalonia Mage Tonic, which also is kind of a symbol of GVG. And so that sort of thing, obviously it was a kind of a nod to me, which personally I don't think I deserve, by the way, but it kind of was a nod to me. But it also, I think, was a bit of a nod to the World vs. World and the GVG community, because uh-huh. it's, it's this symbol of World vs. World and GVG that that I think a lot of people recognize. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome. And it, it goes back to Ben creating this Edge of the Mist Arena as well. That sort of small gesture was really impactful and really important to a lot of the GVG community. Yeah, I bet you gave and a lot of I people think, something to hang on to when they were looking, when they didn't have anything, or so, they might not have had much before that. Yeah, I think the GVG community being completely community-driven, completely community-run, I think that's fine. I think in, in this scenario, maybe that's even better than if it, if it was an official game mode. But again, just sort of going back to what I was saying, where we've not only haven't really had any support, but we've almost been shunned in some way by not just the developers, but also other parts of the community, I think is a shame because I think it has hindered the growth of the scene. I think that, again, if we had had just a little bit of support, if we had an official or a real arena to play in, if, you know, some of the tournaments we've run had had better support, um, if, you know, balance was more consistent and better, but of course that's a much broader thing as well then I think, you know, we would have been able to... What Pox just said in chat, it's less about supporting, but more about giving people tools to work with. Right. If GVG, the GVG community, had been given those tools mm. to work with... It, because every single tournament we've done, we've had to do everything ourselves. We've had to work with the tools we had that weren't even designed for us and that are very poorly designed to begin with. It makes it much more difficult. It makes it much harder. So, yes, there's absolutely a distinction between, you know, like, I think GVG being a community game mode is awesome. I think that the way it is now is awesome, and it probably would look different if it was an official game mode. Not necessarily worse. Maybe maybe it wouldn't be worse. Maybe it would be fun, too. Maybe, it probably would be fun. Maybe it would be better. I don't know. Again, I think that's sort of a perspective thing, because some people prefer the style of Guild Wars 1 GVG more than Guild Wars 2 GVG. But it is what it is. I think how it is now is awesome, but I think having had more support even little nudges in the right direction, just just giving us some better tools to work with would have made yeah. a huge difference and yeah, been very clear. impactful. Yeah, I guess the the reason I, the whole like I think this prompt for me is kind of informed by what I kind of consider one of my one of my formative gaming experiences, um, which was back you know in the ancient depths of the internet in the early two thousands when I was playing this Team Fortress Classic game that I've talked about, and for me, um, I on a dial-up modem, started playing this multiplayer mod for Half-Life 1. I started seeing clan names. I asked somebody. I got invited to a clan. I started playing a match. I thought, holy shit, this is cool. Figure out voice communication software. Uh, next summer, m- my family upgrades to a DSL connection, so suddenly I can like play for real. And um, I just start meeting people online. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this phenomenon of connecting to people this way. Mm-hmm. And I end up there's there's drama ensues as it always does. I say screw this place. I'm gonna make my own, and I made my own. What 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 uh, it's called a clan in that game, 
And that, that word clan is not something that was written by anyone who made the game. It was written by the community. And so that community and all, all the, the leagues were all community organized and all the rules were community collaborated. Everything that, 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 that came forth from that game, from that experience, the three years that I ran that clan and we played over 250 competitive matches. Um, I even, I even played for a team USA in a country's tournament toward the end of that time. And, uh, awesome. I think we played against Sweden. I think we won. I don't really remember. But, yeah. but like for me, and this is maybe just more of my personality. Like if I was just playing a competitive game, I think I would have not been involved. I think I wouldn't have cared that much. Like mm. I'm like a community guy. I'm a socializer mm. and having the experience of building a, a, a community of people and helping make the thing go and having agency in it was fundamental to my interest. Um, and that's what one of the things I've kind of found over the years, um, all these years later, I find alienating about a lot of modern games, which have the luxury of having a huge amount of technology and connectivity that those games did not. Um, yep. And you have things like public automated matchmaking, where you can press a button and play a game with complete strangers and yep. never talk to them again when you're done. And to me, it seems like a fucking tragedy. Yes, <laughs> but, 100%. I, I think community is huge in... I mean, I've talked about it a bunch of times, how that's what really attracted me to the World War World and stuff. Right. I think having that sense of community is, is, is amazing. And that's what's so great about games. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in gaming as, as a career because I think being a part of that community and, and being a part of something that can grow mm -hmm. into the community and stuff, I think is, is amazing. That's and obviously you have that, you have that outside of video games, but I, you know, being someone who really likes yeah, that everywhere, games, you know, but yeah, but games to, are, games are exciting yeah. and it's, it, 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 it's literally a growth industry. Like things yeah. are getting bigger. Um, one of these these ideas that I've been testing out and developing is this this idea that communities only come together in games to solve problems that individuals can't. Um, and I think that 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 reality lies at the core of a lot of a lot of gaming experiences that seem like they're multiplayer but actually aren't. And it seems like in world versus world. Um, it tends to be a more successful creator of communities that actually kind of hang together. Um, I haven't experienced it myself, but I've heard people talking about it. And um, my experience in most of the game of Guild Wars is that, like, it's just guilds, like, kind of got designed out of it over the years, yeah. in a way. Um, and more so now, where um, the primary content being introduced into the game is 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 has public matchmaking, which is something that I hoped would never come into Guild Wars. Um, I, I I get the benefit of it, but I think it has a large cost. Look at look at the Blizzard um, having second thoughts about things like like LFR and LFD, um, and the way that those features are like tails wagging the dog of the game. Um, I think that, and this is kind of pretty close to the core of why I bother putting in all this effort of showing up for these podcasts and putting this thing together and doing this week in and week out, is I think that there's something very unique and interesting and not at all trivial about the way that people consume games and the way that games consume people. And I think that there's untapped value there. And I think that generally speaking, people, the 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 world and society as a whole has no fucking clue um i as someone who's been gaming online for tw you know 20 plus years have struggled with gaming addiction i played world of warcraft obsessively 
Um, I ran a fucking 40-man raid guild in WoW Vanilla and hated my life <laughs> the whole time I was doing it. But I, I, I'm glad I can say I did that because it was a unique experience. Yeah. And one of the things that I've seen crop up in recent times has been this, this Twitch streamer who is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist named Dr. Alo Kanogia. And he runs this program called Healthy Gamer GG. And he talks all about yeah. mental health for gamers. And the shit that he talks about is stuff that I needed 15 years ago. Yeah. I see I see an industry that's starting to wake up to itself in a lot of ways and start to recognize things that I've always felt were, was true. I've always known that problem gaming was was a way of was was not a pro, was not a problem before it was a solution. People don't game addictively because the, the rest of their life is perfect. There's something else going on there. Hmm. And um that's just one example. Um and also people don't go to games just cuz they want distraction. People want other things out of the experience. There's more to it than that. That's the basic conceit of what I'm doing. If I was satisfied with the idea of gaming being purely a, a, a harmless distraction, then what's the point of all this time we're putting in? You know? Yeah. Like, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it seems like kind of crap. And I think that yeah. that was the publicly acceptable um, image of, of, of video games when I was, when I was a kid. And even, even when, I, when I was your age, in, in, in the 2000s. Um, and I've always really bucked against that idea. It always felt wrong to me. I spent years actually trying not to be a gamer. Um, I moved overseas in 2011, and for about five years, I didn't really have a gaming system. No, no gaming PC, no, no console, no anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that maybe I was moving on from it at one point. But then things changed for me, and I happened to get back into PC gaming. Actually, with Guild Wars was kind of my excuse. There's a story behind that I could tell. But... Um, and I got back into it and I was like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, I always needed this in my life. This is always important. And I found a way to integrate it now in a way that's more adult. You know, it doesn't run my life. A big part of that is just I have major other commitments that take up my time, like a, a career and a relationship. Um, but uh, I think that there is something really unique happening when groups of people come together to do something in a game that is not really happening anywhere else outside of like maybe very creative like startup companies. Well, you can get a group right in a video game that they have absolutely nothing in common other than playing that game. And they can be from anywhere in the world. They can be, you know, any different type of people. And yeah, I mean, you really don't see that in a lot of other places. And especially because i mean obviously you know there's of course toxicity online and you know people yeah. will run into people they don't get along with but you know you know you go into a dungeon group in world of warcraft right and you're all trying to accomplish the same thing and you know again you can be completely different people that don't really share any sort of ideologies or uh -huh. you know any any common interests but you all want to get this thing done you all want to you know complete this and you can have an amazing time together with these people that you otherwise normally never would have interacted with and, mm -hmm. and maybe never would again but yeah yeah that's that's really impactful and yeah. I, I think it's i think it's awesome i think it's amazing i think it's really cool you know i i don't necessarily have the same sort of um 
online experience in terms of video games growing up. I, mm -hmm. I played a lot of video games, you know, offline, but a lot of the time I was gotcha. playing video games with my friends, you know, on consoles, uh, PlayStation 2, the original yeah. Xbox and stuff. You know, we well, that's be a great feeling too, a great experience. That's how I got started too. GoldenEye 007, I, Mario Kart 64, Super Smash Bros. 64. Those are some of my formative ones too. I, I love the Halo series, and uh, Halo 2 was like one of the, the first games I really played with a friend of mine growing word. up, and I, I can remember just playing you know halo the halo 2 campaign i was a really i was really big into campaigns uh, for like the call of duty the halo campaigns growing mm -hmm. up again I, I didn't really play very much multiplayer but i mean just you know really like late night gaming sessions with my friends growing up hell yeah dude extremely impactful and, and so much fun you know and and those sort of things you know obviously you know spending time with friends you're spending time with friends but you know you know those games sort of being something that we all shared something that we all doing together you know maybe wouldn't we wouldn't have had the same experience without those games and, and i think it's i think it's really important i think it's it's definitely impactful and it can definitely shape someone um and shape what you do so yeah i, I definitely understand where you're coming from and and personally i'm very glad that you got back into things because i think you're i think this podcast's great so i'm glad you decided to do it but uh roy approves i'll take it <laughs> but yeah i you know it's it's I game, video games are are definitely you know like you said with Dr. K you know I'm I'm not very familiar with the stream but I know mm -hmm. who you're talking about you know the sort of stuff that he's doing I think is is really important and it's it's a it's huge aspect or a way of looking at video games that hasn't really you know a lot of it's not very popular maybe a lot of people haven't done it historically and it should have been you know been something that was happening because yeah you know a lot of people maybe don't understand video games from the same sort of point of view as someone who plays them a lot um and you know maybe they're look they were looked down upon and they probably still are in some ways um mm -hmm. and i think it's i think that's a shame because yeah i mean video games have so much to offer to so many different people um mm -hmm. and and it's it, yeah. you know well it, i, I was a magical one of those, place i was one of those people who who tried to go through through therapy and counseling when i was younger and was told with straight face just oh just spend less time gaming and you'll be fine um and so I would try it, but I'd still have all the same problems or all the same things that I was yeah. facing. Like, it wasn't really help. Like, people just don't yeah. know. Um, one of the things that Dr. K says um, is that, and, and he has this great lecture series, um, which, which have short, like, like four-minute videos. It's fantastic. It's bright-sized and lovely, um, which is that traditional, like, talk therapy doesn't really help gamers usually because the people who are, who are giving the talk therapy don't have a fucking clue. It's like you're talking about sex, like sexual issues with someone who doesn't know what sex is. Like there's just nothing that it's, 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 um, a whole part a spectrum of human experience that, um, it's very hard to get help with. And yeah. that's largely due to the fact that it's so new and it's come up so quickly. Um, I don't know. I there's, there's a lot there and, um, I don't want to really sidetrack too hard on Dr. K. He's awesome. Check him out. Um, uh, but um, it it to me it it all it all rolls up to this idea of there's more to this than met the eye, which to me is a great validation because that's what I always thought. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, so communities, the importance of communities. Okay, let's relate this back. So there are like fifteen different things we could talk about. All right, let's do it. I think that looking at Guild Wars, that one of the things that really stands out to me as being interesting 
is how how different parts of the game have been developed over time or not. And uh, I am wondering about again this isn't this is another big topic too. I gotta narrow this down. All right. Let me clarify my thinking. I'm just gonna be quiet for a moment while I think. Let me see the process live on stream. Something I learned from Dr. K, actually. Yeah. Okay. Okay, here it is. There is a I think commonly held perception that world versus world is much like guild versus guild is the black sheep of of world v world that world v world is the black sheep of the three big game modes would you agree with yeah. that perception i think that perception exists i don't know that it's always been accurate um, okay i think it has been why do you think it exists so guild wars 2 originally um when it was being advertised was it was there was a lot of advertisement about world versus world being essentially one third of the game. And I think for a lot of people, it was kind of advertised as the end game of, of Guild Wars 2. Right. Um, how, you know, you would get through all the PvE content and obviously you had, you know, you had structured PvP and stuff, but, you know, World versus World was where once you were fully geared and fully, you know, you played through the game and stuff, that's that was the end game content because yeah. I mean, World vs. World is kind of a self-sustaining game mode. You know, it's it's a game mode that I think, again, I mean, it comes down to the community creating a lot of the content for it. So, you know, it's it's a good end game sort of thing because you don't necessarily need a lot of consistent upkeep with it for it to keep going. Um, yeah, and the fact and that it's adversarial think, PvP, there's a renewable quality to that. I think people were surprised and kind of shocked by the lack of development and developmental resources that went into World vs. World, certainly throughout the game mode and a lot in the beginning of the game mode. And... I, I say the reason that I say that the perception of world versus world being kind of the black sheep of of the game isn't always accurate um, is because I think that there are a lot the, PvP and PVE, especially fractals and raids, have really been left behind in dungeons, obviously as well in the beginning of the game, mm -hmm. and and I think that they were underdeveloped and unsupported for a really long time, and I think that those game modes and those communities have suffered a lot. Yeah, but I think one of the reasons that people really have this perception is because for a really long time, uh, and I would say right now as well, um, you know, World vs. World was the least rewarding of the three game modes. Okay. Uh, it, on it, I mean, there, there was this sort of joke going around for a really long time, and it was actually not really even a joke, it was true, that you could get gold from playing PvE, and you could get gold from playing PvP, but if you played World vs. World, you were losing gold, because you had <laughs> to always be constantly spending gold to buy food and buy gear and stuff, yeah. and you weren't getting anything back from it. And so, and that was, I mean, I think for a lot of people, you know, there was this, this sort of expectation that World vs. World was going to be an endgame. And also, I think a lot of people that were coming from these other RVR games, so again, I mentioned before, like DAOC mm -hmm. uh, and um, Warhammer, and, you know, I don't know if, if you've ever heard of Redguard. Wasn't that... <laughs> Wasn't that the game that came out before Morrowind in the Elder Scrolls series? So, well, I don't know if it was, it was a game, but Redguard was a guild in Guild Wars 2. Oh, yes, um, of course, so, the guild, yes. So the they, they, yeah. were, they were, a lot of them were from Warhammer, and, and they, mm -hmm. uh, you know, their leader, Sacrex, he was, uh, he played the the beta in Guild Wars 2 a lot, and so he was very influential, and in, he, he gave a lot of feedback in terms of regarding World vs. World and what he was sort of expecting. And so I think a lot of people were kind of expecting Guild Wars 2 to kind of be the big RVR game. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think I think about a lot of people who really enjoyed RVR game modes, um, they felt as though maybe there wasn't really a great game for it. 
because I think I, I I'm not familiar with other games in terms of RVR stuff at all. But from what I understand, there were a lot of limitations and a lot of issues with the other RVR games. Um, okay. Maybe that's not necessarily true. Maybe it's just because they're old games and and they were outdated or whatever. And I think a lot of people were really hoping that Guild Wars Two was going to be this this really big MMO. And and it was going to revolve around World versus World, and that never really happened. Um, okay. And so, I do think that World versus World historically, of the three game modes, has seen the least amount of development, has seen the least resources put into it. Um, and I think that it it is also kind of felt the worst to play the most of the most amount of time. Uh, now. Again, I, I think it would be disingenuous to say it's the only game mode like that. I think it'd be disingenuous to say it's the only community that has suffered, but I yeah. do think that that perception, while not always accurate, is is largely accurate. That World vs. World was kind of largely ignored. Um, and especially, I think part of, part of that comes back to just there was this assumption that it was going to be the big endgame of Guild Wars 2, that it was essentially going to be 33%, if not more, of the game. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it was less than 33% of the game. Uh, yeah, I wasn't playing around launch. I didn't actually know that there was this idea of World v. World being the end game. But the way you, you, you framed it up actually makes complete sense. And um, I guess the, 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 the trick then, if you were going to do something like that, is, um, of course, keep developing it to make it interesting, but also to make sure that it gave end game quality rewards, which I think is a problem that Guild Wars has always had um, yeah. in every game mode. But maybe especially in World v. World. Yeah, um, and I think that it's become increasingly harder to keep playing World versus World uh, in the sense that, sort of similar to GVG, where a lot it, it revolves a lot around communities, and it revolves around a lot around the, you know, the specific communities sort of driving and pushing the game mode, mm-hmm. and I think it has become harder to do that as a player, uh, as, as part of a community. Um, Why is that? Since... Well, there's, so there's a couple reasons. Um, one of the biggest, I'd say, blows to World vs. World was the mega server, the creation of the mega server. Oh. Um, and so I don't know if you're familiar at all with it, but yeah. back in the beginning of the game, so you know, I touched upon this a little bit you know, in the first hour where I was talking about how when you, know, you create an account, you pick a server. So back in the beginning of the game, when you would pick a server, that was your server. Um, and you could actually guest to other servers... And so the reason that existed was because uh, overflows of maps were basically, they were usually limited to people on your server. Mm-hmm. So if I was on Pike and Square, if that was my server, or, you know, Sorrow's Furnace for NA people, you know, whatever server, then usually I would be playing with people on my server. I wouldn't be playing with people from another server, unless I guested to that other server. And so, like, when things like Tequaddle came out, mm-hmm. you know, those big open world events, there were certain servers that were kind of known as the PvE servers, mm-hmm. as opposed to World vs. World or Roleplay or PvP, you know, whatever. Uh, there, there weren't really PvP servers, but... So, like, Desolation on EU was this really big PvE server. They had this really big population of PvEers. And so, like, a lot of times, there were some servers that weren't really as big into PvE. So, like, if you wanted to beat Tequaddle, you would guest over to Desolation, and you would do that, and you would do it on Desolation. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was sort of how, you know, servers worked. The thing is, though... No matter if you were guesting or not on a server, you were still locked to your server for World versus World. Okay. And so 
part of what that did was it created this sense, this bigger sense of community, because you would go into Lion's Arch and you would see people that you played World versus World. Right. You would see people that were on your server. There were times when you'd be fighting in Eternal Battlegrounds in, in World versus World. You'd be fighting to save your keep. And you, your commander would be like, we need more people. Go to Lion's Arch and spam and map go chat. Recruit. Go to Eternal Battle. <laughs> and that ha- that was a thing. You can't do that anymore because oh, you could go into Lion's Arch and you could be talking to people from 20 different servers. Right. So when the, so obviously the mega server came about because, you know, there were these issues with maps not being full. Uh, you know, there were these issues with some servers just having way less of a population than others. And so, you know, I think the mega server itself for the game was probably a good thing. Yeah. But for World versus World, it it just kind of it reduced the sensation of community for a lot of people yeah. and it made it harder. And there were these t- so reset is when the World versus World matchup resets, right? So just like how we have a daily reset at 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. EST or whatever, um and you know, your dailies reset every week on Friday at a specific time, um there's there's the World versus World reset. And this was this there was this tradition that I that I was a part of for a little while of when of of people we would have like a server meeting before um for my server we'd have a server meeting before reset would happen uh-huh. and we would pick who was going to lead on which map or whatever <laughs> and so what we would do is right before reset we would have all these people who were tagged up and you still do this to some extent but mm-hmm. it's it's a lot harder to do it now where you would go to Lions Arch and you would all there was this one guy named Radariel um Larader and he he would role play walk from one point of Lion's Arch to the portals. There's portals in Lion's Arch that allow you to go to the, the World of World maps. And he would always do this every single reset. And there and I remember seeing this before I got into World versus World. Uh-huh. I remember seeing him do this with his commander tag up with a bunch like a, this massive group of people following him. And uh-huh. I was like, whoa, what is that? That's so cool. And I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and then I remember getting into World versus World and I was like, oh, that's what that is. There's this this, this tradition, this role play of the people ceremony. going into these portals. Yeah. And it's so cool. And you can't do that anymore, and you don't really see that anymore. And it, mm. and it feels as though this this game mode that you really want to have a strong sense of community, it just there's less of that, and there's yeah. less of this server identity and this server pride. And those are two really important things. Server pride is in, integral, as far as I'm concerned, to World versus World being healthy, because we talked about how World versus World doesn't really have a lot of great rewards. It's it's not really a game mode where you go to get gold. Right. But the reward that you got, and maybe this is a little cliche, but the reward that you got was feeling your like your server pride, being yeah. this server, and it sort of connects back to what I was talking about with GVG. You know, you want to be the best guild, you want to be the best server, you want to beat the other servers, you you want to know, you know, that your group on this server is better than the other group on the other. Hell server. yeah! And you don't have that anymore. And and the, yeah. part of that is the mega servers. Another really big part of that, and I mentioned this earlier, is the server links. And and this is why I don't like the server links because, again, mm. I understand why they did it. And population imbalance is probably one of the hardest issues to address right. in World versus World. And I completely, I sincerely understand, you know, and you know why ArenaNet has these issues, uh, and and I, and I, I don't necessarily fault them for it, but. I think that server links were one of the worst decisions uh, for World vs. World because it completely stripped server identities apart and it completely right. you know shifted server identities. People didn't care about what server they were on anymore, and there was there were groups of people that didn't care before. There was always this you know this notion of bandwagoning uh, of bandwagon servers where there were these you know a couple of servers that were really good. They were known as sort of the best servers, and people would always just bandwagon to them if they were open. 
And when server links happened, that actually just kind of fueled and increased that bandwagoning because you mm-hmm. could now transfer to the number one server for a fraction of the gems that it cost before because you would just transfer to a server link. Right. And so the idea of server links was to take less populated servers, put them onto a larger server so that they could play with a larger population. It's on paper, it makes and sense. That's, yeah, and it makes sense because, so, okay, now I'm doing tangents. So the uh-huh. beginning of, of the game, you had a Glico system for World vs. World, and there were three leagues of World vs. World. So there was Gold League, there was Silver League, and there was Bronze League. Okay. And that ties into the World vs. World seasons. I don't know if you know anything about the World vs. World seasons, nope. the tournaments. So there were, I want to say, four tournaments or seasons. Mm-hmm. There might have been five for World vs. World where um, there was like a several-month period, um, and we can have a, another discussion about the, the seasons and tournaments. I'll get into them after I, after I wrap up my points. Uh, and so you would, you would compete for several months to see who was the best server in Silver League or Gold okay. League or Bronze League. So generally Gold League, you know, obviously Gold League were the highest populated servers, the servers that were usually full, the servers that, you know, people usually couldn't transfer to as much un- until they were opened. They were, you know, very high populated. And then, you you know, Silver League was sort of the medium-level servers, and Bronze okay. League were the, the lower-level servers. So those, those classifications so, were, were based on server population exclusively? They were based on server population, yeah. Okay. Um, and so, and obviously, and that's not just for World vs. World. That, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if a server was, you know, low-tier server population, that it was just a low-tier server. And so if you were on that server for PvE, and you mm-hmm. only played PvE, you were still a part of that server. Mm-hmm. Um. So, obviously, you know, the main issue was there were all these Bronze League servers that just had really small populations. And, and of course, as the game gets older, people are going to stop playing. The population yeah. is, is generally Realms get less dip, populated you know? over time. No matter, it's a problem that, that WoW Classic had to deal with last year when it released. No and matter... They, and uh, there's, ten times, there's ten times more more people playing in the first two weeks than there are in the second month. Yeah. Uh, no matter how good the game is, no matter, you know, what happens with it, you know, generally population is going to decline. It's, mm-hmm. That's just how it is, right? So, yeah, obviously, as time went on, you know, the populations went down, and, you know, there, there were just these, these issues with people not being able to really fully experience the game mode. Now, me personally, I kind of liked the sort of separation you had with Gold League, with Silver League, with Bronze League, because I kind of thought the idea of having this, like, you know, there were these really high-level servers... You would go there if you wanted to, you know, like run an, with an 80-man group and, and you know, you would kind of crush the opposition. Silver League was kind uh-huh. of a little bit more of a mix of you had, you know, maybe a, some of those groups, but you also had like, you know, really some guild groups that would fight each other. And, you know, you, you wouldn't have just massive queues in every single borderland all the time like you would in Gold League. And then Bronze League was kind of the, the more Havoc groups, the more group, like servers where you could kind of roam more. Um, you know, the servers where it was just really like those small guild groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I didn't really play on a lot. I, I never really played on low tier servers. I was, I was kind of always a silver league to low gold league, uh, server, uh, the server that I was on originally. Okay. And so I didn't necessarily have the same experience that other people did. So maybe my sort of point of view of that, my perspective of that is, is flawed and, and, and that's fine. Wait, what is your perspective though? What did, what well, my perspective experience? is that I, I like that separation. I, I kind of, I, the idea that you have this split is kind of cool because if I'm someone who I like joining in with an 80-man group and running into other 80-man groups, I know where I want to go. If I like the idea of it. kind of having more of a mixture, I go to this sort of middle league. And so, mm. you know, I kind of thought that was cool. And also because, again, it, it ties back into this idea of server identity and server pride. If I'm, in, if I'm on Desolation, I know I am one of the best servers in the game. 
Mm-hmm. I I can say I'm I'm on Desolation. I'm a commander on Desolation. I'm I'm I, I lead something. one of the best groups. Yeah. It means something exactly. And you know, and now you can't really say that anymore. You don't really have that anymore. And so, mm-hmm. again, server links were introduced because populations were going down. You know, they were they were concerned about people being on a server that had very few people on it. And they were also trying to basically stop bandwagoning from happening. The original idea, from my understanding, for server links was that. They would take a server that had a small population, they would put it to a larger server, and people would transfer to the smaller server, and then they would break them apart so that there was more of a balance, right, between those two servers. There was less of a population imbalance and more of a population balance. The main issues for that is, one, again, that destroys server identity a bit, because for those smaller servers, for at least a period of time, you're kind of considered that larger server, so you Mm -hmm. don't really have your server identity as much. You know... Every single server in the beginning of the game had its own TeamSpeak, had its own forum, had its own website, right? Now, obviously, a lot of servers will have their own Discord and stuff, but they had these places where people would gather, where people would go and be a part of that server. And when servers started getting pushed together, those things started being used less. Because if, I, if I'm on Ring of Fire, and I have my Ring of Fire TeamSpeak, but I'm server-linked to Desolation, and Desolation has their TeamSpeak, and all these desolation commanders and all these desolation groups are using the desolation team speak, then I'm feeling left out if I'm using my original Ring of Fire team speak because all the big happenings on are they're on the Deso team speak. So yeah, the culture you start to have to yeah. you have to start to and and that's not necessarily a bad thing all the time because obviously bringing communities together can be cool, but again, world versus world in my opinion really thrives when it's around these communities, when it, when there's these communities that have their identities, they have their server pride to to push them and, right. and to to motivate them. So so that was that was one of the issues of course with with server links. And the other issue I think the other two issues, one, I don't think I've ever seen a, a server link unsplit from each other. So so again, from hmm. my my understanding was the original idea was that they would they would be placed together and then once the server's population kind of balanced out a bit, they would be unsplit. Maybe my okay. understanding is flawed. Maybe that's not really what they were intending to do in well, the, the beginning. Splits have become permanentized, right? Pretty much every two. The relinks are every two months. So every two months, the the server links get shuffled. Okay. Um, and so the other the, the other issue is there would be a lot of situations where a server would get a link when it didn't need one, or mm-hmm. when the server linked to it didn't didn't need to be a link when it could have been its own host server. So there wasn't enough oversight. There wasn't enough correct server because the server links are done manually as far as i understand so in my opinion they needed to do a better job of of manually linking the servers because there were so many times where i would see the relinks and i'd be like anyone who plays world versus world actively could have told you that this and this and this and this link would have was a terrible idea Hmm. and it would result in these periods of because server links at one point were every three months i think there was a period where they maybe tried to do it shorter uh, but they've kind of settled into to doing it every two months. But if you get a bad link, or you got a bad link before, or there was a link that was just really strong and they ran over everybody, yeah. that's how it was for two months. So that was almost like... That's if, rough. If you, if you got relinked to a server that you didn't want to be on, it was almost like for that two months, you couldn't play the game. So yeah. it, it, it resulted Shit. in a lot of these these issues coming up and... and as totally outside of your control. Apparent. Like, there's no player agency in, in that. Yeah. Whereas... The previous system where you had these, you know, admittedly potentially unbalanced and underpopulated realms, at least there was player agency. Yeah. You could you could exactly. pick a realm as long as it wasn't full. And you could say, Hey, I want to be a part of this community. And then once you landed there, you like you 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 plugged into into that community and those leaders were those community leaders and they defined the world v world experience rather than having the hand of 
hand of God swooping in, just like 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 parting the Red yeah. Sea and be like, you go over here and you come over here and yeah, yeah, I and can it, see that like the lack of continuity of identity wrecks one of the best things about World v. World. And I'll I'll say it again. I think that the the intention with server links wasn't necessarily bad because population imbalance is such a serious issue with world versus world. Mm -hmm. And this is where sort of the community kind of failed itself because there was, you know, a really long time before server links and during server links and after server links where this is, I mean, this is, this has always been a thing bandwagoning again, you know, I use this word and I'll say it again, where, you know, the community didn't police itself enough about bandwagoning. It didn't prevent itself enough from bandwagoning. It didn't sort of, it supported bandwagoning basically. And now, you know, I mean, you could say maybe the community shouldn't have been responsible for that. I would say it should partly be responsible. Um, and I also think that it's not an easy thing for ArenaNet to prevent necessarily. But I, I think that... What could the community you know, have done differently? Well, so if, if you were this server that was really successful, um, you basically, and you knew people were going to transfer there, you could have essentially tried to say, you know we don't want more people transferring here. And maybe that kind of sounds like a, a sort of toxic or mean thing to do, but instead of try, instead of recruit, like there used to be um, this thing where, where servers would try and get guilds to transfer to their server. Right. right? I've heard of that. So like, if there was a really good guild, you might want, you know, there, there is, there is what was called buying guilds. Um, and so some people, uh, and this, this is actually, I think kind of a, a cool thing in, in the game mode. There would be people who would spend, enormous amounts of money and there would be servers who would save up these like war chests there's this kind of joke about blackgate a, a server on okay. on an a having this massive war chest to buy guilds and there would be these <laughs> they bring in mercenaries these, yeah essentially that and personally i think that's really cool i that think that's a, cool. kind of an, an awesome idea Pay to win, but baby. at the same time if you're already a server that's really strong that's really competent you shouldn't be doing that because it takes those guilds away from other servers that might need them that's and there, you know there were times when that happened also i think there were there was uh so there was this one sort of community that i was a part of for a while on eu um, that was that was centered around this one guy named Ravia, and he was this really popular, really well known, really good open field commander. And so a lot of people would follow him. And so mm -hmm. we can talk about this too. World versus world, in my opinion, at its base as well as well as being obviously you know created from these communities and, and existing on these ser the server pride and stuff, server identities. A lot of what world versus world comes down to is commanders, because without the commanders, without these people that are tagging up and and kind of you know, pushing people in one direction, you don't really have as good of a game mode. You don't really have a lot of content. You don't really have action because, you know, if, if I'm a pug, you know, just some random player and I go into a world versus world map and I don't see a commander, well, I might just log off or I might go play yeah. TV or something, right? Because you can't really, and that you can't really do anything as a single player in, in a yeah. game like that. It's, it's, you get less of the experience for sure. Mm -hmm. So, so there would be this group that constantly followed this one guy named Ravia. And he, he was real like I said, he was really good. He played a lot. He was, you know, he, 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 he grew this community. And that's a good thing. And, you know, he had these players around him that played with him. But the issue was people wanted to play with him. And people wanted to be with him because he would mm. win fights a lot. So there was this point where he left a server. He left the server that he was on. And it was, it was arguably one of the best servers in the game. And it was one of the strongest servers in the game. And the reason he left it was because he wanted to try and and fight them he wanted to try and compete with them and there uh -huh. was probably some server drama and politics you know that went into it and whatnot but he he eventually transferred i i want to say like 
eight different times to eight different servers to try and build servers up and stuff. Oh my god. And and every time he did it, there would be this core group that would go with him that he wanted, but there would always be people that followed him. And again, I don't, you know, not to sound toxic, but it would be kind of people that would, you know, be be following him to essentially leech to basically get free rides. And obviously, again, I can't fault people for wanting to go where the commanders are, for wanting to be with this guy who was fun to play with, who had players that were fun to play with, that had people that were really good. But when when World vs. World was really healthy and alive, you had people like that on every server. And you had people like that that would draw these players, draw these groups on every server. And you had multitudes of them. You didn't just have one guy on every server. You didn't just have one guy trying to hop around different servers to create different groups. So the reason he had to do that was because, A, people would constantly be following him, and, and the community didn't necessarily police itself enough on, on sort of being negative about bandwagoning or trying to prevent it. And B, there was just overall, like, you know, when World vs. World started declining, when the game mode was ignored and not really developed, less and less people started, you know, were playing, less and less commanders were tagging up, you had less and less of these groups, you know, there were various times where other MMOs would come out. I mean, Arc Age came out, uh, Wildstar came out, you know, and they eventually didn't really do very well. But a lot of people left Guild Wars 2 yeah. for those MMOs. They did come back in a lot of ways, but some of them didn't. MMO and shoppers so, going to shop. It's just yeah. a reality. And so when, when you lost those players and you lost those commanders, it just made it harder for, for the game mode to kind of flourish. So Yeah. Well, it sounds to, to me a little bit like at least Ravia kind of tried to police the community a little bit but wasn't really successful in doing so. Um, the, 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 yeah. the phenomenon you described where um, the most standout leaders or, or, or most successful of people in a, in a competitive game, like, like let's call it a casually competitive game because there's no yeah. money on the line, right? Mm -hmm. There's no sponsorships, none of that crap. Um, tends to attract, number one, all the good players who want to win. And number two, all the people who want to win and can get away with you know just leeching as you said um i i don't know how you solve that problem um i think probably yeah. the best way to do it is just try to try to change things up quickly enough so that people are are focused on on the game mode itself rather than um those kinds of boy i, I don't know I'm just, I'm just nowhere on that thought um it's I don't, very difficult i don't really have an opinion i i don't know based on everything you just laid out um the strong the idea of having a, a server with strong identities um and preserving that while preventing um certain certain people from kind of making waves whenever they they move yep. from server to server i imagine this is something you got to live with and like it's 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 kind of like the problem you have now with where like with classic wow realms where certain realms became streamer servers mm -hmm. and um like uh, you would see people consciously decide to avoid or embrace a streamer server depending on what they wanted, yeah. Um, because like it's like I just don't want to be a part of that, um, part of that crap, or or I want to be a part of that. I want to be involved. I want to be on this person's stream, or I want to yeah. be connected with this person who I admire. So um, it's very okay. difficult. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. But um, so okay, hard to police this system. Um, Server links seems like it, it 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 was introduced to solve a problem in a way that was presumably noble to even to to fix population imbalance, which is something that that you could easily see be be a problem and become a difficult maintenance issue because over time, 
um, those kinds of those kinds of population problems would only get, I think, more and more severe. I'd imagine. I think I don't think it was ever intended to be a permanent solution, um, and that's where we sort of get into alliances. There. Yeah, we can talk about that. Um, so I, yeah. I imagine you have a strong opinion about alliances based on everything I've just heard. Yes, probably that would be a safe assumption. <laughs> okay, what is it? Uh, well, first of all, I don't think they're ever coming. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Holy shit. I mean, man. so I think I think a lot of my opinions on alliances are kind of mainstream at this point. I think a lot of people sort of share the same sort of opinions and, and understand it the same way that I would. Um, and first and foremost, <laughs> alliances was never the saving grace of world versus world. Um it was never going to fix World vs. World. And just like with server links, I don't think server links were intended to be a permanent solution. I don't think when they came up with server links and implemented them, they were planning on having them go for three, four years, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I agree with. I don't think they should be. They should have gone for as long as they did. Um, and so with alliances, when alliances were initially announced, I think a lot of people sort of, they hyped themselves up about it too much. Um, and I'll touch on that in a sec. but. They they had this. I think a lot of people were starting to, to talk about how oh this is going to save world versus world. This is going to fix world versus world. And I will say at the time that they were announced, I actually think if they had been implemented within six ish months, they actually would have saved world versus world. They wouldn't have fixed the game mode. There is no fixing the game mode, and this mm-hmm. is again sort of the population imbalance issue. There is no fix for it, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think you ever permanently solve population imbalance. I think there's things you can do to make it better to make it less oppressive for certain servers but there's no way to fix it and alliances are not going to fix world versus world uh, world versus world has many different issues with it and alliances are basically aimed to address population imbalance issues again no way to permanently fix them and this isn't going to be a, a one fix all for world versus world as a game mode but when they were announced the announcement itself created so much hype about it because yeah. it was this idea that communities would essentially control their server, right? You know, you would essentially be able to pick who you played with a little bit more as opposed to servers just, you know, there were, there was a list of A through Z servers and you picked one. Right. Now yeah, you have alliance you loyalty of, yeah, you, rather you than an server loyalty. People. It, and also the idea that it kind of revolved around guilds a bit, right? Because your alliances were based on the guilds you were in. And that, for World versus World, is amazing because of yeah. how, you know, again, a lot of World versus World, a lot of servers are based around how, you know the guilds that are in these servers, these specific guilds, and again, getting into GVG and all this, and, and the specific guilds on each server and whatnot. But, um, so so th- when they were announced, I remember, I was I was actually, I was hanging out with Teapot in Discord, he was streaming, so I, I, I was looking at the forums, I saw this uh, Alliance, you know, world restructuring announcement, and I started freaking out, and I was like, Teapot, Teapot, look at this! And I started linking yeah. in his chat, and we talked for like a couple of hours about it. And we were like, we were looking at all the different things. Uh-huh. We were theorizing about what it, and then he had a tea time, you know, later on in the weekend about yeah. it, of course. And there was, there was so much hype when it first got announced for months. World versus world started getting populated again. There were people getting right. in, invested into it and stuff. And so this was a little bit of a, of kind of, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot because Arena had never, they never said, we're, you know, this is what's happening and we're going to do it. We're going to roll it out within six months we're going to roll it out within a year right and so many people were saying oh you know it probably won't come in the next couple of months but maybe it'll come before the summer or it'll come by the end of the year or it'll come within a year right and those sort of i mean to be fair i think it should have came by now but yes. again we were we were a little bit shooting ourselves in the foot because having these expectations while 
I I think they were fair expectations were kind of we were setting ourselves up to to fall a little bit. And so yeah, yeah. you were you were uh putting up a nice long rope to hang your expectations on essentially. And I've I've talked about this with uh community, you know, other people in the community and also some arena net developers um and you know the idea of like should they have just not announced it you know maybe they shouldn't have maybe they should have waited until they were basically ready to implement it and then announced it and i'm kind of split on it because on one hand i think alliances at this point have become a meme right and so many people sort of they shit on anet because they say they announced these alliances two years ago they've never implemented them there's very little communication about them there's very little um, updates on them. Uh, you know, we have no idea when they're coming. Again, I kind of said I don't think they're ever coming. Sort of Joke. joking, sort of not. Um, but at the at the same time, again, the hype that the announcement itself generated, the idea that uh, the the excitement that so many people in the religious community had, I think was amazing. It was so much fun because again, this was a point where I, I can't remember the exact time frame, but. There, it was a point where there, there really hadn't been anything for World versus World for a really long time. Uh-huh. There was this this World versus World overhaul that was teased and, again, became a big meme um, around HOT release, where ArenaNet was like, you know, they said that they were making these huge developmental changes for World versus World in HOT. They were, uh, you know, and they did make a lot of changes, but a lot of them were terrible. But um, <laughs> HOT was the single, I think, biggest uh, blow to World versus World, by the way. We can get into that, too. But, wow. Um, you know, they they, were, they said this thing, they said they were going to be doing a world versus world overhaul, and there basically never really came anything of it. And so, you know, sort of same thing with alliances, but again, leading up to the alliances announcement, there hadn't really been a lot of content for world versus world. There was mm-hmm. a really big content drought, which we've had multiple times now. Um, and so this announcement generated a lot of hype, and it, it really, I think, brought people back together to communities. Because when, when alliances got announced, there were so many different groups of people in on an ANU that started coming together and, and planning their alliances and, yeah. and grouping up to get ready for their alliances. Oh, and that man. was awesome because it, again, it brought people together. It created this sort of this idea that you could have a server identity or server pride and or, you know alliance and have pride, it be more flexible. Have it be yeah. not not tied to this clunky server choice mechanic that you start before you even play the game. And again, I want I want to really hammer hammer this point away. Alliances will not fix world versus world. They will not make the game mode. Uh, perfect nothing will and, and that's fine do you think they would um, be a help if they came out in oh, the way that they've been framed they would absolutely be much better than what we have right now with server links uh-huh. it would be i think it would be a really good addition to the game mode um i, I think it would i i think it would really help world versus world but the problem is at this point and this is me being maybe a little bit biased and negative i'm not sure it matters because it's been over two years since they were announced and uh, world versus world has essentially just been on a steady decline since and so you know i think about obviously they you know they've said multiple times that they're putting most of their resources for world versus world into alliances into world restructuring they they've said you know they're going to continue to do sort of minor adjustments to world versus world especially if if it's like easier quality of life stuff and that makes sense but again two plus years to do this i'm not a server programmer i'm not an engineer i don't really understand how this stuff works but the idea of something taking that long to implement, it just doesn't make sense to me. It, yeah. Especially because, now, we haven't really had much develop, development in World vs. World. Granted, I don't think there's been a lot of development in a lot, a lot of other game modes. Now, if there hadn't been any focus on alliances at all, 
maybe we would still have the exact same amount of de uh, developments in World vs. World, right? So, you know, maybe it technically didn't hurt anything. But at the same time, I think that it, it really, it, it made people have, again, it, it, this idea that there was something yeah. coming. Something it's a blow, for, it's a blow to, to the relationship to. players have yeah. with the game. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, what, let's see. The Heart of Thorns was announced like nine months before it came out. So like that. if you can deliver on an, an expansion within nine months of announcing it, surely you can deliver on Alliance within two years. And the logical assumption is that either ArenaNet was very wrong to announce it or that something went very wrong after they announced it. And we just don't know. All we've heard is it's... It, I think the last time we heard about it, was it was it during the Icebrood Saga announcement or was it after that? Oh, well, that's... Oh, boy. So, uh, By the way, I was at the Icebrood Saga announcement live. Yeah, I saw you <laughs> I there. Was, uh, that was a bit of a blow. Yeah, I was um, there too. So they did say, uh, the the host said something. They were, they, they, he was interviewing two of the developers and he, they were talking about, I think, competitive updates or something. And he, he, you know, one of them said, in the coming months, we will be updating you on alliances. And yeah. I think he also said Swiss. And we haven't gotten an update on alliances since then. Now, Swiss happened, I though, actually, right? Yeah, Swiss has happened, yeah. Which is good. I saw, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a Reddit post where it was like, you know, this is the two-year anniversary of not having an update on alliances <laughs> or whatever. And someone commented on it saying that, you know, well, what are they really supposed to say? You know, they, they're they implementing things into the engine of Guild Wars 2 or, you know, the back end or whatever. You know, there's this and this standing in their way, whatever. And I kind of understand that. I, I kind of agree because, yeah, I mean, there's not really a lot they can say about what's going on with it. You know, they could basically just lay out maybe the I don't agree with that. With or, okay, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Um, and again, I don't, I don't really understand how, how the process works. So maybe right. there is a lot more that so like, you, could, I, you could go into. I, I don't work in game dev, but I do work in corporate software. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I can tell, I can tell you from my own experience that as someone who's been a key stakeholder on various projects, that sometimes things go really fucking wrong and sometimes timelines get dramatically screwed up. And the most important thing when that kind of thing happens for you to do is to communicate and you yes. don't have to just say the absolute bald, naked, embarrassing truth. That's not necessarily what you need. Sorry, guys. Like we decided to make a different game instead of instead of focusing on this, and that's what those people are doing. Like you don't have to say that. But what you do have to do is help the people who were involved, who are your stakeholders, because they play your game and got excited about this, reset their expectations. And if you wait until people forget about it. What you do is you create this overarching narrative, which existed before alliances with 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 uh, ArenaNet, of the idea of undelivered promises, talking about things, you know, talking big and acting small. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there are ways of communicating that. And admittedly, what I've done is much smaller scale than a game. It doesn't directly translate, but people need you create a social contract when you announce something like this. This is why it's so powerful to do things like go on Facebook and say, I am going to lose X amount of pounds by next year, this time next year, because social contracts are very strong. Humans are very strongly motivated to follow yeah. through on the things that, are, that, that, that they announce. And that's why, like, whenever I want to ch do something different or change something about, about my life, one of the things I'll do is I'll just get on, I'll just talk to people about it. I'll tell people I'm trying to do this. Yeah, yeah. That absolutely. creates... A, a desire for me and also like people who are connected to me know what I'm trying to do and they can support me in ways I don't expect. Um, but anyway, that's not, that's not game dev related, but a net 
could help the community set the appropriate expectation for alliances. Yeah, absolutely. And none. my read as a non-worldview world player, but as someone who was also excited about this announcement, for me, I thought alliances were going to be my in to get into worldview world. Because I've always found the idea of going through my server to be a little intimidating and to be a little alienating and slow. But the idea that I could work for, from, from, through, through an alliance with a guild was very cool to me. And we need to know what's going on. And the only thing that I can assume from the lack of communication is that they haven't decided and they don't know. And that is a common, like there's a stamp that has that sentiment on it and it gets printed out on the forehead of the community every single time something like this happens. Yeah, I've said before, and I think it's true, that the thing about live service games is that you're not just creating a game play experience that people are going to experience, like going, like playing through The Witcher. You're creating a relationship because there's promises of future development and people need to know what to expect the same way you do in like a human relationship. Um, you know, if, if you get into a relationship with someone with the idea that you want to have children and then the time comes and there's economic stability and you say, hey, I'm not, I, I don't want kids. I think it's dumb. That's a huge breach of trust. Yeah. And in gaming terms, if you give a bunch of people who are starved of having meaningful development and realization of a great idea for a game mode into something that, that's successful and more broadly adopted, of not just not something that, that would necessarily save the game mode, but would be a meaningful iteration that would be a next step, which is how all progress is made anywhere on anything. You take steps. And then you tease it and you tease it and you just leave it behind is a gross failure in communication. And I completely hold ArenaNet accountable for that. Um, the tricky part of it is that ArenaNet is a conglomeration. It's a, it's a company and it's made up of people who I individually, I am 100% sure, are all trying to do the right thing. Um, and people are all subject to decisions and realities and, and conditions and tools that are completely outside of their control. Um, but these live services games like, like Guild Wars need to figure out a better way to communicate with us. And I don't think people are wrong to be bummed out at all. And I don't think the memes are inappropriate at all. But it is up to you to decide how to act once, once you feel a certain way. And I, I definitely don't, <laughs> don't love the, the state of the, the community discourse being what it is and how negative it is. Yeah. And I understand the need to have creators come out and say, we're going to be a source of a font of positivity and enjoyment yeah. rather than being an amplification of this negative sentiment. However, and I think that that is, is a, is a perfect example of what I just said of what are you going to do? Like, yep, you've been, you've been given lemons. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my rant. That's my soapbox. Um, I, I wonder I what you think. On. No, I mean, yeah, I, I think maybe I sort of uh, misspoke a little bit when I said that, you know, I, I agreed with that Reddit post where I was saying, uh, or they were saying that, you know, maybe ArenaNet doesn't have anything to update, so why should they? Communication is such a huge, huge issue for ArenaNet, and it always has been, and maybe it always will be, which is a shame, but um, they absolutely need to communicate stuff like this. And even if it's, if it's not giving us specific examples of what's going on, you know, just, just saying, hey, you know, again, we ran into some delays working on this, or, 
you know, the, this isn't happening as quickly as we wanted yeah. it to, you know, whatever. Communi communication is really important. Relinks, it's a low priority. We're focused um, on the expansion and it's not going to be part of the expansion. Yeah. Boom. That would yeah, be that helpful. would be that would be oh that would be so good because a lot of people are, are thinking oh maybe alliances will come out with, with EOD. I yeah. don't think it will. And I think for people to expect that and for it not to happen would be again another blow. So if, for them to come out and just say it, I think would be great. But mm -hmm. you know, my my sort of what I was sort of saying was that I think, you know, it's a lot of people will have these expectations of them putting out like a, a forum post or something every X amount of months specifically detailing what has been done and what hasn't been done. And I think what this Reddit post was saying was, you know, maybe there just really isn't much to, to detail there, and, and that's fine. But yes, absolutely, they still need to be giving us these these updates and, and just saying, hey, yeah, we're still doing this. Or, you know what, we're shelving it for now because it just isn't going anywhere. Yeah. And if that's the case, it sucks. But at least it's better to know than not yeah. know. Be, di be think... direct and help us adjust our expectations. Yeah. You, we don't need to know every little detail. I think Arena has this history of, of being really worried about saying something, not being able to do it, and then not wanting to say that they yes. can't do it. I'm sure that passivity is not is not is not a, a lack of ability or, or interest in communicating. I'm sure that it's it's a reluctance to to face the backlash. I'm sure that and, there's a fear that if they announce something like what I just suggested, there'll be headlines on MMORPG.com to say and there will be. Alliance is nowhere in the future for Guild Wars. World v. World continues to die. And what effect that's going to have on expansion hype. And and this is a little bit what you were saying about how, how negative the community is right now in the community discourse. And, you know, I, on one hand, am I'm very, you know, displeased with a lot of the things ArenaNet has done and the way that they handle certain situations. And... I don't want to say I'm anti-ArenaNet because mm -hmm. I don't really like the idea of that, but I definitely have my gripes with them. But at the same time, I can understand why they would be worried about doing that sort of thing yeah. because, I mean, the Reddit is vicious sometimes. <laughs> so it's terrifying. I mean, it's horrible sometimes. And, yeah. and you know, I, I understand why people are frustrated. I get frustrated all the time. I understand why people are upset. I get upset all the time. But you really need to, I think, stop and think about, you know, what you're saying. Because, I mean, this goes obviously back to just, like, video games. You know, when you're online, you know, you're, you're separated with a screen. And obviously, you'll be, you know, we can see each other now with face cams. But, you know, you're still not right in front of me. And, and you know, a lot of people, I think, don't really fully grasp that there's, there's actual real people on the other side of that screen. And, you know, they'll say things and they'll do things that that are that are very hurtful and, and very yeah. horrible and and they won't really fully understand or grasp you know what what they're doing and i think that i don't want to paint the guild wars 2 community as this horrible toxic child or anything although in some cases it has been but you know definitely i mean it must be horrible being a game developer in some cases not just for arena but just in general right yeah I, mean, the back I, I think it's hard for anyone to do this sometimes one yeah. of the, the fellows I had on my podcast a couple months ago is the, the lead game designer for Planet Site 2. I'm not one of the main games I talk to people about. And um, he has been a lightning rod for negative feedback in that community for years. He's actually someone who started off making videos about the game and then got hired and then over years got promoted to being the lead game designer. Pretty cool story, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but he's a meme in the community because he's the most visible person on, on that development team and he he's just like like a punching bag for everybody yeah um yeah. I, I i feel really bad for the guy but and he had to go through a period with that company where they had 
I think for two years, I'm, I'm not sure exactly because the timeline's not, it's not public. It's not, it's a little fuzzy. Mm. I think there was like a two year period where for planet side, I, I described the game to you. It's a thousand players on a continent, three faction PVP with tanks, planes and shit. And they went through a period of two years where they had only three time full developers developing the game. Wow. Only three. And they didn't tell anyone that they were lightly staffed. They talked around yeah. it. They dealt with it. And Eventually, he came out and said, like, once they got some more people, like, yay. Um, I think he made a video talking about how their development staff had doubled to a size of six. And, and that's how people figured out that number. Um, people who are making these games are passionate, hardworking people who deal with a lot of crap. It doesn't mean that the crap is unwarranted, but we can yeah. all do each other a favor to do exactly as you said and recognize the humans that are making up these machines, right? And I, I will say that, again, I think Arena definitely dropped the ball on communication because, yeah, absolutely people need to be nicer or, or more considerate or whatever and understanding, you know, that, that shit happens. But at the same time, Arena does such a terrible job of letting people know that shit happens. And, you know, I'll, 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 I, I'm going to probably use his name more, and I always do, but, I mean, you look at ArenaNet Ben P, you look at um, a, uh, Raymond, um, you know, he, I don't know if you're familiar at all with Raymond. I don't know Ray, no. He, he, he's a, he's a, he was a world versus world programmer. He's a, he's okay. an arena net developer. Um, I think he's been, I'm not sure if he, exactly his position, but, um, he's a, he's a programmer at arena net. Um, you look at CMC, right? Yeah. And these are, these are developers that take it upon themselves. This is not stuff that they were told to do. As far as I understand, this is not mm -hmm. stuff that, that is in their job description. They take it upon themselves to integrate themselves into the community. I, I, I started seeing Ray by he would be posting on the forums. He would respond, like he would comment on some Reddit threads, right? And he just seemed really interested in the world versus world community. He seemed mm -hmm. interested in getting to know them better, to trying to understand how he could help them better. And that spoke to me because I, and I, I ended up messaging him on Reddit. I PM'd him on Reddit and I was like, hey, you know, I really like what you're doing. I just want to say thank you for, for the work you're doing. And that ended up evolving into him joining a Discord with other, a World of World Community Discord. And, and that's how we started communicating with devs. And then that grew into, you know, I did the same thing with Ben and stuff. And, that's and now CMC is involved with, with, you know, several different Discords that really influenced, I mean, the balance patch that we had today. I, you know, obviously it was, it was done by CMC or, you know, the balance team at least. Okay. But I think, I think a large part of it, a large part of the balance patch specifically was influenced by the discords he's in with players. And so for those That's developers cool. to do that themselves, right, that speaks to me as, as people who care and, and that itself makes me more familiar with ArenaNet because before I started having these interactions with these ArenaNet developers, I kind of viewed it as a as Anet, right? And I, if, yeah. if something went wrong, I would say, blame Anet. This is Anet's mm. fault. But now that I've actually spoken to devs, right, and I had lunch with these guys, and I hung out with them, and I talked to them, not on a daily basis, but a lot, and, you right. know, I understand a little bit better of what's going on, and of course, you know, I'm an ArenaNet partner now, so I see a little bit more on the inside, not really a lot, but a little bit more, sure. right? Sure, And so, I have a little bit better understanding. I can sort of, you know, I can, I can, I can really say, like, yeah, it's not just Anet's fault. You know, the community has dropped the ball a lot, and mm -hmm. they have a lot to deal with. There's, there's a lot of struggles that they have to go through, and a lot of them really try. You know, again, right. Ben, Ray, seems they put in so much effort and work, and they really do care about the community. Yeah, and to expose yourself like that to the community and to public feedback is very yeah. is a very hard, risky thing to do. I really respect the the courage in accepting that invitation that was extended. The company as a whole. 
I just wish they did that because I, I genuinely think if the company as a whole had a better relationship with their community, the game would feel so much better. The community would feel so much better. They don't even have a community manager right now as far as I know. So, yeah, I think that people need to be more understanding and a little bit nicer and stuff. But at the same time, ArenaNet could 100% be doing a better job of this like some of their developers do. Right. And I think it's I think it's a real shame because the game is amazing and I think that so many parts of the yeah, community agreed. are amazing and I think a, a lot of the, um, all of the developers probably at Arena they really do care about the game and the community but I think that there's just been this really long history of them not really being willing or maybe able in some cases to to communicate with the community to properly get involved with the community and it's it's evolved into what I say they're very detached from the community and mm-hmm. this is very evident in World vs. World. This is very evident in lots of parts of the game. But there's just this severe detachment that the community and arena, I think, have. And I think it severely hurts the game. Um, you know, I think that developmental paths aside, the fact that, to me, ArenaNet just doesn't really seem to understand their community or really seem to uh, resonate with their community a lot, I think really limits the game and i think it just again i think it just it makes it feel a lot worse than it should and i think it's a a real shame because i think that's what makes games and gaming kind of special yeah i've seen a few examples of people like the cmc's and the rays and the 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 ben p's who have stepped out of the studio and into the community and um i mentioned the game designer from planet side i told you about um his philosophy on that was interesting to hear um, I think one of the things that we talked about is the idea that <clears throat> of understanding the the correct way to uh, to go about that relationship and and accepting feedback. It's the idea that gamers know what's wrong with your game, but developers are the ones who know how to fix it. Yeah. And but there has to be a good line of communication for that to occur. And I think that that line of communication is a challenge that I think hasn't really been solved by live video games because there's there's a huge asymmetry in the amount of, of interest and access that's desired by gamers versus the amount of of access and manpower that can be provided um you look at games like like world of warcraft that are kind of known for being a little bit quiet like they don't really say a lot from what i can tell um mm. in terms of day-to-day interactions um there have been periods where our anet devs have been really present like i remember after Heart of Thorns, like seeing like like Crystal uh, post stuff about raids on Reddit, um, they were doing the AMAs for a while. I remember that. Yeah, like Mike O would jump would jump in and join the conversation, which is interesting because I think he, under his leadership, um, starting in early 2016, is when we started seeing ArenaNet um, turn away from from talking to the community about what they were thinking. In a, yeah. um, but. Uh, I've also seen like some older examples, like the the original creative director of Planet Side Two is a guy named Matt Higby, and he was majorly involved in the community. Also, uh, took a lot of the heat. Um, but he the the cool thing about having a guy like that, I remember one time in 2015 or 16 before he left the company, um, I was playing Planet Side, just you know, just screwing around on a continent, you know, fighting some infantry battles, and I saw him, and that was a neat moment. Um, I think he killed me, and I, I killed him a few minutes later. Um, that feeling of connection with a developer is like, I don't know how you do it in a way that's repeatable, but it is insanely valuable. 
even if that connection doesn't necessarily mean that like the, the developer learns something new about how to what's wrong with their game or the gamer learns something new about how it's being fixed. Like I talk about these live service games need to have a relationship with their with their their consumers, their people who are the gamers playing it. And a big part of the relationship is feeling like you're connected. Um, I look at games like Warframe who have these big community manager run dev streams that, that they do. And I'm not sure if it's the right approach. Um, smaller games, I think, can get away with, 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 with smaller communities and get away with doing a lot more because the scale of the feedback they get is a lot, a lot more manageable. The thing that Rel told me and what I've been weaving my way around to is that he didn't really feel like any game had really solved the problem of trying to be a live services game with a relationship with its, with its gamers. And it's still something that's very new and very much being figured out. And so I sympathize. Yeah. Even though the communication has been dropped by Reunet, I recognize it is a very hard problem to solve. I, I think yeah, yeah. that the temptation to try to solve that problem by ignoring it, by minimally communicating, rather than turning and facing the problem and trying stuff. I don't know. This is obviously something that bugs me. It's maybe one of my main soapboxes. And it's one of the main reasons I basically stopped really playing the game actively in like 2018, um, which was during a time where I think a lot of people still thought the game was doing a good job. You know, a year after Path of Fire came out, Living World Season 4 was pumping hard. Um, we were seeing mounts being introduced as living world content. We didn't yet know about Icebird Saga and the expansion like features it was supposedly going to have. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we, we still thought we were going to be getting expansions every two years, which honestly is, is a model that kind of works. Um, World of Warcraft has been doing it for years and there's something there about it that, that, that's successful. This problem, the solving this problem is one of the core things I think I'm, the core manifestations of the interest that I told you about earlier that I have that got me to show up and do the podcast in the first place. Um, yep. I wish I had more examples in my head of companies that have done a great job of it. Um, maybe, maybe the companies that do a great job don't get recognized because if there's no problem, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, that makes sense. And then that leads back to, well, what are you going to do about the problem? Are you going to make your, your engagement all about negativity or you can do something positive? So let's talk about, um, do you, do you have anything you want to add to that? Not really. I just, I mean, you know, mostly, <clears throat> you know, everything I already said, but mm -hmm. I I do think that it's really, uh, again, important sort of just maybe the game has its issues. Uh, not maybe, the game has its issues, right? And, you know, maybe the developmental path of the game isn't necessarily what I personally enjoy or what the communities that I represent or play with necessarily enjoy. Mm -hmm. But as long as I feel as though the company that is making the game you know, understands that I exist, I still, you know, that, that still, that is important to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of times where it feels like that, that's not the case. And I think that, you know, a lot of people feel that way. And I think that that's just such a shame because, you know, a lot of people have historically said Guild Wars 2 has the greatest community of any online game. Right. And that's not necessarily true, but I think the idea that it could have the studio the should that, think that that arena net had you know because i think in yeah. builders one a lot of the init developers had really like tight knit you know ties in with the community mm -hmm. and i think some init developers have that but not enough and the company as a whole doesn't and again this just goes back to me saying that i think the company feels very detached from the community yeah. and that's such a shame because i think they could have come together and created some really awesome moments and some really awesome times and it was kind of left to the, just the community in a lot of ways to do that but 
Mm-hmm. Obviously not. I, I please proceed. No, that's perfect, dude. I think you summed that up great. I just wanted. I had one funny thought jump out at me while you were saying about the game can have its problems, but as long as you feel connected to the folks yeah. who are making it, it's kind of okay. And yeah. I had the thought that if you if you subtract if you sub substituted the word net with my wife, <laughs> that would that would be something that would be fair to me to say. You know, in our relationship, we've been together for eleven years, just about. A little more than 11 years. Thanks. Thanks, Mary, for about a little more than half of that. Um, we got our issues. We ain't perfect people. And we're not a perfect couple. But as long as we're, we feel connected to each other and feel like we're keeping each other up to date with what's going on and what we're working on, like, it's fucking gravy, man. It feels like, like yep. we're doing the right thing and we belong together. And that's what people want to feel. They want to feel like they have a strong, a strong connection to their MMO. But maybe me comparing my wife to a video game is a comparison that neither neither party would appreciate so i'll leave it at, I, i'll leave it at that <laughs> i I, th- I think it's a very good comparison and i i don't think it's insulting in the least because video games are very important to us and very integral part of our lives damn so straight i think that's great but damn straight yeah okay well let's think um okay so some i think that one really big important topic that could be left for us to talk about um I haven't really enjoyed the discussion so far, but um, I really want to talk to you about your thoughts about End of Dragons, which is the forthcoming expansion for Guild Wars. Um, what's your impression of it so far? We know very little, of course. What are your hopes or expectations? Yeah. Um, let's start with that. So I mentioned briefly that <clears throat> I'd been a little bit burnt out of the game. Um, back right after the Master of the Arena tournament happened, um, I actually I uninstalled the game and I didn't play for several months. Nice. Um, Good to take right a break. That happened. Yeah, and you know, I, it, I do think breaks are important. I think breaks are good. This wasn't really a good break in mm. the sense that it was sort of in, uh, motivated and influenced by bad things as opposed to me just wanting to take a break from playing the game. Got it. <clears throat> and I mean, it, it was partially that, but there were there were just some other sort of really negative influences that led to me doing that. Um, and since then, obviously I'm playing more. I just streamed several days the last week. Um, you know, I've, I've started, you know, I, I left a ton of discords. I left a ton of communities at that point and, and I've started to join some of them, not all of them again. Yeah. Um, and get involved in the community a little bit again. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of at a point where I was thinking maybe I'm done with the game. Maybe I'm done with, with creating content for the game and, and being involved in the community and stuff. But, you know, I, I, and I don't want to say that I'm like fully back at this point because mm-hmm. I don't think I am. I don't know if I'm going to be. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But I'm definitely going to be involved at least in some ways. You know, um, and I think there was a point where I didn't really care about EOD at all. I didn't really have expectations for it, mm-hmm. whether they were positive or negative. Um, so I, I haven't necessarily put a lot of thought into it. And I will be honest, I'm still sort of in the same way of thinking because. Um, HOT and POF, they both had extremely significant impacts right on the game, obviously. You know, there were huge changes to to all game modes and stuff. And of course, specifically for World vs. World, I mean, HOT had various different things for World vs. World. POF, really the only thing that affected World vs. World was, uh, obviously now mounts in World vs. World, but yeah. when POF was released, um, the, the new elite specializations, right? So, for EOD... In terms of thinking about World vs. World, which, of course, is the, the mode I care the most about, mm-hmm. the elite specializations are going to be Keep matter, talking. Right? I'm going to close my window. Someone's running like a leaf blower at 9.30 at night. Yeah. What the hell? One okay. second. Keep talking. That's, I can hear you. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
And so, you know, I think that the the thing that, that stands out to me, of course, is are these new elite specializations going to... Well, I mean, will we have new elite specializations? The assumption, of course, is that we will, that they've been a huge selling point in the last two expansions. It would be kind of crazy for ArenaNet to not include them. But we technically don't know for sure that they're coming. They haven't said anything about them. They haven't confirmed or denied it. I think the assumption that they're coming is safe, but the possibility yeah, that, that would be a, that would be a dramatic misstep, I think, to yeah. not include lead specs. I want two per class. I feel like, I feel like we, we were cheated. We got two and we so, got one 2015, one in 2017, nothing in 2019, one in 2021. We missed one. Well, hopefully 2021. But yeah, so. Oh man, I'm, do you think I, the, the EOD could come in 2022? Oof. Well, again, this is me maybe being a little bit biased, but I mean, alliances have, haven't come in two years. Yeah, fair, fair. Maybe, I mean, I think they're obviously putting vast majority of their resources into EOD, right? So I think the hope is that it's coming in in, uh, in 2021. Mm-hmm. But again, this this just comes back to the communication. They haven't said at all, really, they, they haven't really told us anything about EOD, first of all. They haven't told us where they're at with it. They haven't said, you know, we're thinking, again, they don't have to give us a specific date, but they haven't said at all, we're thinking it'll be, they haven't even said that they think it'll be in 2021. For all no, we know, it'll be three years from now. They have told but, us uh, their roadmap for, for champions, though, which yeah, paints a very suggestive picture. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were thinking that it will come after Icebird Saga ends. And and again, you know, maybe not a bad assumption. But the the thing to, so in terms of elite specs, right, and you said you wanted two. I've said actually a couple of times I kind of don't want elite specs because oh, what? this is my this is my fear, and okay. this is why again I sort of am wary about this expansion because Winds of Disenchantment came with POF, and it today today three more than three years later is now in a spot where I think it might be balanced for the game mode. It is. It has been the single most oppressive skill that has ever existed in World vs. World. This is the Warrior Spellbreaker Elite, right? Warrior Elite, yeah, for Spellbreakers. <laughs> it, has been, it has been the most impactful skill by far in shaping the metagame and shaping fights in World vs. World. And it has taken over three years for it to come to a point where I think it might be balanced. I'm okay. not sure yet because obviously the patch was today, haven't had time to play with it, but, you know, three years. Now, when you look at POF and you look at the HUT releases all the all the specs pretty much were very very overpowered in in on all three game modes Mm -hmm. now again they're a selling point of the expansion they want people to play these 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 specializations they want people to be excited about them so they want them to be strong that's fair but the problem is balance with guild wars 2 has been such a horrible it's been in a horrible place for such a long time Mm -hmm. and it has really felt like they've again dropped the ball on balance uh, you know, it takes them way too long to to actually implement balance changes. A lot of the times, they weren't they didn't feel impactful. Now with CMC kind of in charge of a lot of the competitive balance splits, it does feel like the balance changes that are being put out are impactful. They are getting better. Mm-hmm. They are. It does give me a little bit more hope. But the problem is that in competitive game modes, you need consistent updates. Yes, you, you cannot have a good competitive balance is mode content if you do not have consistent game balance. Yeah. It's content, but it, it also, not only is it content, it makes the game feel better to play because right. when you're, pl- and, and this has been a, a huge issue, detrimental issue with Guild Wars 2, where there'll be something that is too strong that exists for months and months and months. Like I just said with Winds and Disenchantment, three plus years for it to get to a point where it might be balanced. Mm-hmm. And there was a ton of feedback when, you know, there were the POF beta weeks and weekends that people played there was a ton of feedback and this goes into again 
ArenaNet not really taking feedback into consideration and not really utilizing it very you know properly where people said if you release this specialization or this skill and this specialization like it is it's going to destroy the game mode Mm -hmm. and you that is my big fear with with eod where you know you have these specializations that are going to come out again they're kind of the main content for world versus world because we haven't really seen any world versus world focused uh releases in pof now, I, I obviously want to say that I think CMC is being more involved with the, the EOD specs, right? If there are them, if there are some, I think he'll be involved with the, the development that's of those. That's a big plus the balance for you. Of those. I can hear that. And I think, that's, I think that's really important to keep in mind. So it, uh-huh. you know, it gives me a little bit more hope. But, you know, in terms of EOD, obviously I think an expansion is great for the game. So the before, we get, months, before we get to that, yeah, I, want, I want to just uh, expand on the, the balance idea a little bit. <clears throat> I really wanted to hear what you had to say about it, though, because I think it's insanely interesting. Um, as someone, personally, who has become a very casual player of Guild Wars, really, ever since I stopped caring about raids, um, my perception is that balance um, balance content is for a small percentage of players at the top of, the, of, of each game mode, and that it doesn't have a large effect on most people, and it doesn't attract anyone to play a game. Do you think that's fair, or am I being too casual? I think that you have to look at it from sort of multiple angles because on one hand, um, I think that you're right. Balance is only going to affect a certain percentage of the population, at least in the competitive modes, uh, usually. However, I do think that if you look at League of Legends, right? Mm-hmm. This is a game, it's an esports, it's it's a MOBA, it, it's a PvP game essentially, right? And And so balance is much more important to that game because... If they don't have consistent balance, you know, their entire game is essentially going to suffer for it. You know, the, mm-hmm. their population, the player base. I mean, if I go to League of Legends, I'm if I'm playing League of Legends consistently, as, as that's my main game, I'm playing PvP. Excuse me. Now, if I'm playing Guild Wars 2, if, I, if I'm a Guild Wars 2 player, if that's my main game, the majority of the people who play Guild Wars 2 are very casual. They usually pl- they play Living Story. They don't play the game very often. They buy gem store items. You know, they 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 buy gems. They don't yeah. necessarily get involved in Twitch. They don't necessarily get involved with you know discussions on Reddit or forums or whatever. They're not involved in the community as much. And you know, Guild Wars Two is almost like yeah, what's up, Raka? Guild Wars Two is it, it sometimes can feel like a single player RPG instead of an MMO. That's obviously something that I think is a shame about Guild Wars Two. Yeah. So I think it's almost like you have to. It's like it's like the chicken or the egg, right? Which comes first, like. Is Guild Wars 2 balance not as necessarily important because, well, it's not as important, or is it because you know the the players that that make up the majority of the population yeah. are there because of the way the game's been developed because of that lack of balance? Because there was a point where Guild Wars 2 was esports. It had a pro league. It, yeah, it yeah. had a, a world tournament series. It had a two hundred thousand dollar prize pool. It had actual real esport leagues uh, mm-hmm. and organizations looking at it, but because their balance was so bad and it died. The pro died. Is that what tanked it, in your opinion? Poor balance? It was one of the biggest factors, yeah. Absolutely. Um, And so, I think that you are correct in saying that if today's balance... Oh, actually, this is is actually a really good example of this. Today's balance patch, I think, was almost perfect. I think today's balance patch, there wasn't a single change that I necessarily disagreed with. I think it was a very good patch. That being said, it, it wasn't enough. And if this is the sort of patch we're, we're going to get every four months, it's not enough. But okay. that being said, it was a really, really good patch. 
And yet you go to the Reddit and people are furious. People are wondering why there isn't more. Why isn't there more content? Why am I not being given more? They don't care at all about the balance. They don't care at all about how good it is, how much it impacts. Yeah. Again, Wins, Wins of Disenchantments gets nerfed today. Three and a half, three over three years that this skill plagued World versus World. That it, it is one of this change today, changing a skill just a little bit is one of the most impactful changes to World World versus so, World to the game to, mode to a World view World and noob. People explain, don't care about it. Explain how what what if what 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 effect that Winds of, Winds of Disenchantment has had on World v World and what you expect to be different now. So Winds of Disenchantment um, is a is a large AOE bubble basically. Mm -hmm. um and so what it does is you put it down think of a well or think of time warp on mesmer the elite skill time warp you put it down in an area it's not a, it's not a placeable aoe like time warp so it moves with the like warrior that, it, and it so it's a bubble centered on the warrior wherever the so, warrior so yeah, yeah yeah so basically what it does is it prevents enemy players inside that wins from being able to gain boons mm-hmm and what it also does, and that's a, that. There's no other skill that does that. There's nothing else like. Is there that a target cap it's on the that? Only th yes. Okay. Uh, the so the target cap currently, I believe, is five players. It was okay. ten at one point. It might be ten. I'd have to double check because they've changed it a couple times. But I think it's sure. five. Sure. Okay. Uh, per per wins, of course. So then, what it also does is it will strip boons of on people that are in in it. So it 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 does. So it strips boons, and it also prevents boon application mm -hmm. inside of wins. So that's and that's very important, especially for World versus World, where a game mode that requires coordination, it require you know it, it stability is an extremely important boon in World versus World. Uh, yeah. Resistance is an extremely important boon in World versus World. Because there's Protection, so much stuff flying around bigger. that if you're constantly getting condied and stunned down, like you just you're not even You'll playing a character. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And which, and so, which creates a more ranged type meta, I'd imagine. That that kind of maybe hostile. Of it. That's part of it, and okay. I'll I'll mention that in a second. So. Basically, I'm just guessing. What it I have does, no idea. So please do. Oh, that was that was well. You were you were right. You're pretty much spot on. But yeah. Okay. So it 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 is extremely impactful because it's essentially an area where you will get kills when you use wins. You will get kills if you play around it properly. So a group mm -hmm. that plays around it properly will get kills in the in, in wins of disenchantment. Right. It's an area where you have a much harder time supporting players because mm -hmm. you can't give them stability. So if 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 there's a well spike that goes down in world versus world, I might pop stability because you know I know that they're gonna I know the enemy group is gonna be dropping CC crowd control on top of that well spike. So I could give stability to my teammates and they can get out of it. Mm -hmm. But if there's a wins, I can't give them stability. They cannot get boons inside that wins. Mm -hmm. So there's you have to play around it in different ways, and so. The problem with wins was when it was released, and, and this sort of revolves around how horribly oppressive Scourge was at the time as well in release, and it's definitely in a much better place now, but Necro okay. is you know still strong, and just how much damage there is and was in the game mode at the time of POF release and now. So basically, the game on POF release, it just it, it completely changed how difficult it was to play the game. Because you went from a completely different meta, obviously, with completely different classes. And this was kind of the same thing on HOT release. But it, it's so much more difficult to not die in POF than it was in previous iterations of the game. And a lot of this comes down to, obviously, just more power creep, more things being added. Yeah. You know, now these unique effects where you can't get boons and stuff. And, you know, fair enough. That happens, Yeah, it's right? an anti-support ability. It's very interesting. A lot of it comes down to, as well, just... The lack of consistent balance updates 
mm-hmm. make making things in line with other things. So things um, that are that, that are oppressive and unfun remain that way yeah. for a long time. And if they've been balanced out once a quarter, it would not be that big of a deal. Yeah. So one of the big issues with wins on release was that when you put it down, so on release, you would you would you would hit the skill and it would drop a bubble, a mm-hmm. static bubble on top of the area you dropped it, and then you could keep moving around. So on release, it lasted for ten seconds. It would it would rip boons immediately as soon as you put it down. It would rip them at a very fast rate. I think it was something like every half of a second, maybe. And okay. I think it also affected ten people. So okay. they they've nerfed it and they've changed it several different times. At one point, it lasted for five seconds and it was stationary. Uh, they also removed the immediate boon removal, so there's now a slight delay. So basically, so it ramps. Yeah. Basically. Before you would, the winds would go down, and you would immediately lose boons. Now the winds will go down. You have an opportunity to get out of it before you start losing boons, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. They also delayed the interval on how often it rips boons, and they reduced the player cap, so it's it's five instead of ten. So is that however is that what, to the state where it's in as of today's balance patch or before today's balance yes. patch? Okay, yes, that's today's state. So however, in between then there was a point where it was a channeled ability that followed the warrior around. Mm-hmm. So it was mobile instead of stationary. And this was a really big thing that we wanted for a long time. We wanted it to revert back to being stationary because the problem is when it's mobile, mm-hmm. you can interrupt it, but you can also follow people with it. So mm-hmm. right now, you, there, it takes a little bit of skill to play around it, right? Because you drop it and people have to move out of it, but they can't follow you with it. So you can kite it. You can try and bait people to drop it and then run away and wait for it to disappear and then go back in. And not only that, you can also use it defensively now. So instead, if you have a group of 60 people and you're 20 people, before, they could just all run straight at you and they could have 10 warriors hold Winds of Disenchantment and just W-key you down. And Mm. there's nothing you could do about it because you're a third their size and that many winds chained on top of you, there's literally nothing you can do about it. But right. now what you can do is, if you're, if you're that outnumbered group, you can use a wins and you can just drop it on top of yourself and they will run into it. And they can't do anything about that because they can no longer interrupt your channel. Mm-hmm. So basically what it does is it enables outnumbered groups to have a little bit more of an opportunity. And it also stops that wins from being as oppressive in those outnumbered situations. So now it's dropped rather than yes. centered on the warrior. And yep. um, which sounds like it would, if I'm going to... Let me see if I'm, if I'm synthesizing this correctly. It's more of like a zone control thing, as opposed to before, um, where it's much more of, of a tool for, for aggression and attack. Um, it also means more coordination is required, because right. now you, ha- you have to spike, you have to place your damage or your CCs or whatever inside that one area, as opposed to being able to basically put them anywhere, because the winds could just continue to follow people. So it right. requires more coordination. So it, Again, it's it, it requires a little bit more team play, and that's a good yeah, yeah. thing. And so you, you could do, you could do a, like a hammer and anvil thing, where you have a yes. warrior who like who like savage leaps past the enemy zerg sure. while you're driving the zerg across like a like a, like a choke 100%. point and drop the yeah. winds right 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 right. So the zerg is between the 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 hammer of of, of the, yeah. the other zerg and the, the winds. So either they turn and fight you with their boons, or they keep or they running run into, the into the boon strip and they're and they're screwed. That's yeah, that's. That sounds Absolutely. like a positive change, and it it was in that state where it was movable for how long? Well, so it wasn't obviously the full three years because there was there were on release it was stationary, and there was a small period of time where after they made it mobile, they reverted it back to stationary uh, in in the state that it is currently. 
but f- it, it, I would say the majority of two years uh, it has been okay. mobile. Um, and so uh, I wanted to touch upon this because you mentioned something about how it sounds like a skill like this would make um, the game more ranged. Uh, and so there's actually a word for that in World of Wizards. It's called pirate ship. I've so heard that pirate before. Shipping, mm-hmm. Pirate shipping is, is, is a term used to describe a meta where the majority of your damage is range damage, and you're mm-hmm. not really engaging with the group, right? So you're never really one group goes into the other group. Like you're doing broadsides. Right? Yeah, just yeah. Kinda... and it's... The majority of people don't like it. It's very boring. You're usually... Again, you're not really interacting with the enemy group. You're not really engaging with them. Usually fights will take longer. I remember there was a point where it was kind of... It was kind of the meta way to play, and fights would literally last 30 minutes, and you'd kill, like, three people. In 30 minutes, which is horrible. I mean, that's boring. just so boring. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it, it takes a real toll on you, honestly. And so that, it's, it's, it's pretty much a bad, it's, it's a bad meta. And it usually hasn't been a meta for very long, which is good. It usually isn't the proper way to play. Generally, melee engages are going to be more impactful than ranged mm-hmm. in general. So th- there was that's an point... outcome that can occur when, when melee is, when, when, when engaging in melee combat is too high cost. Yes, exactly, yeah. And so there was a point in the game where, so uh, on release, stability, the boon stability, was one, this was before boon stacked, but you you would Mm -hmm. have a stack of stability, right? It was just just the boon stability. Uh, And and so stand your ground, for instance, the guardian skill would apply stability, and it would give stability to your allies for a certain duration, and they could not be CC'd now. It didn't matter how many CCs they got hit by, it couldn't be removed from them until it ran out of duration. It wasn't consumed. It Right. It could be stripped away by a necro strip, but mm-hmm. obviously that's that just just that. So what they did was originally so when they added um stacks for boons, they you know, they gave stability a certain amount of boon, uh, stacks. So stand your ground is 5 stacks of stability just like it is now. But but when they originally did that, what they did was a stack of stability could be removed. There was no internal cooldown on it. So if you ran into a line, you'd lose a stack. And then if you ran into a line, another uh, guardian line, right? A CC line of warding, staff five on guardian. Yeah, yeah. If you ran into another one, literally 0.0001 seconds later, it would remove two stacks of stability. So there was no internal cooldown. So what this <laughs> led to yeah. was, so basically what, before that before that change, world versus world was a hammer train basically where you would run into the enemy group with your guardians and your warriors and you would hammer and and... Obviously, the game was very, very different back then because you had ranged groups and melee groups and focus parties and all this and that, but that was essentially how you played. It was meta, uh, me- uh, hammer train. When that change happened, you could not melee engage because mm-hmm. if you tried walking forward, you would immediately get stunlocked forever and you could not move and you would just die. So that was, that was when pirate ship was kind of the most uh, meta because... Mm-hmm. All groups would not engage with each other. And so fortunately, they, they reverted it, or they didn't revert it, they changed it so that there's now an internal cooldown on removing a stack of stability. A stack of stability can only be removed, I believe it's every 0.75 seconds. Okay. So, that and that, and, and I actually think it's, a, it's in a very good place. I, I like it currently how it is. Okay. Um, and so I, that was just something you mentioned before, how, you know, something like wins could maybe change how the entire way, you know, f- the meta game works. And, and you're absolutely right. Fortunately... Wins never really made pirate ship that I, I would say good. People were worried about it on POF release, and mm-hmm. a lot of people did think that pirate ship was kind of going to become the meta. Some people still claim it is. I don't think it was, uh, and and I can definitely see why because 
again, as you said, wins now the way it is, the way it was, kind of more seems like a zoning skill than anything mm-hmm. else. And I think that's fair. I think I think that makes sense. But again, it's it's only a five second duration. On release, it was ten seconds, so that's why it probably seemed worse. But as a five second duration, you're basically zoned for five seconds, so you do have to kite. But then you go back in, and again, I think mostly you're going to be engaging. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's it's not really pirate ship, but you're also not full on one hundred percent melee all the time. So it's in my opinion, it's in a good place. But it could have variety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I can see how having the movable bubble would would over reward like just kind of melee trains just 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 plowing into people where you stack up stack up the bubbles and it just, just it didn't feel fun to play face. the game and um i imagine it would it would reward groups for stacking up spell breakers which i yes. feels it probably feels bad in terms of group comp yes it did yeah, absolutely yeah and i remember that's the case it's 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 an unfortunate thing i remember early in the raiding days when elementalists were the king of dps and um times where basically you would run the necessary support classes and then as many alleys as you could and uh how how weird that felt at the time so yeah you always want to encourage a good variety of classes the best way of doing that is to make sure that anything that's strong doesn't doesn't multiply right um consistent updates yeah you just need consistent updates and fast iteration yeah, yeah. which is which is the uh the sign of which is a, something you want in any kind of any kind of creative endeavor in software, especially um, gaming. Um, okay, and I know that balance has been a, a trouble spot. So what you just provided is a kind of detailed retort to my suggestion that balance is really only for the one percent. And what what you just what you just said is kind of say, hey, you know, balance affected this entire game mode. This one skill negatively impacted this entire game mode for the whole time it was in this state. Is that an accurate way to put that, do you think? Yeah, and, and I actually, there, I think there was a little bit more I wanted to say because okay. I think, so as I mentioned, you know, the Reddit today went kind of wild because they were like, oh, this patch wasn't good at all, even though, you know, from my perspective, it was a great patch. Well, people wanted more it, from the, the the Dragon Response the DRMs, missions, yeah. right? So there's there's a, a, a um, baby's not getting fed today. Yeah, and so, you know, not to be like a toxic elitist right but i think the the Do average it. guild Wars 2 player is not aware of balance they don't understand you know why something happens the way it does they don't understand they don't look at a balance change and they don't get excited about it like i would right, they don't look at a balance change and say okay this is how it's going to impact the game right but the thing is even if they don't necessarily understand it even if it's not something that they think about and there was a point where i didn't think about balance at all when i played the game they're still playing the game now Maybe these players are only really playing Living Story. Maybe they're only doing the average open world con- content, right? And so in that case, it probably balance doesn't really affect them that much. But the thing is, I also don't think that it it's there then in in those players' cases. And again, this isn't me trying to be like some sort of toxic elitist. I don't think that their opinion is that relevant because they're not playing game modes that are affected by balance. Right. And so maybe those players aren't really affected by balance. Maybe it's not as important to them. Maybe it's not as relevant to them. And fair enough. But the thing is, for the people who it is relevant for, and, you know, again, I think it's more people, I think more people are affected by balance changes, good balance changes, than necessarily are represented by the people who are talking about it. For the people who are talking about it, for the people who really care, balance is so important. Because, again, you go, you you look at a game like League of Legends, balance is 
integral to the game being good, the game feeling healthy, the game feeling fun to play. Mm -hmm. And for someone who's a little bit more competitive, GVG, I play World versus World, I play PvP, balance is very important to me because yeah. I, that's content. Balance is content to me, and that's why elite specializations in in uh, in expansions are content to me because they change the way the game is played. A living story patch, I don't really care that much about it because maybe I'll play it, maybe I won't, but it's not something that I really care that much about. But a new specialization, a balance change that changes how wins works, that's that's my content. That so, is what is relevant yeah. and important to me. This this goes back to your comment about the elite specs and made the the fear of of introducing new ones and what 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 awful things could come forth from them. What 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 beast can slouch forth from the new yeah ranger or the new necro specialization or the new warrior specialization i, and I hear that, that and, and exist for too long underpinning that is is a lack of confidence in 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 the balance update cadence so yeah it's it's like it's like building a house on a rotten foundation in a way and maybe the the the, the, the proposal you have for what you want to add makes sense but as long as the, the foundation is iffy i get why you'd feel reluctant to move forward I, I hear that, dude. That's that's a and it, something I did not really understand. So it was very cool to hear an in-depth explanation about what Wins has been doing and why people are excited to see a change. And I will say, I think an expansion is great for the game. I think historically the expansions have been good for the game, even if maybe they haven't been great for the game modes I play, or you know they haven't felt great to play maybe. And I think that the hope is the elite specs that essentially assuming you know will come with eod right that we presume will come with eod mm -hmm. they won't be as out of line and the hope as well is that you know if they are really really oppressive within a month or two they get changed they get nerfed they get bounced whatever right that's yeah. the hope and and you know what i do have a little bit of hope in that um I'm no, not i would completely like, i would like them to be oppressive for three months and then balance <laughs> let us have yeah. some fun yeah well I can see where you're coming from for that. I maybe don't agree, but I, I'm I, just I, talking I about it. selfishly. No, I totally yeah, yeah, understand yeah. what you're saying. Um, I, I also want, wanted to add a couple of layers onto a couple of things you said, and then I do want to talk a little bit more about the expansion. Um, mm -hmm. You said the you purport the idea that most people are casual players, and I wanted to extend that to say most people playing any game are casual players, even league. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. I also want to add on to extend the idea you put out about. Um, about people being may, maybe not impacted by balance. I think that people consume a balance patches, but casual players aren't aware, aren't aware of it. Yeah. They don't know where it came from. Why can I not get a dungeon group if I'm playing Necro, you know, back in the old days? Yeah. yeah um, absolutely. You know, uh, <laughs> um, why are Rangers always getting kicked from squads in world versus world? Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. People experience these things, even if they don't understand them. Or like I remember back a few years ago when Ariana made some challenge, some changes to to my my class warrior, um, and all of a sudden I could play axes in PVE for the first time, and that felt pretty cool. Like yeah. we'd never been able to do that before that. Um, now it's you know one of the meta builds. Or my understanding is that it is. So yeah, it is important, and especially for for a game that has PVP components, that just makes it doubly so. And I don't know why ArenaNet has never been able to consistently balance things. Um, I just think that there's probably a lot of things that are changing on the inside that we don't get to see. But I have, I hope that your fear of 
does not come to place of a new, really, really big balance issue that creates that kind of an outcome. And I do yeah, still I want my two game. elite specs per class. I'm owed one, damn it. So, okay, well, I, I'm a casual player. One of my great joys when I do choose to play Guild Wars is to change is, is to change play with a different spec. And for me, because I'm not really heavily involved in PvP or World versus World yet, I've always been world, world view world curious, which is part of I wanted to talk to you. I'm learning a lot here. Um, but I've mainly raids were like for me the thing that really was my flashpoint to engage engage with this game because I love I love raiding. Um, you know, I told you about my raiding past in World of Warcraft, and it, to be able to be relive that in a way it's a little bit more, you know, let's just say integratable into my adult life compared to what that used to be, felt so cool. Um, and I. I, for me, the, the, when, when the balance affected my ability to raid, that was content. I remember when Condition Warrior first became a thing. And like, wow, this is really interesting. And there was a, there was a while when uh, Scorched Earth, I think, the, the Condition Berserker uh, burst skill was completely ridiculously over-tuned <laughs> because yeah. of, you know, tick and, and ICD mechanics, exact similar to what was going on with Wins, a uh, component of it anyway. And um, that was fun to experience for a little while. Um but I don't know what the answer to that is, but I also would be, and I get why you're reluctant. I can tell you the answer. If anyone from Arena is listening, I want to hear your answer. If anyone from Arena is listening, I hope that you guys don't listen to Roy and then you give me plenty of elite specs. And, and, but I hope you do listen to Roy and, and, and balance them a lot. That's my hope. Go ahead. And the answer is CMC. The answer is CMC. CMC, damn straight. Next up on Basement Side Chats, CMC. You know, he probably would come on. I'll, I'll, well, CMC, if you're, if you're hearing this, uh, you know, let's touch base. I'll, uh, he's on Discord, you said? Yep. I'll find him. <laughs> that will be very fun. Um, okay. Anything else you want to add to that or should we move on to talk more about End of Dragons? I think, I think that's fine. Okay. End of Dragons. Other than, so you, we talked about elite specs. What else stands out to you about, this expansion in terms of hopes, fears, and expectations. So obviously we are pretty sure we're going to Cantha, right? Which of course ties That's into Guild Wars. The only Wars thing 1. we do know. Right. And so, you know, I think there's two ways to look at it. One, you know, I could be excited about it because Cantha was very cool in Guild Wars 1. There were a lot of really awesome things they introduced with with Cantha, with factions, the the X Pack in, in Guild Wars 1. But at the same time, you know, I think that there's a little bit of a fear that they're just trying to milk the nostalgia factor and that, yeah, we're going to go to Cantha, but, you know, all those great features you loved in Guild Wars 1 aren't going to be added to the game in Guild Wars 2, which, you know, I think you maybe necessarily wouldn't want all those features, and of course they wouldn't look the same anyways, so that's fair, but, you know, still I think it's going to kind of make people assume these things. And, and I think what it really comes down to for me is that, again... They're just not telling us anything about it. They're really just leaving everyone to kind of create these these assumptions and, and create these ideas for themselves. Mm -hmm. And it, it is a little bit worrying because if EOD is coming sometime after Icebird Saga ends, and we're assuming Icebird Saga ends, you know, in, in, Mar in March or April or whatever, right? Um, and, I mean, so, okay, let's say EOD comes the beginning of the summer, June, July, something like that. And we we still haven't learned anything about it. Now, you know, maybe in the next couple of months we'll start getting more information about it and stuff. All mm -hmm. right, fair enough. But it's just, it's a little worrying to me that we just haven't really gotten any information about it. You know, they haven't done any sort of teasers for Elite Specs. They haven't really told us, you know, 
they're going to introduce new masteries or maybe a new mount or you know there's going to be a new type of open world content that they're going to or a new pvp game mode like factions introduced you know alliance mm. battles and all this yeah. stuff yeah and you know you know i've heard a couple of different things about maybe what's going to happen obviously i have no idea if it's just wild speculation or not but i, I uh, look, yeah, I think the expansion is going to be good for Guild Wars 2 no matter what. I think it's a huge selling yes. point for the game. I think expansions always are. I think it'll get people involved in the game that maybe weren't playing it before. It might bring people back, and I think that's really expansions good. Expansions are the only thing that grow the fan base, and that can grow it. I, you know, and that's awesome, and I'm I'm happy for it, and I hope, I, you know, of course I want the game to go well. I, I want the community to grow and flourish, but I guess, you know, I'm I'm sort of going back to what I was saying before a little bit. I'm kind of at the point where I'm not sure if it impacts me or not because I'm not sure if I'm going to be playing the game when UD comes out. Maybe mm -hmm. my priorities will completely have shifted, you know. Um, when POF was announced, and HOT to some extent, you know, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that I was going to buy the X-Pack. There wasn't a doubt in my mind that I was going to be playing the game a sure. lot when sure. it came out. But now, I'm not really sure. I have to see what comes in the next couple of months. I have to see what EOD is going to really release. And so I'm a little bit more hesitant about it. Um, but again, I'm hopeful. I, I, I'm not, I'm not anti-EOD. I, I know that uh, Teapot, who is now in chat and calling me not PMA, um, and a lot of other people have you know, been saying that you know, one of the reasons they think there's kind of a content drought right now is because they're putting all their resources into the expansion. And that's probably Ooh. true. Um, and, yep. you know, the hope for that is then EOD is going to be really good. And of course, there's kind of two sides to this, because if EOD isn't really that good and they did put all their resources into it, resulting in the content drought, well, that's a real slap in the face. But the other thing is, for me personally, I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't love the idea of, okay, EOD is coming out nine months from now. Those nine months are going to be dreadful. You're not going to have anything to do. It's not going to be fun. You're going to have a shit time. After those nine months, it's going to be really great. But mm -hmm. those nine months, go play another game. Take a break. I don't really like that, personally. Uh, I understand why maybe that's a thing, but I'm not a fan of it. Okay. I don't enjoy not. I, I don't enjoy feeling like going into Guild Wars to the game is like going to a job that I don't enjoy. Going to a job that I don't want to do. Dreading playing Guild Wars 2. Mm -hmm. I want to feel motivated to play the game. And, and again, like I said before, today's patch was the first time I have felt excited to play World vs. World because of how impactful I feel this patch could be, because of, I, of the changes that I think it brings. And I'm really excited about that. And I haven't felt excited about Guild Wars 2 in a while, and so I'm really happy about that. And that's great, and I think it's awesome, and I hope stuff like this continues. But, you know, again, it just kind of ties back into I'm a little bit fearful of EOD because, one, I don't want to put too many expectations into it, and two, I'm worried that they're, they're neglecting the game too much and that even if EOD is really good, maybe it's not enough to sort of combat the the amount that they kind of hurt the game by right. not putting anything into it. And maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not going to happen. I, I I can't really say for sure. I'm I'm not sure. I don't yeah. know for sure, of course. But of course, a lot has things changed. I think about. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to respond to a couple of those things because I've I think you're right. Um, and I, I think what you called out is very wise. Um. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, one of the things I've I've done in my head is I've I've tried to contrast the announcement of this expansion compared to the other two, and use this as a starting point for a thought experiment about what what could be different, what could this mean, what can I expect. Heart of Thorns was released was announced nine months before it 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 came out, and 
Heart of Thorns, that period was characterized by a complete content drought that felt awful and tons and tons and tons of hype from the studio. Um, individual streams and announcements for each elite spec and all that stuff. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. weird and different world. Um, and then in 2016, when, 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 when the, the train kind of got revved up, um, and living world season three, and we moved right from season three into path of fire, moved right from path of fire into season four, we knew about path of fire, like, like maybe six weeks or two months before the release, like within, yeah. within the normal cadence of, of, of living world announcements. And that felt, that was crazy. Um, yeah. That felt like Arena hitting its stride. And now we get an announcement about End of Dragons. I think it was soft teased with that that image with the bell over the, the Canton-style bridge. Um, I know it was at least as far back as when when I when I talked to Teapot. Um, so I guess up two or three months ago. And I, I'm guessing at, at earliest, we can expect the expansion within a couple of months after Champions is planned to end, which is... Yeah. Um, like Q2 next year. Yeah. So probably Q3 is what, what ArenaNet would be hoping for, If is my guess. Yeah. That leaves us with about a year between announcement and delivery. And it's clear to me, by after experiencing the Dragon Response missions, first off, there are some things about Dragon Response missions that I actually took kind of like, at least conceptually. And I think that a couple people have done a really good job highlighting those. Teapot did a good video about it. WP um, Wooden Potatoes also did his own video on it that I think is interesting and worth watching. Um, but and I, I don't necessarily want to get into that. But um, what I do... Sorry, I might as well down a tangent. Let me think for a second. What I do think is worth considering is that we have a firm map, multiple releases down the, down the road, of what we now know will be quite threadbare content which to me obviously seems like a response to the problem introduced by Heart of Thorns with the content drought. They know it's going to be some, be some time before it comes out, and they know that they're focused on it as a, as a studio, at least the part of the studio that's working on the Guild Wars IP, or at least on Guild Wars 2. Mm-hmm. So Dragon Response Missions is the alternative to a content drought. I don't understand, and I think we, we kind of are, I feel like I'm almost owed an explanation for what changed from the Path of Fire, Living World, Season 3, season Path of Fire, Season 4 kind of cadence to Icebird Saga being this weird thing into transitioning yep. into Dragon Response with a someday expansion. Um, sorry, I was getting late and I'm having trouble stitching my thoughts together quickly. But I think that there are serious... If you look at this closely, I think that there are serious concerns about what's going on at the studio. Yeah. And then those concerns branch off into other questions about, well, what can we expect? And this is not PMA at all. This is this is group grieving. I know. Um, and to be fair, I I am I really want to be excited about End of Dragons. Um, like like someone who's been hurt by a relationship, I hope for the best from it. I really do. But I'm also have ratcheted down my expectations to match to, to match the reality that I've seen. I cannot allow myself to become overly invested because I've been hurt. I've been let down. Um, I don't excuse the studio for putting out lower quality content with the idea that the expansion will justify it. And well, at the, at the same time, I think ArenaNet is playing a dangerous game um, that maybe they have to play. And I don't know why that is where 
either what they've done for themselves if they if they've is they've bought themselves some time by announcing this thing early, planning some release stuff, and they allowed the community to backfill the idea that their resources are going towards the expansion, which is why this content sucks, which makes me think that the reason that they announced it is be they announced it is because they knew that they were going to have to put out low lower volume content and that they were going to need an explanation for why that is. You see what I'm saying? You see how I'm backing this up? Yeah, kind of. And maybe I'm just like a crazy old man ranting at this point. <laughs> um, but I think it's logical to follow those breadcrumbs. And yep. it, it, it creates a sense of, um, of hopelessness. It, it seems like, like, like someone, someone bargain, like, like, like begging for, their, begging for their, their, their gaming life in the corner. You know, it, it doesn't paint a picture of strength and confidence. It paints a picture of, of weakness and, and apologism and trying to get away with things, trying to manipulate our impressions rather than trying to, to thrill us. And if all these other things hadn't happened alongside it, all these other misses, then there'd be no context for me to feel this way. But this is, I think, what I feel and what I guess a lot of others do. Um, but maybe maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Anyway, um, feel free to jump in and tear that idea apart. Yeah. No, I mean, I think a lot of what you said resonates with, with me and it makes sense. Um, and again, I think I'm, I'm kind of in a weird sort of period, a weird sort of state where that I haven't been, um, in regards to Guild Wars 2 before, where expansion's good, expansion's cool, awesome, but maybe I don't care as much as, as I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, part of that is, I think, also just how POF was, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of explore that a little bit more in a sec, but I think part of it too is obviously just the way I've been feeling about the game for a while but you know I, i'll go through period like i i'm probably a little bipolar i guess but i sometimes i you know I, i'll wake up and to, you know and i'll be like all right i don't care about guild wars 2 you know it's whatever i'm I, I've, I've put too much time and effort into it i got didn't get anything back or whatever mm -hmm. and then and then an hour later I'll get on a Teapot stream and I'll be chatting with him and I'll be happy because I get to talk to Teapot. He's my That's good friend. That's the Teapot experience. We get to, yeah, the tea, well, it's, you know, <laughs> Teapot's an example. Teapot's not that cool, okay? Um, <laughs> and nah, he's a great guy. And, and you know, so I'll, I'll enjoy that experience and, you know, and I'll see people in, in the chat or on a Discord or who I'm talking to or I'm playing with in game, whatever. And I'll be like, all right, you know, this is why I've still, I'm still playing this game eight years later. This is why I still care about this community because I care about the community. I, I love interacting with these people that I've now known for years yeah. and years and, yeah. or maybe that I'm just meeting now, but I still really enjoy playing the game. Oh yeah. And you know, I don't think there's ever going to be a point in my life where I'm like 100% anti Guild Wars 2. I mm -hmm. thought, I thought I was at one point. I don't think I was. And, and I, I now feel that it's just not going to happen. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't like false positivity as much as I don't like negativity because mm -hmm. I, I don't think either are good. I don't think either help. And I don't want to be falsely positive about this. And I'm not saying necessarily a lot of people are doing that. I think some people maybe feel as though they need to try to force positivity because otherwise, you know, they just get some negativity, negativity will overcome. And I, yeah. And I understand, and mm -hmm. I understand that for sure. But I just don't like being falsely positive because I don't think Word. it really helps. And I also, don't, I also think that it's harder to, fix things by being falsely positive but at the same so that's not what i'm trying to do here but the the, the fact is even if 
nine months from now the the expansion is released and we've had you know this really big content drought we haven't really had a lot of great stuff you know me personally or maybe other a lot of other people or maybe some people think that the game's still fine maybe some people don't whatever but you know it's been kind of a hard road to get to the expansion and maybe the expansion isn't very good even if all that's the case I'll still probably end up playing the game a bit. I'll still probably end up interacting with the... Even if it's not really my main thing. Even if I, I've gone, you know, started a career at that point. Even mm -hmm. if I'm mostly playing other games. I would be... I, I can't really imagine a world where I'm not still interacting at least a little bit in some way with the Guild Wars 2 community. Because a year from now, you know what? If I have time on, on, on some weekend, maybe I'll go and cast a monthly AT or something. Sure. Right? I can see myself doing that. And so, you know, I don't want to be falsely positive, but I do think that the game itself is so good, and so there's there's such because of how we've been forced to sort of interact with each other as a community and and evolve as a community. There's this real sense of community for a lot of people that are more into you know the Twitch streams and like the more sort of competitive and hardcore game modes and stuff that I think it would be very difficult for us to just completely turn our backs on it. Some people mm -hmm. have, and, you know, that's fine, and that's good for them. They, they're off doing other things. But I think for people like me who I've sort of drifted away a little bit, but I'm still here a bit, you know, it's, that's also good because I've got a lot out of being a part of this community. I, I have got a lot out of playing this game for so long, and I don't regret it, even, yeah. though, I, even though all the things I've said in the last few hours... You know, and on all the, the, the sort of bad feelings I have and misgivings I have about the game in the studio, all that aside uh, and in, in consideration, I, I still really love the game and I still love the community and I'm still very grateful to have been a part of it for so long. So, yeah, you know what? We're in not a great place right now. It kind of sucks. That's the reality. And I don't want to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not disappointed in, in ArenaNet. I'm not disappointed in how the game feels to play right now. But, you know, I still love all my friends that I've gotten to know from this game. I'm still probably going to keep playing the game. I'm still going to keep making content. Maybe not a lot. Maybe barely ever. But in a little bit, you know, I will. And let me just say, to be frank, that's not really how I want to be playing the game. I would love to go back to how I used to be, playing it every single day, really relishing and, and being motivated to play it and push myself to, like, be the best GVG guild there is. And, and I can't do that anymore, and I hate that, and it sucks. But, you know, I still I still want to... I, I, I don't like the idea of completely being hopeless because I, I don't think that should be the case. And I think that even if ArenaNet continues to drop the ball like they have been, the community itself can survive. Uh, and stuff like what Teapot is doing with Hardstuck, I've had my misgivings about it. You know, I've kind of felt like maybe he's forcing positivity. But the fact of the matter is, he enjoys what he's doing, and he's putting a lot of work into it, and he's creating this community of people around him that are enjoying what he's doing. And, and you know what? If that's, if that's all it is, that's great. I think that's awesome, and I think that's beautiful in and of itself. So my long-winded sort of response to you is just that. I think, I think we should never completely give up hope, even, you know, that's not even forcing false positivity. I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll still be able to find a way to enjoy the game and enjoy each other. Uh, and uh, and have have a nice time, maybe not as much as we used to, which is sad. But hopefully we'll hopefully hopefully there's a brighter future. Amen, brother. I don't think I could add anything to that. I, I think we better end it on that. I think that was oh, all right. A great way to wrap it up. <laughs> Fair enough. Roy, thank you for taking all this time to sit down and educate me on Guild versus Guild, all these all the lovely history of World v World and. 
where it's at today, your hopes and your 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 thrills of the past and your hopes for the future. This has been really fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, just so you know, this is really just a warm up because uh, we haven't really touched very much about World versus World. So we'll have to, you know, we can do round two. We can do yeah, round I two. Mean, I'm I'm just getting ready to go. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I'm actually exhausted. I need to go to sleep. But you know, y'all enjoyed the warm up round of Roy on Basement Side Chats. Thank you, and thanks to everyone out there who's been watching live and who's gonna who's watching this after the fact. Really fun. Um, Roy, why don't you let people know where to find you? Man, Teapot always did this on Tea Times. I That's what you're supposed to do. I, you gotta promote yourself, man. Come on. I don't man. like promoting myself. Um, honestly, I, I don't know how much or when or whatever I'll be streaming if I do. Yes, I stream on Twitch sometimes, but uh, I... I think that um, I'd rather just say that uh, if you are watching live, or if you have been watching live, if you are listening to this at some point, well, first of all, congratulations for getting through four and a half hours of listening to me talk. That's not easy. Um, Deeg, of course, helps. But uh, make sure you uh, continue to support Deeg and all that he does, because this has been a absolutely lovely experience for me. I love I loved this very much. So thank you very much, Deeg, because this was this was great. I hope that uh, you continue to do this. I mean, I know you're going to continue to do this, but I hope you continue to be able to grow. So guys, make sure you are supporting Deeg, and of course, supporting all the other amazing Guild Wars 2 content creators, because they all deserve it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I am not, I am not important anymore. I am, I am gone with the wind. I, uh, you know, it's, it's, I am no longer relevant, but, uh, Thank you, Deke, for having me. This this really was a very, very enjoyable experience. It's it's a pleasure. I'm glad I got to know you better. And, and thank you very much for having me. This was this was awesome. My absolute pleasure, Roy. I don't think you're gone, but even if you were, you would not be forgotten. So thank <laughs> you. Um, you can find me on YouTube, Deke BS, Twitch when I do this, Deke TV, and other places too. Links will be in descriptions and stuff. Thanks, everyone, and have an awesome night. Take care.